The Whiskey Throttle Show, now available on the Spot Network, an independent standalone streaming platform live now on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Google Play, Android TV, most smart TVs, and all phones and tablets. Look for future live shows and specials only available on Spot Network. Download the app today on your favorite device. Coming to you from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry. Motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, generators, side-by-sides, quads, boats. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Today's guest is presented by PowerDot, the world's smartest muscle recovery and performance tool. PowerDot takes proven electronic muscle stimulation technology and packs it into a sleek, lightweight, easy-to-use pod that is completely controlled from your smart device. Today's show brought to you in part by Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road racing market, and they have wheels for your truck, spreader, SUV, Jeep, or van. Troy Lee Designs, built for the world's fastest racers. Troy Lee Designs blends elite level protection with a history of industry-leading style and performance. From motocross gear to custom paint to bicycle protection, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. This week on the Whiskey Throttle Show... Jim Hawley is the first ever world supercross champion, multi-time ultra cross champion, stuntman, and host of Supercross Live. Jim Hollywood Hawley's story is coming up next. And now, here is the host of the Whiskey Throttle Show, David Pingree. It's April 2021. Thank you guys for joining us here at the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree, and we've got a great guest today. Gentleman Jim Holly or Hollywood, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, it's glad I'm. I'm glad to be here. I mean, we've been trying to put this together. Our, our uh, you know, our schedules conflict, you know, but uh, we we put it together. April first. This isn't April Fools. I'm yeah. here. Yeah, we're I'm here. here. And no co-host. We decided. You know what? Between the two of us, we can talk. Let, let's run it. <laughs> we can let's talk run it. Plenty. So uh, stoked to get into your story, man. Welcome, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. Um, we start with the method front end, method race wheels, front end chatter. They make the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road. If you guys are in the market, get over there and look at all the, the products they're selling 20% off using our code. It's a significant savings. So, uh, check those guys out. A couple of topics I want to pick your brain on here just to get the conversations mm-hmm. going. Headset communication in our sport. Uh, it's illegal right now. They try it at the monster cup. They allow mm-hmm. it or whatever to kind of dabble. And, and I, I didn't really think too much about it until they started doing that. And I kind of, you know, it piqued my interest, and now we've been working with Senna. They sponsor our show here, and just the little bit of riding I've done with, with their in-helmet communications, um, man, I'm seeing a safety component to it, uh, whether it's you're a dad and you've got a headset on the side of the track watching and talking to your kid. Uh, hey, you got fast riders coming up behind you. Hold your line. Hey, there's somebody down. Hey, they watered this section. Man, there's a million different reasons why that's a great idea. And then the helmet to helmet, you know, you watch Deegan and his kid, Hayden and Brian talking and, and Brian's riding behind him. He's getting to where he can't keep up here anymore. <laughs> right, right. He's getting so quick, but he can sit there and in real time go, Hey, no, 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 don't, don't, don't take that line. Here's why, you know, just talk to him. Um, rather than the other thing is you got to get in front of him, wave him down, pull him over, shut your bikes off, scream through your helmet and then have him go back out. It's, it's speeding up their process a lot. And so I always wonder what, why are we not, why are, why are we not allowing this in pro racing? 
or well, amateur racing. For yeah, that I mean, I, I think uh, from a safety aspect, I, I think it's excellent. Um, you know, you got a guy that uh, say he's running second, he crashes, he, he cases the triple, and your guy's in seventh. Well, you can let him know maybe they're not going to throw that, uh, you know, red flag out or the cross flag or whatever, let you know that a guy – you hear a lot of guys say, I never saw the flag. Yeah. And they end up jumping something and, and landing on guys. So I, I think from that aspect, I, I, I like it. Um, you can give somebody a heads up and say, hey, look, just like at NASCAR, you know, hey, crash is coming up and yeah. turn one, you know, back it down, go low, go high, wh- whatever you're going to do. I, I think in that aspect of it, uh, I, I like it. Um, I don't know racing side of it, um, how it would be going into the first turn if somebody's saying, you know, you know, you got 22 guys going into that first turn, someone's saying go left, go right, you know, they're yeah. looking at it. You know, it's just another set of eyes to be out there to uh, keep it. They do it down at Baja, and it's very safe to do it down at Baja because, uh, you know, they're up in the helicopter and they're saying, hey, look, there's an animal up here. There's a car crossing. You know, you're running 100 miles an hour. You know, you got a heads up out there. It's life or death in that situation. Well, Kirk Caselli, and, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other – Hamill. Hamill, Danny yeah. Hamill. So I, I think in that aspect, I think it's great. Yeah. Is there – you know, so we as we were chatting about this here even before the show, we thought, well, maybe just AMA could communicate to the riders. There wouldn't be mechanics or team managers that could. There wouldn't be feedback back. It would just be a one-way channel so that if a guy went down, AMA could warn him, hey, you know, turn whatever, ride yeah. her down, you know. But in my mind, I'm going, well, well, why not just open it up? I mean, the team managers aren't going to be chatting away in the rider's ear. They know it's sure. it, it, there's a distracting element to it. But let's say all of a sudden mid-race, uh, Cooper Webb starts jumping some quad, right? Yep. And he's greasing it, and he's making all this time up. Kenny's mechanic could go, hey, Cooper's jumping the quad. Let him know, you know, at least, at least engage him mm-hmm. that way. Or say, hey, uh, the left and the whoops is better. You know, move to the left side, you know. Is that good or bad? Because I, I thought, man, one, that would be inter- entertaining TV, just like they do in NASCAR, to sure. tune into that communication. I, um, I think if everybody has it, though, yeah, it's got to be equal. Everybody has to have that system. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work uh, if a privateer guy, he doesn't have someone up in that manager's tower. So how can he? How that's can a he? Good point. How can he say, well, I don't have no one up in that tower telling me that that's a good line or hey do that quad or, or move to the left or move to the right in the whoops. So he doesn't have that. If it's available for everybody, I say, let's do it. You know, but, but on the safety side, when Cameron McAdoo, you know, ran into the, the, uh, you know, few races back or yeah, whatever, that would be awesome if they could, uh, say him, Hey Cameron, watch out. There's medic people. There's a rider down. You mm-hmm. got to go left or right. And, and I think that would help out and save. we got lucky on that, that no one got hurt. You know, I mean, yeah. that could have been bad. Yeah, that definitely could have been bad. I, I think it's um, I think there's a lot of benefits to it that outweigh whatever the, the other effects are. And I think if privateers were really like, well, man, I don't have one, I got to believe Senna would step in and go, hey, if, if sure. we can get on these guys and run a logo, here, we'll get you a system. Yeah. And, you you know. It's got to be equal. It's gotta and, be, and a privateer will have his dad or his mom or girlfriend or sure. somebody in the stands that could help, right? I mean, they all have some type of crew. I don't know if I'd want my girlfriend in my ear, though. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> Maybe that would be the only rule. No girlfriends on the other end. Um, okay, so the other question's a little more profound, uh, but I want to get your take on this because you've been around since, um, I think, from a very cool early stage in the sport mm-hmm. and have now watched it to where we're at, and you're still very involved. So is our sport losing its soul? And, and what I mean by that is if you look back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 
um, the camaraderie that there was people having, just being able to have fun, really kind of knowing, understanding that it wasn't all about the dollar always. It was just, cause this is what I love to do. A lot of guys were like, I, I, I knew, I didn't think I was going to be able to even make a living at it. I just loved it. And it turned into a living, you know, Marty Smith, like those kind of guys. Have we lost, have we lost a little bit of our soul by the changes we've made? Yes, it's more professional. It looks better, but is it too serious? Is it too expensive? Kind of too polished of a feel? It definitely is too expensive with the four strokes. I mean, if you, uh, you know, if you blow up one of those, it's expensive. It's not like a two stroke. Uh, you know, when I came up, it's easy enough to, you know, replace that, uh, you know, top in or whatever, you yeah. know, bore the cylinder, put a new piston in it. Um, and you could do it yourself with your dad and your garage. Absolutely. No big deal. Yeah. You know, nine times out of 10, you would have to probably go and split the lower end because the pieces will go into the <laughs> gearbox. And if you didn't do that, then you break a gearbox the next time you go out. But, uh, it, it definitely is expensive, that's for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, with uh, Jet Lawrence and the younger generation, Ryder Francisco and Jet Reynolds and Hunter Lawrence and all these new younger kids coming up, I think we're seeing a little bit of that change that they're starting to have some fun. The camaraderie with uh, Jet Lawrence I saw at the Supercross, him and Colton Nichols. Mm. I think that, you know, that after cool. the race, yeah, yeah, they're both sitting down there talking. I, I think we're getting back to that. I, I would I would hope so. Okay. I would want that to come back. I, I, I like that. I mean, back when I rode, you know, I'm still friends with Bailey and O'Mara and Glover and, you know, Wardy, all the guys that I rode with. And, and we were all friends back then, yeah. you know, and... Uh, you know, we would go out to dinner and stuff, but I, I don't see a lot of that. Like, I see a lot of team dinners. You know, it's, it's just the riders and the, the mechanics, yeah. and the, you know, they keep that separated. Well, we always say like, oh, what, what do we need to do to grow the sport? You know, and make it bigger and better and more people. It's like, the more we do that, yes, there's more money coming in, more more exposure equals more dollars, but at what cost? And I and I, I just asked the question because I think, man, there's there was a time when you could mow lawns or get some random low-paying job and be able to afford a bike by the end of the summer. You, you got to work like f five, six years now at, at one of those jobs, you know, to yeah, afford a bike. Yeah, I mean, motorcycles, you know, are, are you know, 10 grand, you yeah. know, retail, 12 grand. Depends on what bike you're getting and which model and everything, but that's expensive. I mean, back, you know, when I rode, you could get a motorcycle for, you know, I don't know. They were probably seven, eight hundred dollars back then, yeah. you know, and uh, and inflation. You know, that's exactly. certainly outpaced inflation. I oh, understand. sure. Times yeah. Different, but. yeah, cars were cheaper back then. Gas was cheaper. Everything was cheaper. Entry fee, but you had a lot more riders. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would go to a Golden State Series, and there would be forty guys on the starting line in the pro class. Yeah. You know, I, I think a little bit of that changed uh, when the YZ dollars came into it, YZ bucks, and all the manufacturers started paying some of the amateurs these cool. They didn't want to transition up to that pro class to make the money. They were making good money, uh, yeah. you know, as an intermediate. But um, I, I think definitely, uh, you know, they have to do something, you know, to uh, get more of the younger generation enthused in it. I, I mm -hmm. just don't see it. I go to a local track and uh, I'll watch the races and I don't see it. I, I see more of... You know, the GNCCs, I see a lot of those guys, too, because yeah. they get a bang for their buck. They get to be on the motorcycle for three hours, and, and, you know, they're with their families. It's more. But Supercross and Motocross, it's all a business. Yeah. It's all about that number one plate. Well, yeah, if you're going to go to a race, a local race, you get a couple of 12-minute motos. You sit around all day waiting for them. 
where, yeah, I, I get this from a, a ton of viewers and people that write in. Mm -hmm. Man, I've switched over to Enduros or, or sure. GNCC type of stuff, especially back east where the riding yep. is great. Like, man, I'm on the bike for two or three hours. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I had a ball. The people are great. It's kind of like, it sounds like motocross in the 80s. Yeah. Everybody's camping. Kids are riding bikes. Like, it's just, it sounds great. Um, anyway, I, I, it's, it's just uh, something I'm concerned about. I kind of thought I'd get your opinion on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully, um, hopefully we can get back to there's, that. You know, there is good things. I, I've heard local races, the numbers are way up yep. during COVID because people are, have gone out and bought bikes sure. and they're looking for something to do. Uh, the Stasic little electric kids mm -hmm. bikes, what a huge tool to get new riders in. You know, I, I'm, I'm so pumped on what those guys are doing because you get a two, three, four year old hooked on twist on the throttle. Sure. That that's at least some of them are going to carry that through and, right. and ride rec rate recreationally or locally or competitively, you know? So anyway, there's some good, there's, it's not all doom and gloom. I just thought I'd pick your brain cause you were around in the, I think the really fun times, which was the eighties and nineties. It, it was a, a great time. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, I wouldn't want to be in this era. That's for sure. Because no. I did some stuff in that, that era that man with social media, I'd be, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> We'd be bailing you out of jail right now. Raising well, a fund. I, I, I've, I've <laughs> been bailed out of jail before when I was racing. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, hey, go over to whiskeythrottleshow.com. We've got all the shows up over there. Uh, we're in the process of reworking our site. So if it's a little squirrely, hang with us. Uh, we've got a guy completely revamping it. It's going to be great. Uh, but we can buy, you can buy our merch there. Go click the shop tab. A ton of new shirts like this uh, Full Metal Jacket t-shirt. Nice. You get the reference or no? You know that movie, Full cool. Metal Jacket, yeah. right? Anyway, um, all kinds of stuff over there. Temecula t-shirt printer is doing a great job for us, so check them out. Uh, let's get to your show, your story here, buddy. Brought to you by PowerDot. Go over to PowerDot and uh, pick up one of their units today. You, you got a long list there. I do. I do. <laughs> so tell me about where you grew up. You're, you're kind of a valley kid, right? Yeah. You're born, awesome. born and raised in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. Van Nuys, uh, Van Nuys California. Yeah. Omero was a valley guy, you know. Uh, Willie Simon, Simi Valley, Tim Losey. I'll tell you, a lot of us. You know, yeah, it was were, a good little crew. Yeah. Well, and we were talking off camera earlier how different that area was. You, could, you said you could ride right out of your house. And ride right out of the house, and, yep. Now you can't. There's houses. <laughs> well, I mean, that alone, what a cool time to grow up, you know. When I first moved out here, Temecula was the same way. You could ride out in the hills. They're all littered with houses mm -hmm. now. It was some of the best riding ever when it would rain, you know. Well, and like, you know, uh, Eddie Lawson, Wayne Rainey and stuff, That you know, Corona had a racetrack here, Corona yeah. Raceway, and yeah. before all the homes and everything was built around here, but now it's gone. So, uh, yeah, Rawhide was there. Um, also. Rawhide? I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, that Rawhide was a track, was a oh. track motocross track. Yeah. Uh, OCIR, yeah. uh, Orange County International Raceway, race there. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, been there a, a lot time. of them that yeah. closed down. Um, did you have siblings? Yeah, I got three uh, three sisters, all younger. I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Big bro, did you ever have to whip any ass? No, they could whoop their own asses. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty big. They, they could take care of themselves. Strong women. I yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I call my one, uh, Kathy. She won't like it, but I call her Big Mama. She, she rides a Harley and stuff. She's. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, she can take care of herself. I mean, with me and her, we've been in some fist fights. Were your folks, your dad was a racer, right? He was a. Yeah, he was a dirt tracker. Dirt yeah, tracker. Yeah, yeah, he rode uh, a lot of uh, at Ascot. I grew up at Ascot, you know, watching Eddie Mulder and John Haley, all those guys, you know, and my dad rode. And uh, he rode Hopetown, as a matter of fact. Okay. And uh, 
almost had that one one year, but then they had a big mud hole, and he put his foot down and crushed his heel and oh. couldn't finish that. I remember as a little kid, he came in, and his mechanic's going, why'd you pull off? He goes, man, I can't. My heel, it's bl- blown up, you know, and, oh. uh, but uh you have yeah, a lot of good. a lot of memories of going to the races with him as a little oh, kid. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And Omera, Omera's dad would go to the races. Hope oh really? And stuff. Yeah. So, so you guys, kind of, did you know each other as little kids? Yeah, a little bit. Not okay. not a hundred percent, but uh, you know more when we started racing and stuff. Yeah. But he went to the same races I went to. Huh. Same school? No. Oh, okay. He, different school. Yeah, he was over in Van Nuys, and I was born in Van Nuys, but I grew up in Northridge. Okay. Yeah. Um. And you were into other stuff as a kid. You didn't really start racing hard till you were a teenager, right? No, a little bit. Uh, I was probably uh, 10, 12 years old. Okay. Uh, I played a lot of sports. I played baseball. I was really good in baseball. Yeah, I remember and you telling me that. You were a baseball I just, guy. I just, didn't like, uh, I just didn't like losing, you know. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of a teammate. He dropped the ball out in the outfield and stuff. That really drove me nuts. And, and my dad said, you know, that I had to pick a, a certain – uh, a certain sport, you know, he couldn't do it all. Football, baseball, yeah. uh, racing, you know, it's just too much. And yeah. it was expensive for him. He was a plastering contractor. So, uh, you know, he, he, he had to work during the week. And, uh, you know, so I, I chose racing. I mean, uh, I made a triple play all by myself one year. Uh, it was kind of yeah. cool. I was happy to uh, to do that. I, I was a le- I'm left-handed, so a left-handed person will never play second base. You'll see in the major leagues that there'll be no left-handed guys because when because you do a double play, they, they flip the ball. Okay. You see, you want to flip it with this hand here, but that's the hand I catch with. But anyhow, guy was on first and third and uh, no outs. Line drive, I jumped up, I caught it, snow cone, barely tipped, dropped it down into my mitt because I saw that guy, he didn't know that I caught it. He thought it went to the out- outfield. So that's one out, tapped him on the top of the head. That's two outs, watched the guy out of third, he tagged up, and he thought he was going to score that run. Well, I threw it in right perfect, right to the catcher, right in front of the home plate, three outs. I still got the trophy. I got a trophy for it. It was cool. You like that story. That was a big ball. Oh, I love it. I, I'm How a old big, were you? I was probably eight or nine, you know. That's pretty big for an eight, nine-year-old. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a big throw to get it there in time. And stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and my son, Jared, you know, he uh, he uh, was on a scholarship at University of New Mexico playing ball and. uh you know, I, I really enjoy going to watch him play uh, all over, you know, Hawaii they played, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. I didn't get to go to Hawaii. My wife went to Hawaii. But um, I, I really enjoyed that. I was a little bit bummed out. He had the Washington Nationals, Detroit Tigers, and the Phillies all wanting him to, you know, go to their minor league system, and he turned it down. And Melissa goes, why are you mad? I go, why didn't he take the d- – it's not, it's not your life, Jim. It's his. I go, yeah, I guess you're right. But anyhow, he's, he's a police officer now, so that's kind of well, cool. Well, listen, I, and I, I, you, you told me that, and you showed me some photos. We'll, we'll pop them up in the show here if you're yeah. watching. But first of all, he's a spitting image of you. It's <laughs> hilarious. When you're younger photos, when you had a beard, right. and there's that photo of Jared with the beard, I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh, it's Jim again. Like, yeah. You know, he don't um, have a beard anymore. He's shaving. No, no, it's got to be high and tight. Yeah. But for him Is to that get, what it's called, high and tight? Well, it's see, kind I'm of a older, military. so yeah, it's so a military I should, term. Well, I'm going to tell him that when I see yeah. him, high and tight. That's how they. That's a military term, and, and police and fire are both paramilitary organizations. So we, right. we derive a lot of our mm. rules and regs and protocols and stuff from that. Um, but I will say this: for him to want to get into law enforcement this badly in this climate says a lot about him. 
he wanted to help people. I mean, I asked him, I said, why, why do you want to be, you know, with, uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world now? I, I go, there's no respect for police officers. I mean, if a police officer pulled me over and he told me to get on the ground and kiss the ground, I'm getting on the ground and I'm kissing the ground because he is in control. Mm-hmm. That, that, that guy is, he, he, he's the guy, you know, I, I have no power. But everybody wants to fight it. There's no respect. I mean, they, they spit on you and stuff like that. And I, I just, you know, I, I went to a, a meeting uh, prior to him graduating. We went down there and they, they invited you down there to kind of know what they're going to go through. You know, like there's alcoholism, alcoholism you know, suicides, you know, the stress of the job is really, you know, you, you got to think about this. And for the people listening in, that's the only profession. I'm talking doctors, anybody, fire. That's the only profession that has a camera on that watches every move that they make, you know. So, uh, you know, this one thing he said, uh, he goes, you cannot cannot fight back on on somebody. Like the people that go to the jails, the sheriffs, you know, once you get out of the academy, you got to go to the uh, sheriff's department for two years. Yeah. And he's up there talking. He goes, yeah, and and you got to beware of being gassed. And I'm thinking, gassed? What what is this gassed being? Now, Now, Jared's a regular police officer. He's not going to the jail system. And he goes, well, that's when they make up a concoction of semen, blood, urine, and feces, and they mix it up, and you walk by, and they throw it on you, and you can't do anything to those guys. I said, well, that's why I'm not a cop, because I would kill that guy. (laughs) I would kill him. And I I don't understand the, the jail systems on why they don't put plexiglass in front of there and leave a little airspace at the top and the bottom so you don't get gassed. I mean, yeah. that, that is just unhumane. Yeah, something needs to change there. And, and it's it's a cultural problem, you know, when cops have become the enemy. Sure. Uh, that That's a cultural problem we're having. And, and I'm not saying all cops are good. There are some no, bad cops there's, out there's there. There's bad people in every, th- th- every There field. is, there is. And, I mean, when I was a kid growing up uh, – Willie, a buddy of mine, Willie Wright, his dad was a Los Angeles uh, police officer. And he would always, not always, but once in a while I'd see him, hey, Buck, how come you're not working here? Oh, yeah, I'm on suspension. Well, what happened? I go, hey, Buck, you're getting a little bit of a belly, man. He, 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 you know, you should probably train a little bit so you can get the bad guy. He goes, this is what this thing is for, pal. <laughs> and he, he, he would just shoot him. You know, he wouldn't run after him. He'd just shoot him. Yeah. You know, you can't do that nowadays. No, no, different time. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting you said your uh jared's really into jujitsu because that yeah. was something joe rogan talks about a lot um he listens to joe rogan a lot too on his podcast i, I think it's he made he made the most poignant uh statement about how, how training should change in the pd right i mean they're, they're they're revamping how they're training them and what they can and can't do and all of these issues that escalate if if the cop was a really accomplished jujitsu guy yep. and he could put them in a submission hold Man, you, you take a lot of the problems sure. away. You, know? you do. And I think so. that's why Jared, you know, trained in jiu-jitsu for, you know, uh, he, he, you know, in order to pass, you know, he, he had to do this one test. I asked him, I go, how was it today? He goes, oh, we had all of our gear on. And, it, you know, it's just yeah, like it's a heavy. fireman. Yeah. It's heavy, 35 pounds or whatever. Run a 500 yards, hop a six-foot wall, go through an opposite cord, then have a tack officer attack you and start punching you and uh, try to get your gun away. And uh, I asked him, like, will he get your gun? He says, nope. I put him in a submission hold, and he, he stopped what he was doing, you know. But, uh, you know, it's interesting about our jails. You know, if you're a prisoner and you go to jail, you go in there, you're, you're a badass anyhow, right? So why do they give you all that weight to get you bigger and badder? 
You know what I mean? They should. Yeah. They, if you want to run or you want to do push-ups, sit-ups, all that stuff, have at it. But why give them the weights to get them bigger and stronger so when they get out, they're these monsters? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough argument. I mean, you want to <laughs> give them a good outlet, but... Give them books. Yeah, I hear Which you. they give them books, <clears throat> and, and some of them do... You know, take the books and they become lawyers in jail and all that kind of stuff, which is good. You know, I, I like yeah. it. But uh, yeah. I don't know about the weights, man, because that was one thing they said. Hey, now that you're an officer, don't slack off on your training. And they had this video and they go, these guys aren't 24-7. And they showed the guys just pumping, just pumping. In jail. Just yeah, and I'm out. just going, wow. Well, anyway, I ton of respect for him. So yeah, give him thanks. a high five when you see yeah. him next and tell him thank Do you. Do it. Yeah. So, um, so, so talk about your introduction to bikes again. Um, so mostly baseball, right? Before you, before bikes, before you really started taking off with riding. Well, I mean, spent most of your time I, I mean, baseball? I, I got my first motorcycle when I was uh, five. Okay. You know? So you're but riding for fun, hit races here and there. Yeah. You know, my dad would be racing, so I'd be tooling around yeah. out in the, you know, back, but uh, I'll never forget it. Um, and I've, I've said it before, um, you know, I was over my grandfather's and, uh, I couldn't understand. They told me it was a mini bike and they told me to go out there and get the gas can because I had to mow the yard and it's okay. dark. And I'm going, why? I'm a little kid, five years old. It, it's dark. Well, I'm not going to mow the yard. And, and finally, my, my dad has to get your ass out there and get that goddamn gas can and bring it back. Okay, dad, I'm sorry. So I went out there and they had a piece of board, you know, four by eight sheet of plywood up against a tree. So when I got the gas can, I come back. There was my fifth uh, birthday present, a motorcycle. What was it? It was a little taco mini bike yeah. or something, you know. Yeah. But I wasn't going to go out there and get the gas can to go mow it at night. So they had to kind of, so yeah. th th that was the premise. And, yeah. and that's where it started at. From there, I went to, uh, you know, a mini enduro, rotary valve, uh, Yamaha 60 mini enduro. But, uh, yeah, I got introduced. Yeah. And it was, you know, my dad, he rode Elsinore and, you know, Hopetown. And, and he was a dirt tracker, you know, and... Um, I Hope, really, Hopetown I really was a motocross race, wasn't it? Yeah, it was motocross, okay. yeah. So he, he dabbled a little bit. In yeah, summer. and Bay Mare, they had a, a Grand Prix at Bay Mare. It was out in uh, Somas, uh, just out past uh, Moore Park there. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of the European guys would come over. Like I said, you know, um, DeCoster and Joel Robert and, uh, you know, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the Swedish guy that came over here. Um, ah, good friend of mine, too. That's uh, uh, what happens when you get old and you get sick. Not Hallman. Uh, who, um, yeah, Torsten Hallman. Torsten, Torsten. Okay. Yeah, when Torsten was over here, all those guys came over. But they're all on Huskies and, and CZs and stuff. And these guys, uh, you know, my dad and Eddie Mulder, Gene Smith, all these guys, you know, I'm, I'm naming names that were in the pro class with them. They're on 650 tribes that weigh yeah. 350 <laughs> pounds or whatever, you know, and, and they, they couldn't keep up with the guys. Did you, at that early age, you knew who DeCoster was? Like, were you following motocross? L little, bit, little bit, yeah, okay. yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm at this age, I'm probably seven or whatever. But, yeah, to watch those guys, uh, you know, just, I, I mean, I was upset they beat us, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I was really, like, just amazed on how they could flick the bike around and just the riding style standing up, you know. It was a whole different, uh, it, it was a different, you know, just like the, the, the riding now, you know, you, you see, like, when I rode, we didn't scrub. But now you watch the guy scrub and you went, wow, that, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome they can do that. I don't want to try that. I think if I do that on a jump and try to scrub down, I'm going to hit the foot peg and I'm going to get off hard. Yeah. So I'm jumping old school. Um, 
do you have any regret about not sticking with baseball? Uh, no, nah, not really. Okay. Not really. I mean, the, the league minimum now is a half a million dollars or so. And if you stay in the league, I can't remember how long, but you get a good pension and stuff. I mean. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got a pension for them. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, I, I think you have to have a league. Uh, I'm not sure Jared would know because, he, you know, but at least five to seven years. Once you uh, you stay with the team, you get a pension, huh. So, which is good. My pension now is just all my rental estate property yeah. that I have. That's my pension. We'll, we'll get to that because I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. I, you've done a really great job with um, with sort of the, the money you made. You've, you've done a great job. We'll, we'll talk about it. When did you start getting serious about racing? Uh, probably when the, uh, let's see, I won the World Mini Grand Prix. It was in Indian Dunes. I think I won it in 76. I think okay. Willie Simons might have won it in 75, but Myerskoff was there. Bobby Jones, Jeff Ward, Mike Brown, Bobby Toko, all of us. That that was a big thing. And I, I was probably riding the, uh, they had the 9 to 11 class, but I didn't ride that. I was more 12 to 15, I think, that okay. class, and I was 12. So that's kind of really where I had a sponsorship, uh, Paul Cates, uh, PK Racing Products. Uh, his mom and dad owned Haas and a Honda. So I rode a Honda uh, XR75. And, uh, you know, that's when Yamaha started to develop the YZ80s. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul came to my dad and, and asked, hey, you, you think we can still do it on the four strokes? And he says, nope. The two strokes are coming in. They're, uh, you know, it's just not, not happening anymore. You put a button mag on it, the response is way better on a two-stroke. And, you know, you, the XR was is going out of out of the way. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of when I, I started. It so was you serious. won that race against all those guys, huh? Yeah, did yeah, you, different classes. Did, you kind of, did that surprise you? I mean, those are. No, not really. I mean, okay. but there were, you know, Ricky Johnson rode those, but he was in the 9 to 11, if I remember correctly. Scotty Burnworth was in there. All these guys, you know, we, yeah. we all rode, we all came up, yeah. you know, in that group, you know. The only one that really didn't ride those was O'Mara. I don't know. Oh, really? I, I don't know if he, yeah, his dad didn't, you know, couldn't afford racing or, or whatever at that yeah. time. But yeah, Johnny really never rode with us. You know, Steve Schmitz, he rode, uh, you know, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of a lot of the guys' names. But, yeah, that's kind of when I, 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 you know, I dropped the baseball and I was just focusing on riding and I got sponsorship and things like that where people were buying bikes. And interesting thing, um, Gene Hackman, the actor, you know, a friend of mine, Don Best at Van Nuys Cycle, and it was a Yamaha dealer. He says, hey, is Jim going to go to Rio Bravo, uh, Texas uh, for, for the national? And he says, no, you know, his bike's pretty hammered and, you know, they don't, they don't have the money, you know, to buy a new bike or whatever. So um, uh, there was a phone call to my dad um, the next day. Hey, come down here, get your new bike. My dad says, well, I didn't order up a new bike. We, we can't afford it. Don't worry about it. Gene Hackman got it for you. Is that right? Yeah. So, and I know Chris Hackman, he was racing at the time and stuff too, <clears throat> Gene's son. So, matter of fact, one of the mammoth, is, mammoth motocrosses when I was 40 or whatever, Gene came up and stayed with us, and he's just a super guy. I mean, uh, mm. Lori up there, you know, um, that runs the mammoth motocross and Mike and everything. You know how you got to park outside and you take the bus in? Yeah. Well, Gene took the bus and came in that way. And she goes, Jim, I, I didn't know, you know, Gene could have drove in. I go, no, 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 Gene's not like that. He, he's, he doesn't want any favoritism. He's just a really down-to-earth guy and huh. stuff. But, yeah, he, he bought a bike. How did you bike. know him? Just grew up around him? or Yeah, racing yeah. with his son, Chris Hackman. And, and interesting thing is they used to have the boxing uh, 
boxing matches in, in Reseda, California, and you see Tony Danza come in, all the acronyms, and I'd be at a table with a bunch of my buddies, right? And they'd say, oh, there's Tony Danza. Oh, there's Gene Hackman. I said, uh, oh, I know Gene. I, bullshit, Jim, you don't know Gene. Come on, I know Gene Hackman. He, he bought me a motorcycle. I keep in touch with him every once in a while and stuff. He walked over to the table and he says, hey, Jim, how's it going, man? I've been watching, man. You're killing it. And this is when I was riding, you know, professionally. You yeah. know, he goes, man, you're, you're doing great. His son didn't <clears throat> make it up to the nationals. He got busy doing other things. But, you know, we talked. I introduced him to all of my buddies and stuff. And then when he left, they were like, <laughs> you really do know him. I, I told you, I, yeah. I, I, I knew Gene and he bought me a motorcycle. You know, yeah, I'll, never, I'll never forget that. that that's the... Uh, that's the, you know, the coolest thing about, uh, you know, actors. There's some actors and actresses that are really cool, and there's some that are, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that, too, when we get to that point. So, in 76, it says you won the ADCC National Championship. Was that at Ponca? Was that going no, on? No, no, that was that World Mini that Grand Prix in Indy okay. Dunes. Yeah, Ponca was never around. Didn't exist No, then, right? it didn't yeah, exist, yeah. no. And, and also, <laughs> Loretta Lenz didn't exist either. Those didn't happen until the 80s sometime, huh? Like, early 80s? I, I, I want to say 84. Five Loretta's, but I was already racing. You know, even yeah. the 125 class that started in 85. Because uh, yeah. when I jumped into the Supercar, we had to jump in with Hannah and Howerton, yeah. Stefano, Gary John. You know, everybody. I'm just going, wow, man. There's no feeder class here. That's gnarly. Yeah, Pe people don't really realize that. Imagine no. coming out of Loretta's and going, okay. I got to get ready for Anaheim next well, year. Well, right not Loretta's, the, but, the class, but so like yeah. lo local Indian Dunes racing, Carlsbad, Saddleback, all that. You're a local pro. You're winning. Okay, now it's time to make the next step. And uh, wow, that next step was gnarly. Yeah. 250 yeah. class at a Supercross. That's it. And we didn't have Supercross tracks to practice on either. No. We just had double jumps at a local track or whatever. That's it, man. You get out there and you get to the whoops and you go, oh, God. Yeah, there was a lot of figuring it out on race day. I mean, oh, even, even into the 90s when I started. Sure. Um, do you remember your first pro race? Yeah, Indian Dunes. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, was it just like a local race? Was it? Yeah, just local race. Okay. But back then, you know, there were 40, yeah. 40 guys on the starting line. I'm thinking, wow, this yeah. is gnarly. You know? How did it go? And who are you racing? Yeah, with? it was all right. Just uh, you know, Bobby Klein was there, Bobby Jones, Willie Simons, Johnny O'Mara, Tim Losey. You know, a bunch of us, uh, you know, guys that, you know, we grew up racing with, they'd all made the transition. I stayed back a little bit before those guys made the jump up before me because um, Paul Cates wanted me to keep riding uh, mini bikes before oh, okay. I made that jump up. And, and then back then, they had the 100cc class. And I, I rode the 100cc class before I made the jump into the 125 class. Okay. Yeah, but. Were uh, you not super tall or were you looking really big on a mini bike? Oh, I was looking really big, man. Yeah, yeah I was huge. <laughs> well, I thought so. You weren't a small. You're not no, a small guy. No, no, yeah. I was huge on a mini bike. That's it was a little bit of a hindrance, and that's uh, thank God Yamaha came out and Suzuki, uh, you know, uh, had that uh, RM100. Yeah. Yamaha had YZ100, so that was a feeder class into the 125 because you, you can't go from you can't go from an 80cc bike into a 125 you're just not physically strong enough and that's the same thing with today's era you, you know you got the kids that are in the you know 85cc class they got the big wheel class but to make that jump into a, a 250f a i mean I, I really wish the manufacturers wouldn't have i mean some of them yamaha and uh, ktm and husky and gas gas um they still have a 125 they're making. Um, 
but the other manufacturers, I don't know why they didn't, because I would like to see a 125 class in Supercross. I agree. To be honest. I, we've, I talk about this all the time. People are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but that's a huge miss by our sport, I think, in terms of that could be your entry-level bike, right? If sure. they could make them but keep the cost down, man, that's, well, that's how you get new people in. Yeah. Because you, know, you, that, you get that too teaches many, people technique. Yeah, you, you get too many people hurt. You know, that's the thing about it, yeah. you know. Um, but anyhow, that's for another uh, yeah. another conversation. Um, so when you first turned pro, 1980 was your first pro national? Yeah, mm -hmm. 1980. So who, where was that, and who were you, who were you racing with, and what were you on? Oh, I was on, uh, I was, uh, well, 79, I won the, the Golden State Series. Okay. And I, In the pro I, class? Pro class, yeah. Okay. I was still Shoot. a pro then, but I didn't ride the Nationals, and I was chomping at the bit. I told my dad, hey, I want to ride the Nationals. He goes, you're not ready. What do you mean I'm not ready? I, I just won the Golden State Series. Well, yeah, but the guys that you're going to race with in pro, they only come out to a few of them because then they got to start the, the Nationals or whatever, the Supercrosses. He said, uh, he goes, I tell you what, when you're ready on the International or Shadow Glen or whatever in Indian Dunes, you let everybody go into the first turn and then you go. When you can work up and pass everybody and win, then you're ready. Because at a national, you come up on a guy, you you can't follow. The, you get a bad start in a national, you can't follow a guy around for two or three laps. Mm -mm. I mean, you can. You're you're going to finish 13th or 15th or whatever, but you're not going to work up and have a decent finish. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and um, um, I, I won the Golden State Series that year, and I went to Kenny Clark, who was the team manager, my dad and I, and um, said, look, you know, my dad doesn't have any money to, to go out you know, and do the nationals. Um, he goes, you go out and you prove yourself out on the, uh, in the golden state and proving yourself means top three or whatever. I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I'm going to do better. I want to win it. Um, and then we'll hook you up with either Moto X Fox, you know, or, um, Lorenz Offner at LOP. Okay, great. So I moved to uh, Henderson, Nevada, went to work with my uncle, uh, Uncle Bob, and uh, he, he worked for my dad, but then he moved out there. Doing what? Still plastering. Uh, plastering? Okay. Plastering, yeah. Hod carrier. You so know? That's, hard, that's hard work. Take the mud, put it up on a hod, throw it up on your shoulder, walk. I'll never forget we were doing a, a wall five foot high, and it was probably 100 foot long on a, on a um, uh, supermarket. Okay. Had to climb up the ladder, walk on the scaffold, drop it. By the time I dropped it, by the time I got done loaded the hot, they were empty. Hey, more mud. Okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. So we would have my motorcycle in the truck. After we left work, we would go hammer, <clears throat> excuse me, two 40-minute motos. After that, before we got home, I'd go run five miles at the local uh, high school. Jeez. Then I would go home and have dinner. And then I would do calisthenics, push-ups, sit-ups, stretching, all that stuff. A little bit of light weight lifting and stuff. Go to bed. and um, Repeat. You know, repeat. <laughs> and then on Fridays, I'd leave and come back and ride the Golden States. And on Sundays, I, I would drive home. Um, because, I, you know, I was a guy that really got distracted a lot, you know. So I had to leave my friends if I was going to make this work. So, anyhow. Make a well, long wait, story you getting short. Into trouble or just just hanging out with buddies and yeah, just yeah, I'm probably not training as hard as I should have been. Yeah. Hanging out with buddies and stuff, not nothing, you know, too gnarly as far as trouble, but you know, just you know, average stuff, kid, yeah. yeah. So, Dude, you I, had to I be wanted... a beast at that point. I mean, 
just carrying the mud up and down oh, back and I, forth. I, I was good. I was making well. I had to do that because I had to pay for my racing too. I mean, my dad didn't have. He was running a business. He didn't have a lot of money. But that alone is physically exhausting. Then you're riding. Sure. Then you're running. Sure. No, I was in shape. I, I was good. <laughs> I, I won it that year. I, I won the yeah. uh, Golden State. Yeah. Went back into Kenny Clark's office, and I've told the story before on on Pulp MX and stuff. But went back into his office, and uh, all right, Kenny, I'm ready to go. Who'd you hook up? Who'd you hook me up with? He says, uh, well, I got some bad news. And I'm thinking, okay. I couldn't hook you up with anybody. They're all full. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, I just, I just went and won the Golden State for Yamaha and for you guys. I, I, I not only proved myself, I won it. And he says, yeah, and I got some other bad news. I'm thinking, well, how, how much worse can it get, you know? Well, you know, all the bikes and stuff and the parts I gave you, yeah, I need to get all that back too. Yeah, I'm out to ride after winning the Golden State in 79. Mm. I'm thinking, man, what do I do? If it wasn't for Mark Porter in the engineering, Tad O'Connell, Don Dudak, all those guys, they backdoored me some bikes and parts to get, the, uh, to get, get started. Mm. First one was at Saddleback in 1980, the National. And I'm going up against Glover and Barnett and Myerskoff, and Wardy, and all these guys, you know, they got the factory rides, and I'm just on a production Yamaha just trying to do my thing, you know. Mm -hmm. O'Mara had the Mugen, you know. So I get a call from, uh, after Hangtown, I get a call from Al Baker, and I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm finishing 12s or whatever, you know, not bad, you know. Okay. What, 125 class? Or? Yeah, 125. Okay. Yeah, because you, you can't jump into that 250. There's just no way, yeah. you know. That was the big boys, yeah. you know, Hannah, all the guys I idolize. Um, so anyhow, um, I get a call from Al Baker and he was running the, the Mugen program. Now, you know, Hero Honda was the son of Honda and, and that's where Mugen all came in yeah. and Al was trying to bring it. Anyhow, Johnny had screwed around in his truck. I think, I don't know if it was Losey and him or anyhow, it might've been another buddy, but anyhow, they, he rolled his truck and he broke his back. Johnny did? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't wasn't uh, paralyzing. Yeah, okay. yeah. His Dodge, little Dodge uh, yellow truck. Yeah, he rolled it oh. off the freeway or something, crashed it. I, I don't know all the specifics, yeah. but I just knew that he wasn't going to ride. So Al comes to me and he says, look, I got a deal. I need you. Okay, wh what do you need? Yeah, Johnny got hurt. He can't ride the Nationals. He says, uh, you can have the white bike, which was the factory bike. They had another one that was a production bike with the Mugen kid on it. You know, okay. you, you People have seen the Mugen poster of us wheeling up Saddleback on the start. You know, there's a red bike and there's a white one. White one was a full-blown works bike. Okay. He says, you're going to ride that one. You prove yourself. You can continue on until Johnny comes back. And they, had, they were limited on parts and bikes. Then Johnny gets the white bike, and then you get the red bike. I say, okay. And I go there again. I'm thinking, prove myself. What, what, what do I got to do? Because I don't want to lose you run up in the top 10. The next round was Southwick, Massachusetts. Okay. Never never been there. Okay. This is all nude for me. I'm a rookie. Went back to Southwick and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I finished up ninth overall. And all I had to do is keep that thing in the top 10. Okay. So was that bike light years ahead of what you were riding? Everybody <clears throat> always asked me that. So on, on the Shadow Glen, remember when my dad said I had to let everybody go and pass everybody, there was a local race prior to me going back. So I brought the Mugen out. Within two or three laps, I had passed everybody. Now, granted, when I, on a Yamaha, I would come up and I would pass everybody and I'd only win by like a couple seconds. 
I had a 30-second lead at the end of the race on that thing. Mm. That's how much better Night that and day. Was. Night and day difference riding a works bike compared Versus to a Versus a stock YZ125? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. yeah, so so then the next round, I think, was Sears Point. I ended up getting sixth. So I'm progressively, yeah. I'm good. But then Johnny comes back. Now I'm back on a production haunted with the Mugen kit. Anyhow, that and year, how much worse was that? Like how much off of the Mugen works bike? Oh, night and day. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, it, it's, a, it's a production bike. You know, mm-hmm. it's just you don't have the work show forks. You don't have, I, I mean, just, uh, yeah, it, it makes life that much easier, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, anyhow, I, um, I was riding the red bike. I finished up ninth overall that year. In okay. the point standing, my first year as a rookie. I was happy with, with all the adversity I had to come through, start out on a Yamaha, and then ride a white bike for a few rounds, then ride the, the uh, red bike, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Tom Halverson, he worked for uh, – he works at Yamaha now, but he, he worked for Johnny. He was Johnny's mechanic. But uh, even then, uh, I've told the story. Um, Al, we were getting the bikes ready. Halverson was getting – Johnny's bike ready, the white one. I was getting the red bike ready, you know, helping yeah. out. You know, yeah. when my dad came home from work, he would help out. So Al comes over and he goes, hey, I got to come over and grab that red bike. You know, Johnny's got to go practicing. I go, Al, that's, that's my race bike, man. I go, that, I, I, that, well, I'm going to come over anyhow. I got to get it. Al, you can come over, but you ain't, you, you ain't taking that bike. Now, mind you, earlier in the year, Kenny Clark took all my Yamahas. Yeah. Now here's another cat coming over and going to take all my, my, give my race bike to Johnny to practice on. Well, he walked into the, if anybody knows Tom Halverson out there, you can ask him. He'll back up the story. I said, Al, you step one foot in this garage, man. You got a big problem. Because <laughs> I'm helping out Al. This is my garage. I'm giving yeah. the Mugen race team to work on bikes yeah, yeah. and everything, right? He comes in and I just cracked him. Just laid him out over the parts washer. I was getting ready to get back up on top of him. And my mom comes in and pulls me. Don, Jimmy, Don, Jimmy. He ain't taking my bike, Mom. He ain't taking it. Well, he didn't take my bike. I gained a lot of respect, I, I think, from Al. And, he um, took a concussion with him. Well, yeah, something. <laughs> I mean, I was just, I, I had to fight. I had to fight. You know, I'm, not, I'm putting on all these results and, and top tens and everything for everybody, and, and you're taking my bikes and stuff. This ain't going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember that you carrying all that mud and everything, you got a lot of aggression working construction. I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm mowing yards. I'm doing whatever I can get to scrape together money just to get out on the national circuit to try and go out and make a name. Here's, well, here's, it pisses you off when a guy tells you he's going to do something, and then they don't – I mean – your, your your word is your bond, right? Like that's that's very old school, but like this, damn it, it's like that's it's, that's the way I do it. You know, yeah. it's a handshake, and you know, you learn a lot. I didn't have a contract, you know, it's just word of mouth, and that's how how it was, you know, back in those days. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah, Glover, Barnett, those guys, they had contracts, but this is a, a budgeted team, you know, or whatever. I'm I'm helping you guys out, you know. So I I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just. I wanted to f- I had to fight for it. That's the bottom <laughs> so, line. So what did the team owner say at that point? I well, mean, that he, was Al Baker. He oh, was, was the owner. It oh. was Al Baker. Yeah. What did Al say? When he got up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was this? He left. <laughs> <laughs> he left. All right. He left and and I never got I never got bothered again. He knew that <laughs> hey man, this guy's not a pushover. I'm not going to let this guy. I guess Jim will knock me out if I go try to take that bike. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen, you know. But I mean, that was you know, back then, you know, David Electro Helmets was sponsoring me. 
Jim O'Neill was sponsoring me. This is back when I would hang up banners before, on track walk. I would hang up electro banners and, and uh, you know, Scott banners, uh, O'Neill banners. Yeah. When you could do that, they would give me, I don't know, 50 bucks. I can't remember what it was, each national, to help me get to the next race. That's, that's how. And you want to take my motorcycle? Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah, I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't want to get in a fight with you back then. You were kind of like brick shithouse. Just, yeah, you know. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I know. I should ask I, Al. I, I, I didn't, yeah, <laughs> well, he's passed away now. He oh, he crashed his you. airplane go, coming back from Baja. He went down to, you know, buzz some of his friends that were, uh, you know, uh, on the ground, and he hit hit the telephone wires and stuff and passed away. Oh, jeez. Yeah, this is a long time ago. But yeah. if it wasn't for Al Baker, I don't know if Johnny O'Mara. I mean, Johnny's got a, a good heart, and he's he's determined, and he works out. He's got a good worth ethic and stuff. But Al Baker is the one that turned Johnny O'Mara around because his dad didn't help him. Yeah, oh, is that right? Johnny's dad didn't help him much, no. If it wasn't for Al Baker, I don't know if Johnny would be where he's at today. Wow. I, and I think if you ask Johnny O'Mara, he would say, I owe all, the, all this to Al Baker. Mm. Yep. Crazy. How much, so so? at what point did you start getting Yamaha support then? Like, take us through the end of that year and into 81. Yeah, 81, uh, you know, um, that's when I went back to a Yamaha, and, uh, you know, I rode a few nationals <laughs> that so year. So they didn't keep you on after you punched out? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it. I, I think the team, uh, the team, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the team uh, went away after, after 1980. That yeah, okay. that was it. They just had 1980. The funds were drawn up. Uh, Johnny got the factory Honda ride. Um, I got a factory Can-Am ride. Okay. So, but Can-Am there again, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the bike like a factory yeah. Honda was. I mean, last time I, I think the, in 1979, Jimmy Weiner rode it. But prior to that, 74, 75, those bikes were good when Jimmy Ellis was riding. When for was Tripes riding those? Uh, probably right around that same time okay. in the mid 70s or so. If I remember right, didn't he say they were really fast, but they broke a lot and they didn't handle it? it Absolutely. Like yeah. yeah, we went through so much time, and, and they didn't develop it. I only lasted a, a half a year with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they paid me the contract, which was nice, you know. And uh, Colby Honda, Andy Colby ran the uh, – he was a distributor of Honda, selling the bikes and everything. And he um, he ran the race shop, and it was in Woodland Hills, California. My dad was my mechanic, which was nice. He didn't have to – Go plaster houses. He sure. got a salary to, to go with me, and and that was awesome to be, you know spend that time with my dad and everything. And uh, but um, yeah, that's what I got. And then after the Can Am deal, I went Juan Benavides and me. We were teammates, and um, you know I remember at Saddleback uh, they had an air index to the uh, the backbone of the motorcycle right behind the armor plate. That's where the air went into the air box. Okay, and we would we would stretch out the frames. I mean, you know, a steering degree angle is 29, 28. We would stretch them out to like Harley size, you know, 50 okay. degree steering. You couldn't <laughs> even more turn stability them. or what were you looking for? No, we were breaking the bikes, jumping, and they weren't handling. Oh, oh I see what they, you're yeah, saying. They, you were stretching they, them by riding them. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the backbone was just stretching oh, out. It was just all kinds of stuff. I remember one year at the, the, the Kansas uh, Supercross. Well, Hannah and Hanson, Donnie Hanson, all those guys, Jimmy Gibson, all the guys at Seattle Supercross, they, they go, man, we like when you go out there and we follow you. I go, what the hell are you guys following me for? I'm just a rookie in this Supercross. What can you be learning from me? He goes, well, when you go through the whoops, your bike is so low, you knock down the tops. <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking, 
Are you kidding me? Here's Thanks my, a lot, you here, dicks. Here's my idols. You know, they're just, you know, I'm thinking. So that was one of the things with, you know, back in Jimmy Ellis's day and, you know, the frames were lower and everything. We, we told him, hey, you need to bring the cradle of the motor. It has to come up. We need more clearance yeah. because it's not working for me. So I was excited. Flying Tigers flew in a new bike from uh, Valcor, Canada, which is on Montreal because that's where Can-Am was from. Flew it down and get the new bike, right? I go, I, I can't start it. They raised it up, you know, where the Kickstarter hit the frame now. I had to bump start it on oh, a Supercross. you kidding me. No, like a dirt tracker. I thought I was like, you know, Bob <laughs> Schober or, or these guys, you know, bump starting a motorcycle at it, 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 uh, the Supercrosses. And, you know, I would get them into the main, but then I would have a problem. I'd crash. I can't start that motorcycle by myself, pushing it. Rolling you know? it to the top of a jump. Yeah, it's just not going to get in trouble for going backwards on the track like Danny Chandler and stuff, yeah. you know. For So the, yeah. the Kickstarter wouldn't even go down? Well, just, no, and I can't yeah. believe they sent it like that. So that that was just, it was just, uh, you know. A mess, huh? yeah, it was a re real mess. And I, I'll never forget one time in uh, Atlanta at an outdoor national, they had this river. And in order to get to the starting line, you had to cross over this bridge to get into the river, right? Okay. So uh, uh, um, everyone's already lined up. I'm late because there's something wrong with the bike. It, the carburetor was just bull, bull. So I'm coming down. I'm getting ready. To, and right when I just bull, and all of a sudden it just grabbed me. And next thing I know, I'm in the water. Come on. I fell into the water because the bike grabbed a handful of throttle. And I just went, ah. Oh. I'm done, guys. I'm sorry. I, I can't take this abuse anymore. Motor's up. Bike's not working. Frames are breaking. I mean, wheels are breaking. We have to either quit and redevelop this bike the next, you know, the rest of the year. And they said, no, we're just going to pull out of racing. We'll pay you your contract money. And I said, okay, fine. So then I went back to Yamaha and I got, you know, Yamahas and uh, started racing Yamahas again. Okay. So that was 80. Two? Eight, eight, no, that was uh, eighty one. That was eighty one, and okay. then eighty half of way through, I started riding the Yamas again, just local races, because you know I just I didn't have yeah. yeah. But then eighty three is when I went back out on the assault with the Yamaha and, and riding Supercrosses and two fifty nationals. What were you doing through eighty two? Just riding local races. Okay. Yeah, just trying to. Uh, yeah, get 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 my confidence back up and just kind of regrouping and stuff. Yeah. You know, I had a, a rough time, you know. Yeah. I just uh, It's frustrating. It, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, believe me, there was a number of times when I felt like quitting, but I just said, no, I, I love the sport. And, uh, you know. What were, you, what were you doing to make money? Do you have side jobs through that yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. A little bit of construction Same here with, and there. Same stuff, stuff with your uncle and dad. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. And then okay. that's, what, that's what, to be honest, David, that's what got me to uh, – keep going because you know i I'd, I'd i'd pull up on a job and you know my dad he was you know building apartment buildings you know four or five stories you know with a gun out there you know it pumps some mud through and they get it on the walls and everything well my job was to mix the mud down in the mixer and dump it in the pump and pump it up to the walls right mm -hmm. well, i'd pull up on a job and man there's a big sand pile there's 200 sacks of cement they weigh 94 <sighs> pounds a sack i'd have to pick one up break it open with my elbow on the top, open it up, hit the water, put the water, 25 shovels of sand, mix it up, drop it in the hopper all day long. And my dad had a guy, his, he was a, a, um, a, a colored gentleman, Bubbles. I'll never forget Bubbles. He says, your old man is crazy. He's crazy, <laughs> man. He's going to kill us on this sand pile. 
I go, <laughs> I know, but he, he'd run the gun. He, he would run it wide open, wide open that thing. So he'd be up on the third story just, oh, <laughs> just spraying the walls down and everything, right? He goes, I got a fix for your old man. I go, really? What, what are we going to do, Bubba? Because I don't want to get in trouble. My old man, he'd kick my ass, man. He'd take a little rock and he would put it in the mix. So when it pumped up, there's an orifice to get the spray pattern on the wall. It would hit that orifice and it would knock it down to the bottom of the floor. My old man would shut the gun down. He'd yell, Bubbles! Gosh dang you! You put another rock in! But it gave us the time to get our breath and go down there and pick up you know, the orifice. He'd have to rinse it off, right? So, I don't know, a couple weeks later or whatever, Bubbles doesn't show up. So it's all me, baby. All oh, me today. No. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? Bubbles isn't here to help me, man. I go, Jesus. Anyhow, I'm, I'm trying to keep up. And uh, I didn't let the mud mix all the way, right? So it's got sand and it didn't mix and I dropped it in there. And they call it a sand pack. I mean, there's a, a two-inch hose, you know. Yeah. It got a sand pack. Uh, the, the sand Balls packed in. Sand, yeah, yeah, and, and it ain't pumping over. But that machine is still going, and it's still pumping, pump. But it ain't the mud's not coming out. My dad shut it down. He man, I thought he was gonna kill me that day, because if if that hose would have broke, it would have killed some guys, because it would just the hose would go like that and knock guys off the scaffold. And I said, man, I'm sorry, Dad, I didn't know. He goes, if you got to shut the machine down, you shut it down, but you do not ever do that again. And they have to take a sledgehammer, and they got to beat on the top of the hose to, to break, break up the up. sand pack to get it through. And when they did that, there were four guys on the hoses. My dad's beating on that thing, and when that thing let loose, it still knocked those four guys down, not all the way on the scaffold, but, you know, that knocked them off. And I said, okay, I'm sorry, Dad, you know, and I just... I, You'd be like, Dad, I need another guy. <laughs> like, I need some help. Well, I just, you know, I, I'm a 16-year-old I'm kid. Dad you know, sounds pretty whatever. gnarly, huh? It's really gnarly. Was your dad pretty... Oh, yeah. yeah big heavy hands. Heavy-handed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of those guys, you know. Yeah, we... Man, I remember one time when I was a kid growing up, uh, man, he got pissed at me for something. And you remember those garage doors that were aluminum, the old school ones? Yeah. Man, he kicked my butt, and he... Kicked me right through the garage door, man. I was on the other side. <laughs> then I had to fix the garage door after. <laughs> yeah. But I love him. I mean, he passed away. Quit to, bleeding he, on my garage yeah, floor. Now fix yeah. that door you put all in. He, he passed away in uh, 2013 cancer. But uh, oh, no, nah, I, I owe him everything. I mean, uh, to this day, I wouldn't be who I, I am without my old man. He, uh, he taught me a lot. You know, he didn't have a lot. But he taught me to be real, uh, you know, like getting back to the sand pile thing on 82. He said, look, you don't get back to racing. This is what you get forward to looking for. Because I didn't have a high school education. I quit in, in uh, well, there again, I punched the teacher. Um, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that story in a sec. But anyhow, he says, this was, is what you get forward to looking to construction. Because you have no education. You have not, nothing. You know, you're not going to be a doctor. You're not going to be a lawyer. This is what you, so you better twist that throttle. And uh, it's funny, Eric Kehoe and George Hall and those guys, you know, they'd say, hey, you've been on the sand pile this week, haven't you? I go, why? What do you mean? Well, look at my number plates, man. You're ramming in. Getting, <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to get out of the way. I got to make that money. I don't want to be on that sand pile. But uh, I, had, uh, I had dyslexia uh, when I was a young kid, uh, and school was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And the way how they found it, my dad was number 23, uh, his dirt track number. And my mom found it because she goes, well, what number are you, Jimmy? And I said, well, I'm 23 like Dad. 
So this side of the helmet, I put 23. But on this side, I had 32. Because the two was up front. I figured the two was up front. Cisco's, well, no, it's wrong. I go, no, no, it's not. This is. So anyhow, I got tested. I had dyslexia. Mm -hmm. So school was really hard for me, especially math. I, I, and, and to this day, I balance all my checkbooks and all my accounts to a T. But I still miss. Every once in a while, gosh, dang it. That 54, I put 45, you know, I, so I still have a little. But anyway, I was in uh, 10th grade in high school. That's when you first started high school. And uh, in junior high, and I, I'm letting it out to the world, man, because I, I think that, you know, the younger kids, you, you, you got to, you know, uh, you know, I used to have to take Ritalin and stuff when I was in school, you know. Oh, really? Back then? Me down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ritalin, yeah. I, I'd come home in, in grammar school. I got out of they, my teacher would go, oh, Jimmy, it's time for you to go take your pill at 10 o'clock. I'd have to take the riddle and to calm me down because I was getting all crazy. If I didn't have motorcycles, I would have been in jail probably. Wow. But 12 o'clock after lunch, I'd go home because that's it. They couldn't keep me. That was, you know, all, that was all they could take. That, that's all they could take <laughs> of me. So when I got to junior high, I went to EH, Educational Handicap Classes. Okay. And I told my mom and dad after ninth grade, you know, going to high school i said look 10th grade i don't want to be in those classes because you know you got chicks and stuff and i'm in a special class it's not going to work you know mm -hmm. so i want to really buckle down first half you know i had a c average you know or whatever just barely getting a c you know but it was really hard you know mm. you were working hard for that c working really hard yeah. you know and uh i was i'll never forget the guy he was from india man he seemed like a nice guy mr upadier i'll never forget his name never forget i wish i could see him i should probably try to look him up on facebook but anyhow i'm in mr upadier's class i'm sitting up front because i really need to look and focus on what's going on and i couldn't get this 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 quite i couldn't get this answer man i math, just couldn't math, yeah okay. math and he just was grilling me oh jim jim you shouldn't be in this class you eh you should be eh and all the 35 kids behind me when i'm just and i'm going uh, i just got my head down like this and i go man i go i go let's talk about this later no jim you should be in and he kept going and going and it was just all building up i got up boom hit him knocked him out and i just left and that was it. I was done. This was this. The, the, these classes were like Spicoli. You know, the, the guys in the back smoking the dope. You know, they would get a, a airplane, a paper airplane. They'd light it up, and they and they had the holes in the ceiling, and it would land in there and light the ceiling. So this was a really disruptive class for me. Anyhow, okay, not a good place for me to you know go like a monkey. You know, monkeys are calm, and then all of a sudden the other monkeys get crazy. That's me. You know, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, the other monkeys were working you up. Yeah, they were working me up. So anyhow, they they I, I left and uh, I I didn't come back. They 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 had a a program called uh, you know for pregnant people or, or stoners Maternity. I like okay. to call you know they couldn't handle the class. They put me in one of those, but everyone smoked. You know I'm racing. I'm an athlete. You know I didn't belong here. I went like two days and I said, look, I quit. I went back to my mom and dad. I said, look, I'm pursuing my racing career. I'm not going to work at McDonald's. If the racing career does not, you know, pan out, then I'll go back to school and I'll try to, you know, figure out what I'm going to do in my life or whatever. But i tell you one thing, though. Old Mr. Upadia, he was a little bit scared of me because when I, when I came back with one of my first contracts, I said, hey, remember me? You called me, oh, Jim, I'm stupid. I'm I make more than you now, buddy. You didn't do oh, that. Oh, I did do that. <laughs> Absolutely. What did he say? 
Oh, he just was like terrified. Terrified that I was even, he thought I was going to punch him again. I go, I'm not going to hit you. I go, I just want you to read that, buddy. I go, don't, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that, you know, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean. Well, and for him to do that in front of the class, oh, that shit, my that's mom, inappropriate. My mom Man. lit up the, the principal and everything because he looked at my records and he looked and told everybody my record. I couldn't go back to school. I couldn't face anybody anymore, man. Yeah. Some some guy's going to get in a beef with me and say, oh, you're EH, man. Boom, I'm going to hit that guy again. Now I'm in trouble again. Yeah. So mm. I just said, I'm out. Mm. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, it worked out. Um, so you have that has to give, leave you with like um, a razor focus on, okay, I'm making racing happen. I have to. Yeah. Or I'm going to be on the sand yeah. pile with bubbles. I use this analogy all the time. Again, people are probably sick of hearing it, but uh, when Cortez came to to Mexico, mm-hmm. he ordered all of his crew to burn the ships when they landed. He said, there's no going back. We're either right. going to die or we're going to conquer this land, and this is our new home. Right. It was like leaving that no no other options. This is it. And it's risky. Sure. But it's you, scary a for lot me. Of, yeah, sometimes it works out a lot of times. seems like it's a— Worked out for me. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay, so 80, so then 82, you went back on the—that was 80. That was 82, 80, 80, okay. 83. 83, okay. I went back up. And it was good. It was okay. I was average, you know. Was Yamaha giving you any support then? A little or? bit. Some bikes and parts and stuff. Maybe, okay. you know, they felt bad for me or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, I'm loyal to Yamaha. I mean, I'm still a Yamaha guy, and they still help me out with bikes. But uh, Well, we are too. We're Yamaha yeah. Yamaha show, so we love it. Um, so take me through 83. 83 was good. It, it was okay. You know, I mean, it, it could have been better, but I was getting my, you got to remember that I didn't have a lot of experience still on all the courses and, and mainly Supercross. So the Supercrosses, uh, you know, I, I think. And it, uh, was, it was, that was building steam. Supercross oh, absolutely. Time, yeah. I think that's when Ronnie, he, he just came into it. He was 16 year old kid. I think he mm-hmm. won his first Supercross in San Orlando Diego. back then. Well, and, San, well, Diego. San Diego yeah. and then Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, um, yeah, it was okay. Still doing it as a privateer, um, you know, out of my van. I, I bought a van. In 80, 82, I, I did a lot of uh, Canadian races, you know, like uh, arena crosses and things like that, some Golden States and things, just to keep myself uh, honed in, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it was okay. 83 was okay. My better years were 84, 85, 86. Yeah. Those were my good years. Well, that's what I have here. That was sort of your sweet spot. You were – Yep. 85, you were fifth overall in the Nationals. Yeah. Uh, 86, fifth in Motocross, sixth in Supercross. Yeah. Eighth in the 500s uh, the yeah. following year. I won so the that, World Supercross Championship in uh, yeah. 85. That was a good run for me. So, like, 83, 84, were you – I kind of always – one of the things when I think of you is you traveled, man. You, you'd go anywhere there was a race going on if they were paying some money. Well, or I'd go to Japan and teach schools. Yeah. You know, on a weekend off, I'd fly to Japan just were, to make money. Were you doing that in 83, 84, or yep. was this a little later? No, okay. 84, I was doing it too, and 83. And how'd you make those connections? Hiro Sato uh, was a guy that uh, promoted, uh, helped promote the Tokyo Supercross and okay. stuff. I think 84 is the first year that we went over there and stuff. So he, he hooked me up with a lot of people, hooked me up with uh, Mitch Arai. You know, and I was just there a couple of years ago and saw Mitchie, and it's cool to see him third generation, you know, and Arai Helmets. Uh, you know how they, they came about, Arai Helmets? Mm-mm. They made the f- fire helmets for the Japanese firemen. Oh, you're kidding. No. That's that's, that's how, how Mitch got into the helmet business. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So that's anyhow, cool. so I, I, I was doing a lot of that stuff in uh, – 
83 and, and um, 84 was a good year for me. You know, I had uh, my dad was still helping me out. Haas, Jerry Ireland, uh, he, he was uh, uh, a local pro, big guy, you know, helped me out. I still help him out. He's a good guy. Um, but uh, anyhow, he, I, I bought a van, you know, I had a Toyota truck. Um, and we were working out of the back of the Toyota truck. and uh, Got the that, Nationals and Supercrosses. Yeah, there. that just wasn't cutting it. In the uh, Calgary, Canada, in February, I went up there. And oh. I crashed one time because my throttle cable had froze, you know, because of the freezing weather up there in, in an outdoor truck. So we had made a lot of good money. Cantaloupe and I were up there. Gary Denton, a lot of us guys were up there racing. And Stu Peters and Sandra, they were putting it on with the Canadian promoters. So... We come back through Oregon, and uh, Bobby Hansen and his mom and dad lived there and stuff. And I told Haas, I said, hey, take the, uh, take the truck and head on home. Well, what are you going to do? I said, don't worry about it, man. Just go on home. I'll see you at home. I wanted to surprise him. So I bought a brand-new uh, Chevy van uh, in Roseburg, Oregon. Okay. And I used the address there because no sales tax and mm -hmm. stuff. So I saved some more money there. So I brought it home, and I showed Haas and my dad. I go, hey, what do you think? And, and he goes, my dad goes, well, where's the cruise control? I go, that was extra. I go, I don't want cruise control. Where's the air conditioning? I don't know air conditioning in here. I just a stripped van, man. It's just to keep the bike, you know, warm yeah. or whatever. Well, I'm Roll surprised you didn't have stuff stolen in a pickup. Well, we really, uh, we, we, would, uh, we were really good about chain yeah. and stuff. Make sure the hotel door is right here. We're on the bottom floor. It's backed up. We would take the battery out of the truck just so in case someone hotwired us, take the whole thing, you know. We take the toolboxes out, the gear bags. A lot of times we would just take the bike out and put it in the hotel room. I'm sure you've done that before too. Mm -hmm. It's just uh yeah, I mean uh yeah, I mean, it's just the sacrifices that you do. I remember one time uh, we were at uh, St. Louis for a national and hit it rained, right? And, and I got there and I'm unloading my gear and I just went, oh, man, my gear was pink because it was, it was, uh, it was red. red and it rained and it got wet and then it <laughs> changed into pink and I had to ride pink that day and I just went you know after that the throttle it's time to get a van yeah so I got a van you know those don't even stop thieves if they really want it though I, no, no. I remember one year this is only maybe 10 years ago a buddy of mine <laughs> Nate Holly you may Say, know yeah you know Nate Holly you well, I've heard the name yeah he went riding that day so he came to the race uh in his van and I'm talking blacked out windows like nice van you know in the pro park not not in the pits but in like the parking for staff and stuff sure and i'm walking after the race we're walking out to his van and you just see a dirty set of tire marks backed out and wheel like gone. the bike got wheeled off yeah toolbox bike everything gone right out of the anaheim parking lot at the race yeah st louis isn't good i mean we no. we, we had a andy boyer and uh, i we had a rent a car and christine uh cannon and uh they stole our car yeah, they stole the rental car on Friday. <laughs> some, yeah, some of these. But players. Andy left the keys in it, though. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that there's people wandering around looking for cars with keys in them, right, sucks. Uh, all right, so eighty-three, eighty-four, you're kind of racing everywhere. Did you have more Yamaha support in eighty-five? Kind of when yeah, that, that yeah, was, eight, that eight, seemed like eight, that was your yeah, season. Yeah, eighty-four, I had good support from Yamaha. Eighty-three okay. was yeah. Probably whatever I'd say fifty percent support. Okay. And then eighty four, it was man eighty eighty uh, eighty percent. You know. Okay. Uh, 
support or whatever. But that's when the, the YZ buck program came in. So I was making good money as okay. a privateer. I mean, you know, the, if you're running in the top 10, which I was doing, uh, you know, you, you could knock down an extra three or $4,000 in YZ money, which was good. Yeah. And I wasn't buying the bike, so that was good. That was the savings there. And Were yeah. they giving you performance parts, engine stuff? A little bit, a little bit stuff, little, yeah. A little back door. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you take this. We all had those mechanics yeah, that exactly. we'd be friends with. Yep. And, yeah. Well, uh, Dave Osterman, he was, he was uh, he would help me out a lot, too. Okay. Yeah, Dave was, he was a good guy. He was working for Mike? Yeah, yeah, he was working for Mike, uh, and... Um, but, you know, David went to uh, Japan with us and stuff and Haas, and we'd come back. We'd stop him. But Dave grew up in the Valley, too, mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah. Okay, cool. So take me through that 85 season. That was, like I said, you won the World Supercross Championship. Was that the first year they did it? Yeah, first year. And how what, – what rounds were included in that, or how did that work? Well, the final round was uh, L.A. Coliseum, and uh, John Vanderberg and me were battling – uh, he's from Holland and a uh, nice guy. Still keep in touch with him every once in a while. But it went to Europe, you know, Sweden. I think I got second in Sweden. I think Ronnie Lachine won it. Um, then it went to Spain, I think. I can't remember all the rounds. But the final round was in uh, in Los Angeles. And, that man, I was so nervous. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even transfer out of the heat race. I crashed and uh, had to come through the semi, you know, just – Riding like a ragged edge. I mean, I remember everybody that was helping me out, my dad and everybody around and stuff, saying, hey, man, just take it like it's one race, man. Just don't don't, don't get into... That's easier said than done, though, isn't it? Well, it, it is. And uh, But anyhow, I, I think I finished fifth that night, and that also was a little bit of a debacle because Mike Goodwin was promoting it, and that's when he said, oh, well, the Europeans are over, so we're going to have that two-wave starting gate. If you win your heat race, mm -hmm. you have to start on the back row, and if you don't, you start on the front row. That's You've seen the videos when of RJ's Johnson. There, and, yeah. yeah, he's talking, and then you see Ronnie and, and uh, David Stanfield saying, oh, you should get an Academy Award for that act around. We would go up the peristyle, and then all of a sudden you didn't see him come out, you know, and the camera would see him, and he's just sitting there waiting, you know, for guys okay that's second that's the okay i'll go now and i'm gonna start on the front row it didn't work i mean they were trying something you know and yeah i'm thinking darn man you guys are trying it and this is one of my biggest races yeah <laughs> but i was on the front row luckily not because i i crashed and i had to come through the semi yeah so i, I you was, were just uh, tight I was nervous so yeah. tight nervous and i i just had to beat john and that's it and and glover wasn't riding that day because he broke his uh navicular so he was, but John had Brock's bike. I'm thinking, man, Yamaha is really stacking this up. We're both Yamaha. Yamaha's going to win it either way. It's either going to be a Dutchman or it's going to be an American. Yeah. But either way, we're going to be one, two, because we had way more points than yeah. uh, third. And, uh, but I ended up uh, getting fifth, and I think John ended up eighth or something. But it, it was good. Davy Stribos was over there, and John Van Dorn was over there. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of European yeah. guys. Eric Gabors, I think, wrote it. Joe Bay might have wrote it that year too. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, those were good. The, a lot of the top European guys, except for Gabors, he re, he really liked riding Supercross, but a lot of them really didn't like uh, riding. Like Hack and Carlquist, he he never rode in Sweden. I never rode against him mm. um, because they just yeah they they just they just weren't into you know Supercross yeah. was too gnarly for him. Mm. Yeah, it, it's. It's interesting. We had uh, Danny Laporte on, and we were, I was asking him about, and, and Brock, both about the jumps early on. And I said something like, well, you know, there wasn't crazy 
technical gnarly jumps, right? It was pretty much like a motocross track just shrunk in and said, well, the thing was they were built so shitty, you know, like there's no transition. So you'd bottom out or they were just built the wrong way, you know. Uh, and, like and someone took an old tractor out there that didn't know what they were doing and built it. Well, and that's just it. I mean, y- you can have a guy that grades pads for homes, you know, and, and that's how they were, like this, boom, like yeah, this. That, everything's square. Yeah, it, it doesn't – It doesn't. you, you got to have somebody who's ridden a motorcycle, um, that like John Savitsky. You know, he rode, so he rode it with Hannah and all those guys. So he knew how to build tracks, you know, back mm-hmm. then. But in, in the early years, I mean, those, those tracks were horrible. And they yeah. had quads. Yeah. Quads at the LA Coliseum where you got your hauling butt, you know, fourth gear, you just whoa, you just huck a big jump and land. And, and the transition wasn't like, you know, now it's like this, you know, the transition, you'd miss that transition, you'd flat land it. Yeah. And, but that's just, that's yeah. just how they had it, you know, that's just, and uh, your, what your it was. suspension wasn't nearly as nope. dialed in as it is now. Well, and, and also today's tracks. Look at what they do in between uh, the races. They go out there and groom the first turn, yeah. take down the ruts, fix the whoops. Everything. We didn't have none of that back then. I yeah. mean, it was just, yeah, built the track, run it, maybe at halftime or not at halftime after practice or whatever. They'd fix it up a little bit, but it was just, you know, they'd run yeah. it. Yeah. Sketchy. Yeah. Um, so how good did that championship feel to win? I mean. Oh, it was great. I mean, it was. What was uh, that like afterwards? It was, uh, it was, uh. Yeah, it was uh, a relief. Yeah. You know, like a, a bunch of weight came off mm-hmm. your shoulders. You got it. The money was good. You know, I think I sent you a picture of the yeah. check. You know, that was pretty good money. It was almost thirteen grand. That yeah. was just in my bonus from the FIM, you know, to win the thing. Not not counting Yamaha or not counting O'Neill or, you know, Scott or, or uh, you know, all the other sponsors. But sure. it, was, it was good. It was nice to travel. I always tell people that, you, you know, they always look and they say, well, you didn't graduate high school. But you know what? I lived my life great. I went to Europe, all over the world. I didn't read it out of a book. I went to the place, yeah. Yeah. you know. I, I went to Holland. Uh, you know, I, I saw all the, the history that it has to offer. Spain, everywhere. Japan. I mean, I speak a little Japanese enough to get around, you know, and stuff. I mean, uh, so, I, I mean, in that respect, uh, you know, I'm blessed. I, I just think it's awesome that I, uh, you know, you asked me earlier in the show, would I change anything different? No, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't mm. think so. I, yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think it was uh, a, a a good experience for me. Yeah, and that, that's a that's an education you can't get in a classroom or a book. Can't buy it. It's, can't buy it's it. It's different, right? Like they may know dates or they may teach you little details, but man, to actually go there and see things. Um, yeah, like Anne Hayes's house and all that stuff. How all that stuff transitioned from the Germans and where they hid out and everything, you know, and Frank, all, all that stuff. I mean, all, all it, it's just interesting to go back there and live and just. You know, see the different lifestyles. And that's what I tell everybody, you know, the young people. I said, you know, you really need to get out of the United States. Yeah. You know, and you need to go experience uh, other, other cultures and see how they live over there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that'll pique your interest. It, it's too bad we couldn't do that earlier on. Like, uh, I've been fortunate enough to take my girls to Europe a couple of times. And, and, you know, they're in junior high. And so I'm hoping, my hope is that, because I've taken them to Stonehenge, we've been to London and Paris and seen all those things. When they start reading about it, it'll it'll be like, that's real. I've been there. Yeah. You know, and then it'll it'll be more interesting to them. And they'll engage more. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> it doesn't seem real, right? You're reading about it, and you're no. like, okay, yeah, whatever. But when you go there and you, see and you stand person. under the Eiffel Tower, even and go, wow, yeah. 
So they were Allied forces were stacking planes and tanks and stuff under here because the treaty didn't allow them to bomb this. Like, right? Wow. You or, know? or Normandy or whatever. Any of it. it. It's fascinating yeah. when it actually comes to life. Like that. I remember one time you talk about Europe. Uh, one of my first times going over there for Giuseppe Luongo. Mm. Uh, I was in a race in Italia. I, I'm flying over on TWA. I'm dating myself now. Transworld. Everybody's Airlines. smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. I'm flying there, and I, I met this hot flight attendant. She was hot, and she's going, "What are you doing?" I go, oh, "I'm going. I'm, we're landing in Paris." And she goes, "Well, I'm going to be here for, you know, a few days or whatever before I turn around and come back." Well, I got to go do a race, and then I'm going to go over to Holland and the Yamaha factory there. Then I got to go to Sweden. Blah blah blah. So I get there, and um, nobody picks me up. Nobody. And this is back, you know. Pre-cell phone, obviously. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. And, you know, the Italians, you know, they're, they're at the track already. They're, I can't get a hold of them. And I, and I, I, I mean, I called the number that I had at a pay phone. Hey, guys, I'm here at the airport. Two hours later, hey, guys, I'm still at the airport here. I'm at this place here. I need to be picked up. And I'm thinking, man, it's... <laughs> Hey, guys, there's a hotel. I walked across the street. I'm staying at this hotel tonight. I'm here. And nobody called me. No, nobody. And so I went, like, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know, I got to see that. Walked on, you know, and yeah. I'm experiencing all that. And then on Sunday at, like, 10 o'clock, nobody's come and got me. I go, hey, guys, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> I, I go, qualifying's over on Saturday. It's 10, I, I, you know, uh, I guess I'm going to go to Holland or whatever. But I didn't go to Holland. Anybody who knows me, I went back to Paris and I hooked up with the TWA flight attendant and we installed the Eiffel Tower. We experienced all that. And then I went on to uh, to Holland, you know, after that. They contacted me, Giuseppe, uh, in uh, Holland. And he sent my money, my star money in there. He goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. We forgot. You know, we got busy and we got all your messages when we got into uh, the office on Monday. And I go, oh, yeah, I mean, I was there, man. I was I got the receipt for the hotel. And he knew, you know, he, you know, took care of you. At least took care yeah. of me. I, I have a great respect oh, for shit, it. Turned out to be a great weekend for you. It was an excellent weekend. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> That's the right way to experience Paris. huh? That's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I mean. I couldn't read about it in a book, but yeah, I just jumped on a flight noon or whatever, flew back, called her and said, Hey, I'm, I'm I got time Saturday night. Let's go to dinner or uh, Sunday night. Let's go to dinner. Huh? You old motorboat and bastard. You, <laughs> um, okay. So, you had good seasons, you know, the, the Outdoor Nationals, you were fifth, fifth or sixth, both those seasons. What about 85, 86 in, in those, those were strong. I mean, you, you got to remember, like, when we rode um, the Nationals, those were, you know, 45 plus two, two laps, you know, and, not like and that today. Was, it was stacked, man. RJ, Wardy. Well, I mean, it, Glover, it, it was Go stacked in different, at, at one point, and, and this is what I really liked early in my career, you could go to a national and you would see a 125, a 250, and a 500 all in the same day. Mm. You would see all of us, but we had to pick which class we were in. Then they changed it where, okay, what we're going to do is you, the 125s will be all 12 rounds, but the first half you'll be on a 250, and then that'll be a champ. And then the second half you'll be on a why, 500. Why did they do that? I don't, I don't know. I, uh. I think that they wanted to, uh, you know, more guys that were there. Uh, to show guys, I, I kind of like the 125, 250, 500. That way, you got all three disciplines, yeah. and you got all three different guys. But uh, and and each, all three classes were at every single round. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Which, but they did away with that. They they did yeah. away with it the next year. Probably tough to get that much racing in. Yeah, in a day. Yeah, it but. was. It was. But uh, but that's how it was. You know, a long time ago. That's yeah. that's what they did. And I, I thought that was cool for the fans. You know, they got yeah. the chance as opposed to. Well, we're going to go watch uh, a 125 and a 500 national. Yeah. Well, man, I wanted to see Bailey or Johnson or O'Mara or whoever mm -hmm. on a 250. Well, you got to wait till that comes back and then they'll be or, there. Or if it was a 500 round, a lot of times those guys, if, if they didn't make a 500, then they'd have to drop to the 125, right? Well, 125, you, you rode the whole class, but you could drop down if but you guys wanted would, to. Like Suzuki sure. guys, right? Oh, yeah. I yeah, know. Yeah. Larry Ward. Yep. Um, I don't know. There's yeah, because Suzuki didn't have a 500. Yeah. yeah. And and they would do that. Yeah, absolutely. But those were good years. I mean, those were fun years and, and making good money and everything. I remember one time in uh, at Daytona, I won my heat, and then I finished fourth in the main. And Glover was leading it. And I was second. Almost passed him a couple times. That's when Bailey rammed into me at the start, and he tried to uh, knock me down, but he ended up going down. He came from dead last to finish second. He should have waited. Oh, really? He, he would have got me. David was on a, on, a, on rails that yeah. day. Um, that was 84 or 5? Five? 5, I think. It okay. might have been Ricky's first year winning Daytona, but he would have beat Ricky that day, but he, he just got ended up running into yeah. me. And uh, yeah, Hannah was broadcasting with Larry Myers, and on the broadcast, he says, I don't know if I was David, I'd do that. Holly's a big boy, man. You ain't going to move him <laughs> out of the way. But uh, but he, he rode so good. And, and I got fourth that day, and I remember going out to dinner with Brock afterwards, and he says, Oh, man. He said, man, you made more than me. You make more than me. I go, I don't make more than you. I go, you got a salary. I, I got a little bit of one. You got it. Well, yeah, but today you did in Yamaha Bucks because Yamaha Bucks was good. Like, what was Yamaha Bucks paying back then? Was God, I, I can't read. I mean, if you made the main event, I want to say it was at least uh, 20th. I think it was at least... Uh, I found fifteen hundred bucks, fifteen, okay. seventeen, you know, uh, nineteen, you know. So if you get fourth, I mean, you're probably getting five grand. How know, could they afford to do that? I don't know. Believe me or not, I I don't know. But it that, was good. I, I cast those checks all like, uh, yeah. That <laughs> program was still going on when I was an amateur on mini yep. bikes and and intermediate big bikes, but it would be like. 300 bucks for a win per class. Well, that's but you'd because race four classes. they spent the money on us. <laughs> you guys and they had to it. cut it down for you guys. But no, you, I, th I think, I think to be honest, uh, Yamaha, I think when I saw my accountant that year, whatever, I think I got 1099. It was close to 50 grand that year wow. from Yamaha and YZ Bucks. He goes, What's this? And I said, Well, it's bonuses, you know. It's, and I then gotta actually, pay, I got to pay tax on it. Did they send check. you a check? Check, yeah. 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 Because then after they, they put it on the, the cards credit cards and, yeah. and, and they did all that stuff. And then they had the YZ Buck program where you could only buy parts. You could mm -hmm. go in Yamaha. But I knew enough Yamaha dealers where I would just give them that and they, they'd just give me, they'd write me a check. Yeah. So it's washed for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're going to. Well, I mean, I funded my racing program basically sure. with those. You know, I'd race three or four classes, 300 bucks a class. Right. That's twelve hundred dollars on a weekend. I mean, yep. shoot, a couple weekends you can go buy a new bike. Yeah, I so. remember after uh, my racing career. Remember, it was called the Pack West series. It was in the yeah. Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I could ride the plus twenty five or the the regular pro. Now I wasn't winning it. Jason McCormick or Ryan Huffman, those guys would. You know, they were. I was old. I yeah. was 
35 years old or something. Yeah. But I'd ride that class, I could ride the plus 25, and I could ride the plus 30. And it was structured where it was eight rounds, but you'd only have to be up there four weekends because Saturday would be round one, Sunday mm. would be round two. I knew a friend of mine up there, and I'd just fly into uh, Portland. I'd leave my van there after the races. I'd go wash it, catch the last flight out. I'd fly up on Friday, pull them out, change tire, gas up, clean the air filter, change oil, whatever I had to do. But I was making great money, and back then I think the Alaska Airlines had a you know was round trip was less than a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. so I, I wasn't hardly spending any money. Hotels, just Motel Six or whatever. But I was up there, and I I made great money, and uh, I didn't drive the van up there because I hated to drive. I had my uncle Joe; he drove the van up there. He helped me the first weekend. We flew back together. Then on the last round, he flew back up with me, I and I flew home, and he drove it back. <laughs> but uh, no, those were good money. I mean, I I think on the weekends I was probably making close to four grand on the Saturday Sunday. Jeez. So it, it was worth it to do it. You know, yeah, I'm crazy. all about the dollar. Were you, did you kind of hit the, um, there was a sweet spot for European races and I kind of missed it. There was, it, it must've been through the mid eighties to early nineties and guys were going over and getting just absurd money. A lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. And you know, not, not as much as the road race guys though. Oh really? Oh, road race guys. I mean, I, I flew home on a flight and what, it, Eddie why? Lawson. American? Really? Yeah, Eddie Lawson went, well, no, they were over there racing, you know, the GPs. Yeah. And I'd be over there doing, you know, a, a Supercross or whatever. And I, I'd stay over there for, you know, a month or whatever and hit all these races. And, you know, I, I remember one time, you, you're only allowed to bring in under 10 grand into yeah. the States, right? Yeah. I, I, I got like 40 grand on yeah. me. And I'm thinking, I'm sweating. Oh, I remember so, guys handing other guys stacks of cash, putting it in yep, boots I, and bags. I, I, and I, I, to this day, Kim Baxter, a friend of mine, she lives in San Francisco. I gave her and Martha, they were over there just, I didn't know them. I just met them on the plane. You got a lot of time to bullshit. <laughs> hey, guys, do me a favor, man. I'm going to hand you like five grand each. Can you carry it across and I'll get it on the other side? They were trusting. I, you know, I, yeah. I knew, you know, I mean, I didn't know them, but yeah, they could have like hid and ran, but you know, you can get away with a lot of stuff back then, but Anyhow, I, I talked to John Kaczynski and, and Eddie Lawson and Wayne Rainey, all those guys. You know, they're all buddies of mine. And they say, yeah, we're, Arch just gets wired into our bank accounts. I go, well, yeah, you guys are making hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you know, yeah. an appearance. And I'm getting 10 grand. You, yeah. you know, it takes me 10 races to make that 100 grand or whatever. Was that uh, MotoGP then or was it called something? Yeah, MotoGP, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, I mean, there's a lot of money in that. It's, it's tough to compare with Supercross, but yeah. But I remember guys like even guys who would be, let's say, a tenth place guy over here. They'd go over and get twenty grand, twenty five sure. grand for, yeah. a week, and I'm like, yeah, what? You just you, you got to tell and your that, dad you should have had you a little bit earlier. Yeah, no, I, I missed you it. Know, I really missed did it. miss yeah. the window because by the mid '90s, there was enough talent over there that they were still paying Jeremy. They were paying but, those guys still a ton. Yeah, but. But you, you, you talk about that, the talent, the younger generation European, I'm not talking the Hack and Carl Quishes and the Joe Bays and all those guys. Those younger guys picked up on Supercross, especially the French riders. Yeah. No, so was, you had all those guys. It was Roncada, right. Tortelli, Villeman, right. um, you know, and then everybody that really came after them. But that was the front wave of like, okay, we have some riders here now that are pretty solid. Right. We don't need to pay, you know, we'll pay the top American guys, but the rest of those 
third to tenth, they can stay home, or we'll give them a thousand bucks, right, or two thousand right, bucks right. to show up. I'd take the thousand or two thousand. Well, <laughs> it's just a chance to get your expenses paid and go to Europe and race a motorcycle, and I'm going to come back with a couple grand in my yeah. pocket. Sure, why not? So I did that the first handful of times, right? But then after you've been to Paris three times, right, yeah. and they're offering you two grand, you're like, oh, right. all right, I want to pay two hundred dollars for airport parking. I'm going to spend this much. I'm going to have to bust my ass for three nights. Like, I would be like, is it worth it? I'm going to make, I'm going to bring home $1,200. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I. Because there was no purse for that. Well, race. no. And, and I did a lot of stuff in, in Central America, Costa Rica and Guatemala and India. You know, I remember India. Uh, yeah. You went to some wild places, man. Like, yeah. No, I, I mean, they, they were paying. And, and like Central America was Philip Morris. You know, oh. Marlboro and, and those get like, you know. But Kodak, didn't Kodak bring a lot of people down to Kodak was, uh, well, that was more Ernesto Fonseca. He rode for Kodak when he was a little kid because uh -huh. he was on like a 50 or 60 when I was down there. Uh, myself and Willie Simons, we would go down there. And Gene Trombaugh, he, he worked for uh, Suzuki at the time. He was kind of bringing us down there. And uh, he was getting a cut from uh, Philip Morris. But, uh, yeah, great times. I, I remember Panama. I went down there and... Usually we'd have bikes, but for some reason, Yamaha, we shipped the bike for some reason. Okay. They couldn't, didn't have a YZ250 or something for me, so uh, we'll ship one. Never got there. I felt so bad for the uh, promoter. You know, I'm going, man, you know, I want to race. I want to race. So XT350 they had on display, Yamaha display down there. I grabbed that bike, and they said, well, would you race this? I What's go, yeah, an XT350? I don't even know. Four-stroke. Four stroke okay. back and then you know it's a it's a like a kind of a dual purpose bike but ah, what the hell I want to I want to race I want to have some fun you know okay what was the track is it a motocross track yeah motocross okay. yeah it wasn't too bad you know suspension was a little soft or whatever but anyhow so I remember I'm out and I'm leading the thing I'm having a great time right and the bike breaks someone forgot to put oil in it oh shoot yeah so then the story for the school. So it was in David, Panama, which is just outside Panama City. Okay. So I go, well, I'm done for the day, guys. You have no more bike. I did. I did everything in my power to race. I got my start money. Everything is good, right? I'm going to go down. I'm going to spend some time in Panama a couple of days. I want to see the ships. I want to see the locks, how they fill them up. It takes like 16 hours to get across. But I saw that. Kind of cool. Yeah. Had made money, you know. Another time in India, my uh, my bike, we shipped the bike there, and uh, I rode, and someone forgot to put oil in my two-stroke, <laughs> seized the motorcycle there, but that cat didn't want to pay me, but he paid me. Oh, you did punch him out? No, I didn't punch him out, but I got it. <laughs> I got, Carter, yeah. Carter Lowry was the guy. He was an accountant, and, uh, you know, and I was a little bit leery on going over. You have to be really smart, like India, like I'm thinking. We flew into Bombay, which is called Mumbai now, but then we had to take a train up to uh, Pune, India, and we had stayed there. Like Leif uh, Nicholson from Sweden, he'd come down. A lot of Europeans went there and stuff, so I go, all right, I'll go. So Carter Lowry says, okay, you're going to get whatever, five grand or whatever it was. I can't remember. And he says, you'll get it when you get over there. I said, no, 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 no. I, 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 want, I want at least half when I get there. And he says, uh, so he goes, okay, well, all right. And so then he calls me. He says, um, you're going to be, uh, you're gonna be uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to get you at 1500 And I go, okay. Uh, 1500 yeah, it's not half, but okay, I'll, I'll live with that. Mm -hmm. So he had a big black limo pick me up at, the, at my house, you know, and take me to the airport. But he wasn't in it. 
I'm thinking, I, I don't have my money. So I, I called him on the, the pay phone before, or my house phone before I left in the limo. I go, hey, Carter, I didn't have it. Oh, I'm going to meet you at the airport. He met me at the airport, but he only had 1000 I go, Carter, and I knew where he was at because where his office was because we did the deal and stuff, you know. And, and uh, so I went over there, and they said, and I said, it's all right. I'll go see Carter when I get home. And I got home, and I got the rest of my money because I, 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 I made it there. Mm-hmm. You know, we shipped a bike and everything, and, you know, fair is fair. You know, you, yeah. you, you make a deal with somebody, and, you know, it, even in when I do, you know, like some of my houses or whatever, I have laborers help me or whatever, I pay them on the day. I don't like owing people money. Here, mm-hmm. here you go. Here's, here's your wages. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. All that stuff. I, I don't like holding people's money up because people depend on it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. Um, what was, uh, well, well, we'll get to where that. So, um, you still got a lot to cross off. I got there. a lot to, sorry. I know this takes <laughs> a while. Just, I'm just teasing. I'm all right. I'm good. Um, so you made a switch in the late eighties to ultra cross. Yeah. Was, yeah. so, you know, 86, seven. That was Yamaha again. 80, 87 was my last year riding AMA professional. Um, and I'll never forget it. Binghamton, New York. Okay. Um, and, and I've had, you know, great success in Montreal at Supercrosses. I've, uh, I've won a couple of Montreal Supercrosses and, it, it, you know, it paid a pound of gold. And I still have that goal in my safe. Is that right? You yeah. should keep it. So you, oh, it's going to be. I am. It's, it's, it's worth. Uh, yeah. It's worth. I think. What is it? Eighteen hundred dollars an ounce or whatever. And funny story. Uh, Pierre Carbet was the promoter, right? And so I, I, the first year I won it, he, he, he goes and and he says, uh, he goes, he starts counting out these bars, you know, three, four, five, six, and twelve. He goes, there you go. There's your pound. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I go, it's 16 ounces to make a pound. He goes, no, uh, gold's measured in troy ounces, and it's 12 troy ounces equal a pound. I go, are you sure? And, and, and it is. Anyone knowing if they deal in gold, it's 12, 12 troy ounces equal a pound. Okay. I've never even heard of that term. Yeah. So anyhow, okay. so I got 12 bars, and I won that year. I won the backup year to it, back-to-back, uh, Mark Stelly Brass and stuff at Yamaha and you know, on a production bike, they ran big win ads and stuff. And Ross Rollerball was up there and stuff. And, uh, yeah, we had good times. But some of the times, like one time I, I, I was still – I rode on Saturday night, and then I had to do the National in Atlanta on mm. a Sunday. Oh, boy. Can't drive there. Can't fly commercial. Private jet for me. Yeah. Oh, I got a kidding. private jet all the way down to uh, New York City. And then New York City, I was able to catch a commercial flight at like five in the morning or something, and get me into Atlanta and get to the track to ride practice. Were you just a That's wreck all day? That's the kind of stuff. Yeah, but made money. Yeah. Yeah, I made money. But the but talk about '87. So anyhow, '87 Binghamton, New York was the national 500. Okay. And uh, I went I went up did, to Canada. Did you like riding the 500s? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Was that maybe of the, the three sizes that your favorite? I think so, because you, you really had to have good throttle control. Yeah. I mean, uh, 500 was a brutal machine, especially back then. I mean, you know, the 490s and stuff, the 465s, you know, yeah. those things were rattle traps or whatever. But uh, I, I really enjoyed them. But, okay. So I go up to Canada, did really well. I don't, I, it wasn't the gold one. But anyhow, I drove down, rode the National. I don't know what I got. Seventh, eighth. That Binghamton you know. Yeah, Binghamton. Okay. Did that. And that's back when you could go into the payout window at the AMA and you got paid cash. Did mm. they do that when you raced? Or was it just they um, mailed you the checks? Early, very first year. Okay. And then well, back switched. when I did, you, after you race, you'd go up to the window and they'd have an envelope for you and you'd give you your cash, right? 
So I'm looking at it, and I'm counting my money. I go, I told everybody in the line, JoJo Keller, Jeff Hicks, there I go, well, it's my last national, boys. I'm done. Because I was doing other stuff all over, and I was making good start money. But with that being said, you still have to get your name out there in AMA races so people know you. You just can't do international, and right, that's it. So, right. But that was it. That was, I was done because I made, you know, whatever, four or five grand and here I am, I'm, I'm busting my balls, or yeah, or whatever, yeah. for, you know, and I just said, that was it, I was done, I was over, and then Yamaha came to me, and they said, look, um, there's this series that they're running now called the Ultracross Series, you know, Walker Evans, Ivan Stewart, they raced the buggies, and Jimmy Johnson rode, I, I think, uh, the little ultra lights or whatever, I think Ricky Johnson might have been driving he a did truck, the trucks. yeah. yeah. So they said, we want you to race that series. And, and you went backwards on the track. Like yeah. the ramps were really like this for the trucks where they just come off and they just like that. Yeah. But the backside of it was like that. Well, we ran the tracks backwards. Yeah. So I won two uh, ultracross championships for Yamaha and Nolene, Clark Jones and stuff. Larry Brooks was on the team. Uh, Kyle Lewis. Uh, God, I'm thinking uh, Lowell Morale. No, was it Lowell Morale? Lowell Thompson. Lowell Thompson from... Mm -hmm. uh, Idaho. Idaho, he was on it. Uh, Sean, Sean Kalos was on it. So mm. we had a strong team. Yeah. But I, I ended up winning those championships, and those, those are a little bit, you know, those guys might have won more races, but I made more money because if you won your heat race, you got the little thing that hangs in the back taped on there. A streamer. A, a streamer. And matter of fact, you know Colin Morrison, the freestyle guy? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he scummy. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he wants me to sign a picture because he goes, "You got me into motorcycles." I thought that was so cool to have that thing <laughs> flying back, and and so I told him the story. If you won your heat race, there was twenty guys in the main event. Two, four, six, eight. You were on the back row. Yeah, yeah. Every guy you passed, you made money. So I could pass and I could work up to like fourth. But I would make more money fourth than the guy who won because I was making the money passing. And points were awarded how? Per pass, too? No, it was just how you finished up. But okay. for some reason, I ended up getting the championship two years. After that, I didn't, I didn't get any more. I, I, went, I went all the way till 92 or 93, and then I was just uh, – maybe 92, I think. And then okay. I was just too old. Yeah, I was beat down. So I did one ultra cross. Yeah. At Sun Devil Stadium in 93. That's right. what I was going to see how long you went. Um, yeah, it might have been 90, because 93, I might have been working for Yamaha Japan with my Japanese guys. And we'll okay. get into that story after. But uh, yeah, I think maybe 92 might have been my last year. Well, how'd, I, you, how'd you like it? I had just moved up to pro. I think it might have been the first ever pro race I did. Right. Uh, like big pro race. I think I had done some local ones. But I, they're telling me about this thing. Well, yeah, yeah the better, if you win your heat, you're in the back. And I'm like, well, I don't care about points. Right, you like just I want to try to win money. the race, so oh. you're telling me I should lay up. Lay so up, I, yep. I kind of took it easy in the heat. I think I got third or fourth. Yeah, started on the front row. Right, whole shot and took off. Yeah, and won. And you know, for me, I was stoked. Yeah, but like I think Larry Brooks, he would have still, still been there. Yeah, maybe Mike Craig. I can't remember. Yeah, Craig rode when I rode too. Okay, both uh, Tyson and Talon Volan rode. You yeah, know? and they were even, pissed. Even McGrath rode uh, when I was riding. McGrath and, and Ryan Hughes. Oh, they were starting their a lot careers. Of people jump in. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It was terrible. I'll, I'll never forget Sun Devil Stadium one year. Um, you, you remember when you uh, jumped? You know how the jumps were really steep. Yeah. You just sky and going. Well, it was a right hander. Okay, and the trucks were coming this way. Okay. All right. So they had the grooves. Remember how the grooves yeah. would get really yeah. bad in the trucks? So it was the start of the race, and I went in there, and I got my rear brake caught. 
on the, one of the ruts and it bent it around and locked it up and I, I, I laid it out. Another rider behind me hit my leg so hard, I thought I broke it. I'm on the ground going, oh, my leg, I think I broke my, my femur. Oh, it's in pain. I'm, I'm crying, I'm, oh, man. I was more crying, not the pain, that I might not be able to go to Canada <laughs> next week because they were paying five grand to start. And, and But it ended up not breaking, uh, so I was good, and I, and I was able to go up to Canada. But, uh, yeah, funny story about that. I was more worried about, you know, the next race where I could yeah. get start money, you know. Typical but, racer, right? Like, you don't even worry about the leg, or you're like, damn it, I can't race yeah. next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, those, I just remember thinking, this is the worst track I've ever ridden. It Turns was are all horrible, hard. It's, horrible. it's like after riding after quads had been out there. Blue groove, oh. blue groove. Those, those trucks that they, they would just lay down the blue. And we were always like, you know, one of the last main events to go out there because the crowd really loved us, you know, skying it out yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and you'd hit those ski jumps backwards. Yeah, and just pop. Just you get up. bucked. But yeah, you're going 20 feet in the air and landing flat. It was miserable. Anyway, I, that it's the I still kept that trophy. Cool. I still have it's like a wooden, you know, little janky wooden ones with a little plastic thing. Um, so, of all the places you traveled, Japan. <laughs> okay, is that no. your favorite? What were you yeah. gonna say? No, I thought that's who you were gonna say. What what place do you like the best? Well, we'll start with that question. Japan, yeah. huh? I, I, yeah, Japan. What, I, what about Japan? I, I really I've never been. Japan. I oh, really, really want to go. Oh, you should go with me sometime. I'm a little nervous. I'm kind Why? of a picky eater. And I'm afraid oh, I'm going to get over there and starve to death or no, just have to eat McDonald's. You're gonna, yeah. Don't be like Sean Wynn. He used to race with a Sean Wynn. I remember, remember Sean Wynn. Yeah. yeah, he would go to Australia with us. And that guy would go to McDonald's every time. I go, Sean, you eat what these guys eat. But they got steakhouses over there. What do you think? Uh, well, they got Kobe and Wagyu. Yeah, I know it's you all. see, you'll be all right. You're not going to starve. But, you, but you it's definitely a lot of fish. Try. And I, yeah. I can't eat uncooked fish, like something about it. Well, you know, they got cooked fish. I mean, they got cooked eel and stuff. You would be all right. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. You're I, trying to sell me on cooked eel right no, now? No, no. Cooked eel's great. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. You go to yeah. a season restaurant and ask I know, for eel. A lot of people do. I'm telling yeah. you, I can't do it. I'm a texture guy. So if it's like... Yeah. Slimy, gushy, I'm out. Yeah. Well, I'll throw up all over your shoes. Funny story, uh, Hideaki Suzuki, and I've worked with his son, Masaki, but Hideaki is an old school rider. Hideaki's probably 72 now or something. Okay. And uh, he was over here testing, you know, back in the 82 or 83 or whatever. And we were out, uh, you know, testing, and there was a couple horses. You know, over there, he's, oh, Jinza Uma, he wanted to go touch the horse. Oh, yeah, those will go ahead, you know. So he walks over there. I didn't, uh, honest to God, I didn't know it had a hot wire. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> he got him zapped. Yeah, but, but I, I didn't get him zapped. Yeah. He, he got himself zapped. So, so he couldn't figure out, he's going, come here, horsey, horsey, come here. Because the horse knew he wasn't coming. Yeah. So he reached over, boy, and he touched that wire underneath here, man. Oh, Jinza, be good as He's in pain and stuff, and he was laughing. And, and uh, so anyhow, I go, oh, he's a Jim's not Domine. I said, no, 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 man. I, I, honest to God, I didn't know, man. I didn't know it was a hot wire. I'm sorry. So fast forward, I go to Japan my first time. And he knew by staying with me because he stayed with me. We go to the Mexican restaurants, avocado and chips and dip. Man, I'd love it, you know. Yeah. So I get to Japan. I see this green stuff, man. Oh, oh Jim's not your favorite, avocado. <laughs> oh, honto? So I grabbed the whole goddamn thing and put it all in my mouth. Oh, my god! Because I'd been over there and I hadn't had any American. I'm thinking, yeah, this is excellent. And I'm at a table with a bunch of Japanese, 
Yamaha guys, and, and I'm going, if I'm in the U.S., I'm spitting it out, right? I choked it down, the whole thing. A chip full of wasabi. A whole, a whole thing of wasabi. I, to this day, I do not have wasabi when I go have sushi. I just, uh, it, uh, it ruined my taste the buds. The size of a pea will light you up. I yeah, can't yeah. imagine. It, it was what, you know, the normal. Yeah, like a chip a, scoop. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not an ice cream, but yeah, a teaspoon or whatever Jeez. it was. The whole thing. He was laughing. I, 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 oh, they were all laughing. Look at this gaijin, man. Crazy. <laughs> Kichi guy, gaijin, eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they were, yeah. Oh, Jin-san, we even now. I said, nah, man, we can't be even, you know. I, they, dude, I didn't know the hot wire was there. You knew that was wasabi, you know. But anyhow. So what is it about Japan you love so much? I just like the culture. I, yeah. I like, uh, you know, how, how you get around, you know. Um, I don't like the traffic, but if you take, uh, I really dig the bullet train, the Shinkansen, you know, the thing hauls ass and it's just nice, man. And I, I've taken, uh, you know, Zeb Armstrong and Michael DiLoretto guys over there, Ryan Hansen, you know, when they were littler. Um, you know, we were trying to put together uh, with uh, Mr. Ichikawa Supercross, but that kind of faded away a couple years ago. Um, but since then, I've taken, you know, Courtney Kelly, Robert Kelly, uh, some friends of mine, uh, you know, Adam and Mark uh, from Texas, they came over and, uh, you know, we go to uh, the Yamaha Museum and actually get a chance to see the motorcycles being built. Oh, really? Yeah. We go in. No cameras allowed. Uh -oh. You got to wear a hat, coat, all that stuff. So, uh, and then... Uh, For the museum, you can't take pictures, even of old bikes or anything? In the museum, in the Yamaha oh, okay. Communication Center and that, but not on the assembly line. Yeah, yeah. Can't go in the assembly line, but you can go there and watch a bike being built, which is, is pretty cool. You mm. know, it's from start to finish out on there, and they fire it up, rah, rah, go through the gears, make sure everything works good, bring it down, all right, ship it off. You know, mm. it's, it's interesting. But a couple years ago, we got a chance to go to Motegi, which is Honda's museum, and that's three stories. And with the cars and the race cars and everything, the thing I liked about Motegi is they also had Yamaha and other manufacturers in there, you know, uh, the motorcycle department to to compare against or no, for what? just to the era, you know, oh, okay. like the YZ versus the Elsinore, and you know, just huh. how how kind of motorcycling. I, I thought it was pretty cool that they 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 did that. You know, yeah. I want to go to uh, Kawasaki's, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, Suzuki's. Yeah, that's. It's interesting, maybe that's a, a Japanese culture thing, is that there's a lot of respect among Japanese brands for one another. They're very competitive, but at the same time. Very respectful. Like, I don't yeah. think here if you had, uh, I mean, whatever, Coca-Cola, they're not going to have Pepsi products in their showroom. Nope. You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. That's interesting. It, there's a lot of respect over there yeah. uh, culturally and among each other. And even, even so much as <clears throat> if you ask why some, you know, some Yamaha or Honda or whatever these brands will have KYB on one bike and show then on the show other. on the other yep. it's because they're both japanese brands and they yeah. want to support both equally well and same with uh production like either bridgestone or dunlop yeah you know or irc you know on some of them but yeah. uh yeah no i, I just think that the culture is good I, I get along with the food uh, uh, you know like i said i speak enough to get around in the country by myself so which is good i That's mean the first cool. time uh you know i was there testing or whatever um they would just leave me at the hotel okay see you jim san see you tomorrow morning seven I'm thinking, geez, what am I doing? You know, and this is back yeah. in the early 80s, right? Yeah. There's no MTV. There's no CNN. There's none of that stuff. It's all Japanese. So I'm thinking, man, how, how am I going to get around? Long flights going back and forth. 
So just kind of self-taught, you know, like uh, uh, say like one, two, three, four, five. Okay, itch, knee, like your knee, san, like the san, san, shi, go. Itch, knee, san, shi, go. You know, one, two, three, four. So just, you know, hirari is left, migi is right, masugo straight. So I just kind of, you know, would pick up on yeah. different things and I would take uh, the hotel card and I'd walk around and if I got lost, I would just jump in a cab. Oh, simisen, ano dozo, ano hotel, jimisen, oh, simisen, and namui desu ka? I'd tell them I'm sleepy, take me back to my hotel. And they would take me back. And, oh, man, I made it. One time, <laughs> I felt so bad one time, Shoji, his job one time was to always pick me up at the airport. And it's a little bit of a jaunt from uh, the airport to Narita, where I'd fly into. Okay. Now Haneda's got a nice airport in the city. Uh, I like to fly to Haneda now, but anyhow, so his job was to pick me up and take me. I felt so bad that, you know, he had to babysit me. And now by this time, I've kind of known a little bit, uh, you know, uh, Japanese. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I can do it myself next time. So I said, oh, you don't have to do it. You know, I, I can do it. So I take the, you know, fly in. I take the the uh, uh, Narita Express into downtown Tokyo, get on the Kodama line, which is a concert, take it to... Um, uh, Iwata, where Yamaha is, and then go to the hotel Iwata Grand. So I made it, you know, I did it. I was happy. Mm. So I, I, next time I saw Shoji, he's, he's a little bit bummed out. Shoji-san, dajabu. It means, are you okay? You know, he was upset. Oh, no, Jin-san, you make it. I said, well, you should be, yatta, sugoi, Jin-san, you should be happy. I did it, man. He goes, yeah, but uh, Jim-san, you, 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 my job, pick you up. I, I enjoy taking day off. I can take Shinkansen, read a, have a coffee, read a newspaper. Oh, he wanted the... He wanted the job picking yeah. me up. That was his job, and I took it away from him. And I felt so bad. I go, oh, Gomeni, Gomeni, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh, I say, I, I tell Bikurisa, I'm scared. I don't want to do anymore. I'm scared. No, Jim-san, you did. They know you can do. Oh, so, too late. Yeah. Couldn't back out of but it. But it's funny, though, like in meetings and stuff with Koji, when I was running some of the teams, we'd go in and have meetings. Oh, those were horrible meetings in the beginning because you would be in, inside of a glass room and everybody smoked. And oh. I don't smoke. But now the world's changed. They, they got rid of those rooms. No one can, no one can smoke inside. Really? Even over there? No, yeah. no, even over there. You can smoke outside. Even outside... Two years ago when I was there in, in 19, um, outside, you have to go into one of those glass. So if you're walking by, you don't get the smoke. And they have it in, uh, confined into that. And, and Japanese are very, very, uh, you know, courteous. They have in their pocket like a little, it's, uh, they put their ashes in there. Oh, really? And then they put their cigarette out and then they put the butt inside. And then they do that. And then when they get to a trash can, they dump it out. Yeah, very clean. Just, mm. yeah, they just have a lot of... Uh, a lot of respect. So they have them in a glass case that's just charged with smoke. And yeah, you walk by and you just look. I've, I've taken both of my boys over there, James, my oldest, and Jared. They've been there, and, yeah, they, they like it. It, it. I'm dating myself a little bit now. Remember in the airports when they finally went to smoking zones, right? There would be a room that sure. was just smoking, and yeah. the ceiling tiles would all be yellow. Yep, yep. So gross. Yep. Smoking's so a bad. huge pet peeve of mine. I, I can't stand it. Oh, I don't. I can't stand it either. Um. 
So and my dad, he smoked. He, so did mine. That's he, why I hated he, it. He was. He was. Uh, it's funny because a couple of the guys we'd be on the supercross line, and he'd be smoking a cigarette. <laughs> they said, "Hey, Jim, you, you think maybe you could tell your old man not to smoke when he's down here online? I know he's a little nervous. You're racing and stuff, but you know." And when he died, I, I had a, a bunch of stuff up, made video and stuff, and everything. And they go, oh, that's a cool picture there. Do you remember that race? I go, yeah, that's uh, Sand Hills, Golden State. Yeah, your dad's got the sign out, P13. And went, yeah, I got a bad start, you know, first motor or whatever. And P- Well, how do, you know, how do you know it was the first lap? Well, look at my dad's cigarette. It's still long. <laughs> I, I can judge. You know, I'm about 15 minutes yeah, into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but it's just classic, you know, stuff you could get away with uh, back then. I remember another time. I, I, it was uh, the um, Mickey Thompson, and we I based a lot of stuff out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Loretta Lynn's, um, uh, just outside Loretta Lynn's. That's where my dad, he's a hillbilly. That's where he grew oh, that's up. That's where he's from? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Not me, but that's where yeah. he grew up and all that stuff. So we were going to go to Houston. I said, you know what, Dad? I'll uh, I'll drive with you, man. I'll hang out with you in the box. But he smoked. Mm. But he, he goes, he'd have the window down, but I only made it to Memphis. I said, let me out. I'm going to grab an airport from Memphis. I'll go to Houston, and I'll see you in Houston. I just couldn't take it. Yeah. It's just too bad. But It's uh, – yeah, it, it was brutal for me, and I didn't have a choice as a kid, you know. I went on a rant the other day in uh, McDonald's. <laughs> Did you? I, yeah, yeah. There's a, a – and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of funny, you know, like hashtag I love Asians. You know, you pull up sometimes an Asian will look over you. I, I love Asians. You know, I like, I like Asians. I, I'm not a racist person. I like everybody. It doesn't matter to me. But the gal ahead of me, she was Asian, Chinese. I know the difference between Chinese and Japanese, but she was Chinese. I could tell. And she had her cigarette out, and she's smoking. And I'm trying to order, and that smoke's going right ah. here. I rolled the window up. She got up to the pay window, and there's two of them, right? Pay window, and then where you pick up your food. She took that cigarette and went. Right on the ground. Man, I put a, I go, hey, this is America. Do not litter here. That's littering. I go, I have half a mind to get out of the goddamn car and take that cigarette and throw it back into your car. She goes, go ahead. But I'd be the one going to jail because she would have that phone up. And I, all they would see on camera is me grabbing that cigarette and throwing it in. And then when she left, she only went a foot. Waited 30 seconds. A foot. Waited 30 seconds. A foot waited 30 seconds. Now, I take some medication to keep me calm. <laughs> I felt like just taking that my, my, my foot on the right and just pushing that pedal and just driving her straight out into the intersection. But I didn't. You know, but uh, that, I'm proud of you. Cigarette, you yeah, so, so was everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I tell that story to, you know, my kids and stuff. Oh, yeah, the pills must be working. <laughs> One of these times, it's not going to work. Well, you know what? She'll learn a lesson. You should have so. taken that I, thing and I, jammed it into I, her, like, I, air vents I, in her I, dash. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I just, I just, I, I, that's, that's one of my pet peeves, cigarettes and littering. I cannot stand littering, Agreed. people that littering. Agreed. Um, the sketchiest story of an international travel. Did you ever have one that was just like. For, did, for me or somebody yeah, for else? You. Well, I don't know if there's a sketchy one that involves somebody else. Well, I mean, for me, I, I was always worried about getting injured in Europe or mm-hmm. other places because you're there alone. You know, you, you're just by yourself and you don't know the doctors and you, you don't know, uh, you know, what could happen to you. Um, and I saw that firsthand with Ross Peterson. In, oh, yeah. In, uh, in um, 
uh, Gothenburg, Sweden. We were over there racing, and we were in the payout line because they paid you your start money and your prize money and everything. And man, he he gotten off in the main event, and uh, he 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 was yellow. You know, like really getting yellow. Okay. I, I go, hey Ross, man, you, you feel all right? No, I don't. Talk about rollerball. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, he goes, I, I really don't feel that good, man. I, I feel bad. And I go, man, you look bad, Ross. I go, you know what? He uh, lacerated his uh, kidney, and he was all the septic stuff was, uh, mm. you know, coming out, and he had to go to the. We were going from Sweden. I think we were going down to Holland the next round, and and he didn't make it, but he had to stay in in. Uh, Sweden and I felt bad. I mean, I went and saw him in the hospital as long as I could, a couple of days, and then I had to go. And then his girlfriend had, had flown over, so that was good. But uh, yeah, that's that's the only. Was thing. Was it his liver or his kidney? If he yeah. was yellow, it could well, have been the liver. Is it it might have been the liver. Yeah. Anyhow, if you ever see rollerball next, I asked him to show you. He had a scar like this, and I went always on the side where they had to go in and uh, get it. But that was uh, my. Uh, you know, um, it's down here on the right. Maybe it was appendix. Yeah. Maybe even. Yeah, it could have been the appendix. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was bad. He had to stay deal, in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, at least just, in Sweden, there's. They got socialized medicine. They got good doctors. Everything's yeah. fine there. And that stuff. happens in Honduras or Guatemala. Some, you well, you raced no, in some no, wild no. places. No, no, no. See, like uh, in Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador or any of those guys, a lot of those doctors go to school here in America. Oh, and then right? they go back to their country. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I, I talked to Hochi all the time, and I was just in Guatemala back in 2019. I went there uh, just to go because um, there again, when I was racing, I would just go in and out. You know, yeah. I didn't get to go to Antigua. I didn't get to go to Lake uh, Matatlan. I didn't get to go to Tacao, Rio Dulce. I, I went to uh, Belize. You know, I just went down there for like uh, two weeks and just hung out with Hochi, my good buddy, and uh and, uh, he, you know, he was telling me that all the doctors uh, down there, uh, they train in Houston and um, they get their license and do their residencies in America and then they go back to their country. Mm. Now, with that being said, do they get the proper medicines that we don't get? Like, you know, they still don't have the COVID shot down there and stuff yeah. like that because they're third world countries. So they don't get, you know, but but the doctors are, are they're good doctors. But but it's the, it's all the other the ancillary stuff. So the equipment, the medicine, like you say. Right. And then what about the system to get them there? Their EMS system is right, not right. nearly what we're used to here. Right. So you better throw them in your own car. It's probably a guy throwing you in sure. the truck and driving you yeah, to wherever yeah. the hospital is. Yeah. and Hope you get there. Yeah. And they have so. a lot of traffic, too. I mean, you yeah. know, I hadn't been there in probably, I don't know, 25 years since this last trip in 2019. Yeah. And I've just seen how it grow, you know, has grown, you know, yeah. so much. Yeah. Crazy. Um, hey, let's take a quick break. And uh, we'll be right back with more Jim Holly. Stay tuned. Dunlop, there is a reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable, trust Pro Circuit. 
Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. For 10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make Seat Concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. nihiloconcepts.com. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual solemn, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all. Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. OGO Power Sports. OGO has perfected the carrying case, motocross gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs, backpacks, and travel bags, to name a few, have all been meticulously engineered to maximize space and surpass durability standards that would make NASA proud. Simply the best. OGO Power Sports. Connected. I wanted my kids to ride motorcycles, so we would always share that. Besides our family bond, but it's just something cool that you get to share with your kids. I wish I had as a kid was the scene I've used with Hayden. You turn them on and you can talk to each other. It just changes the whole game. When you're trying to learn and get better, you need that ability to talk to the student. And I think that's what the Senna system does, you know, it allows you to communicate real time instead of saying, oh, come in, hey, that corner there, like 10 laps ago, you did this or that. You know, it's almost like a secret. It's almost like I'd like to even keep it. It's like you want to keep it a secret because it's such an advantage. You know, I feel like the, the Senna system is such an advantage. And I feel like, you know, it's going to help us elevate Hayden's game big time. So that's, that's why we use it. With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. 
ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. Audio Jump. The guys are just breaking in their race bikes, which will leave on the semi this Saturday to go to the first Supercross for our coast in Orlando. Uh, so the guys are just be goofing off a little bit, do some cool photos, do some cool videos. When you go racing, you want to do well, but a big key is keeping the bikes on the track. That's why we chose to work with Motul. Expectations coming in as a rookie is just to try and get my feet wet and uh, honestly just send it, see where I end up and uh, do my best out there, but just ride aggressive and ride like myself in practice and I uh, should have a good time. Challenges of this sport, I believe, is just simply staying healthy. Uh, with how fast we're going um, and what we're doing, your margin for mistake is really, really small. If you have little rippers, you have had to have seen Stay Sick Bikes by now. We have created bikes and experiences that allow kids to develop sooner and empower them to define their own ride. From learning to ride to sharpening skills, the Stay Sick promise is accelerated growth. Whatever path your family chooses, it's going to be the ride of your life. Stay Sick Stability Cycles. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation If you don't like your life Then you should go and change it Hey, I'm on Welcome back, that was your Troyly Designs timeout Get over to TroylyDesigns.com Check out everything they've got going on Lots of new product coming in Spring lines, summer lines, stuff like that uh, It has been slow to trickle in, but it's getting there um, So check them out All the, the paint department's cranking They've got a full bicycle line, obviously all the casual wear and the, the GP, the SE stuff. Great products. Get over to TroyLeeDesigns.com and check them out. Jim, back to you here, bud. Uh, you you he, talk about Troy Lee, though. We came up together in 79 when he was uh, you and Troy? number 816, I think, on a Husky. Yeah, there's a picture of him up here. Oh, I should point it out. It's far left. You can't really oh, see it, okay. but that's him. That was probably the year. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we stayed in the same hotels and stuff. It's just cool how his career, you know, I went this way, he went this yeah. way, and it's just interesting. What do you, what, how would you describe him back then versus how he is now? Um, man, I don't know. He was pretty intense. He was a good rider and stuff. Just, uh, you know, he had a different focus. I mean, his dad was a dirt tracker and stuff. And uh, funny story, I called him a, I don't know, maybe a, three or four weeks ago, a month ago or whatever, and David Aldana called me okay. from on any Sunday. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> he he knows Troy has the uh, skeleton, and um, he wanted to get some. Okay. And I called Troy. I said, hey, Troy, uh, David Aldana's a good friend of mine. He called me. He, he was, you know, wanting to see if he could get a set of gear. I just wanted to put you guys in touch. So, oh, man, have him give me a call. He, he's the one that inspired me to make that stuff. When David was doing dirt track, he had a set of leathers that were made like that. So uh, uh, he hooked him up with a set of uh, gear. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I just wonder how it was he, you know, he's such a squirrel now. Like, he's just so... I love him. He's just so squirrely and funny, right? Yeah. Was he that way as a kid even worse, or was he more? No, I think he was kinda, more focused. Yeah. yeah I, you I, make I, it sound like he was really focused yeah, on racing. Yeah, from what I know. I mean, we didn't hang out a lot, but I just remember at the races and stuff, he was pretty focused. But it's interesting that, you know, 
his dad was a dirt track guy. My dad was a dirt track guy. That we didn't go dirt track racing. Yeah, <laughs> we took motocross and supercross and stuff. That is funny. Well, it was just motocross was sort of in a boom, so it was probably yeah. you know. Well, you didn't you, you didn't make do. money in dirt track back then. Yeah, either. that's a good point. <laughs> uh, so I want to ask a couple more questions here about your international races. You did some hard cross, didn't you? No, did not. You never did. Ne- never oh. did the hard crosses. No. Nope. I always no. thought that looked fun. Well, I mean, let me take that back. The hard crosses were in Holland. I, I know that Louis Franco and those guys would go over there and do it. Mike Beyer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, would go over and ride those. But uh, in Sweden, a couple times when we went up into the stands, they would have it with plywood. Oh, yeah. And it was sketchy because, you know, your tires are a little bit wet. Maybe it's raining in uh, Sweden and you go up there on that yeah. plywood, man, and just, you know, it, it just wasn't good. Yeah. But those were indoors that they would do you know, with the plywood, the hard crosses. So it's probably a little bit easier, maybe a little bit lower uh, tire pressure. Well, they'd run like a, a road tire, and then they would put Coca-Cola syrup right. or soda syrup yep. down. So yep. it was real sticky. sticky. Yep, absolutely. They did that in dirt track at the Cow Palace. Kenny Roberts and the guys, they, they first came up with that when they would do short track in the Cow Palace, put down, uh, you know, Coke syrup to get huh. it sticky in there. That's I'd crazy. say just leave it. Yeah, I do, I do too. I mean, yeah. Well better for the fans too more crashes uh what's the weirdest country you raced in most bizarre culture place probably india 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 yeah bombay i I was amazed uh you know uh, well mumbai now but uh when we were there i I noticed a lot of people would be on the sidewalk sleeping but they weren't homeless i mean they didn't have a home their home was a cardboard box but in the morning you know you'd go for a run or something that cardboard box was folded up and those people went to work yeah, they work. So they're functioning homeless. Yeah, they're not like you know we have here. But I don't know. Then I'm talking. This is a long time ago. Right. Maybe it's changed in there. But um, and the the money wasn't there. I I I kept in touch. I had a pin pal for a long time, man. I I gave him a brand new uh, O'Neill wallet. And I gave him twenty bucks. I mean, they'd work all day and only make like a couple two three dollars or something, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. I can't remember offhand, but. Yeah, I kept in touch with him, sent him some money once in a while. He was a good good kid, you know, a young guy. Was the what's the food like down there? Yeah, curry. I'm not too much into the Indian like food. Yeah, yeah, that that wouldn't have uh yeah, it, it was okay, you know, but chicken, they have chicken, so yeah. I just ordered up chicken. But you know the best thing, it's uh spaghetti bolognese. Anywhere yeah, you're going, you can't you're, mess that up. You can't mess that up, even <laughs> in India. But uh, I but I do I, I did like uh their drinks. They had thumbs up and limka. It was like our Pepsi and Seven Up. Okay. And anytime I go to, I see an Indian person in a convenience. Hey, you have any thumbs up or Limco? Oh, you've been to my country. I said, Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, what made you? You kind of got out of racing at around this point here, eighty nine ish, and got into stunt work. Or what did you do well, right no, away? Well, no, I was still, I was still, uh, still doing the ultra crosses. Like I said, it was okay. ninety two or maybe even ninety three. Oh, but you still going with that? Okay. Yeah, and that was it. Then I was done. Then after that, um, uh, like every other professional rider that uh, retires, man, you just—I mean, you've done it, David. You, you're, you're sitting there and you're just sitting there and you're twiddling your thumbs. It's one o'clock on a Sunday. Hey, man, I'd be lining up for the race right now, and you're just sitting there doing nothing. And then I got the call from Yamaha in Japan. They said, we want to hire you, and we want to hire your dad, and we want to send riders over to you and, and do the circuit. So I was back in. As a, so what was your, uh, like a liaison? Team, team manager, okay. um, coach, riding coach okay. for Koji. I okay. remember coming here to uh, 
just down the road here from Corona to Yamaha's test track with Koji. Mm-hmm. Real hard to work with him, Koji. He was like the Damon Oko- Bradshaw. Okawara? Yeah, Koji yeah. Okora. He was like the Damon Bradshaw of Japan, meaning not his attitude, but just he was a star, you okay. know, in Japan. And yeah. now he comes here and he's got a big head and he's going to do Supercross and he's really not listening to me, man. And Shibata uh, from uh, Dirt Cool Magazine would come out and, you know, uh, do stories on us and him and stuff. And, and at that time, I, I really... Uh, my Japanese was still good, but not quite, you know. And Koji didn't know me from my riding days. You know, he, he don't know who the hell I am, yeah. you know. So, anyhow, I'm trying to work with him at the Yamaha test track. He's really not listening to me. You know, you can tell when you're I'm, – I'm trying to give this guy some help, you, you know, like uh, Johnny O'Mara or Wardy or whatever. They're still yeah. helping the young guys. And, you know, soak it in like a sponge, man. Yeah. These guys have been there and done that, you know. Um, so, he's not listening. So, I, I, I told Shiba, tell that. Tell, tell Koji that we're going to have a race, me and him. Five laps on this course. And were if you I, still riding enough to where you could get on a soupy track and ride? Five five laps. Okay. That's all I had in me. Maybe four. But I knew I could beat him just watching him ride. I, I couldn't go 10 or 15 or 20. If he would have done, he said, no, let's go a whole moto, then I would have been screwed. Yeah. But I said, let's go a five-lap race. If you beat me, I won't say another word. I'll just be a team manager, order the parts, pay the salary, pay the bills, do this, do that, book flights, whatever. If I beat you, then you got to listen to everything I say. So anyhow, he, uh, <clears throat> we went out for five laps. I came back, sitting on the back of the tailgate, bikes on the stand, helmets off, and he comes riding in. After five laps? After five laps, I had that big of a lead. I, I had enough time to get the bike put it on the stand, sit on the tailgate or the back of the box van with my helmet off. He comes riding up. I looked him square in the eye and Shiba was there. I said, you ready to get the F and ready to get to work? I go, you got to remember, I'm here to help you. You do good. I do good. The team does good. Everybody does. I'm not a hindrance to you. I'm here to help you. So let's go to work. And we, we got along great after that. You know, nice. he, he knew that I, I knew what I was doing. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it's hard to, uh, you know, to get like that. You know, you you have to really, you know, get on somebody. And, mm-hmm. and that's the thing about a coach. you got to know what motivates them. Same way in baseball, basketball, football, whatever. You know, what motivates you might not motivate that guy or this guy. You know, if I get in your face, you could clam up and really. Yeah. But if you get in your, your face, that could motivate you to go. You have to know what you're working with. But anyhow, we, we had good results. Uh you know, that year and stuff, I remember um, Las Vegas, the final round in, um, in uh, I think it was 93 or 94. Anyhow, Las Vegas, hot, you know, May or whenever it was, really hot there and stuff. And he's, uh, he, he, I'm up in the stands with a couple of my cousins. Now, remind you, we took my, my blue band that I bought a long time ago. I still had it. We had bikes because we were going up to Carson City, Nevada to train in the altitude because the next national was the next week, and I wanted him to work with them there. Okay. Dad had the box man and all that, right? So we're up in the stands, and you know how, like, Vegas was? The sun wasn't down yet, but the heat race was there, and it's really greasy, the first heat race. I can't remember if it was Stanton or whatever, leading it or whatever, but Koji's second. Comes around. I see his elbow up, and I see him hit, and he's getting wheel spin going up to the triple, and he kind of cases a little bit 
And I, I'm saying, oh, okay, Koji, take it easy, man. Take it easy. Because I, I kind of know how he is. He's one of those old school Japanese guys. You just, you know, you got to slow him down. You know, you got to, you know, you don't have to tell him to go run in the morning. You know, he, okay. he's, you got to tell him, hey, only five miles. You don't have to go 10, man. Yeah. We, we know. So he comes around that same corner. Elbow goes up higher. I go, ah, no. And my buddy goes, what? And I go, watch. And he just nailed it came up he faced the triple jump didn't crash hit so hard busted both of his wrists okay uh. didn't crash just hit so hard he hit so hard the crossbar pad i mean the crossbar went down to the uh the clamps oh, we had to cut that later on we had to you know cut that off just to get to the bolts you know to take right? fix the bars later yeah so anyhow i, I run down there immediately the chute coming down, the ambulance is there, right? I go down there, and, and, and I'm in there, and they're, they're working on him, getting his wrist set and stuff, and I'm, I'm going to transport it myself, you know. But I, I get down there, and it's hot down there, and the EMT gals were working on him stuff, and I'm going, man, somebody needs to take a shower. It's kind of really smells like BO or whatever. It just smelled bad, you know. So they get him going, and I'm walking him up, and the wind's going this way, a little bit of a breeze, so I don't smell the smell anymore. So I get him on the back of the box, man, and uh, I'm going to take him, uh, undress his boots. And I don't want to take him to the hospital like that. We got time. He's not yeah. in that much pain. So I get ready to take off his boot. He says, Jim's on shit, shit. I go, oh, what, Koji, you got a shit? But he was trying to tell me that he had shit when he hit the crossbar <laughs> here and everything that he had in his stomach. came. So about that time, I got the boot coming off and shit is everywhere. And I go, now what am I going to do, man? I can't take him to the hospital like this. So I take everything off. I get him in between the two box ends. I had the old man fire up the pressure, pressure washer. <laughs> and I got him over there, and I'm washing him off and trying to clean him up the best I can to transfer him to the hospital. How do you right? say spread your butt cheeks in Japanese? Oh, oh shitty is, a, oh, shitty is a, a, your butt. So I say, uh, kire is uh, you got to clean it. So I got to clean, man. I didn't, say, I didn't know how to say spread, you know. Yeah, yeah. He can't spread any. I've got two busted yeah, yeah. wrists. I'd have to go spread it. And I wasn't doing that. I was back with the hose. It gets better. So we go to the hospital. I call Yamaha in Japan. I say, look, man, Koji broke both of his wrists. What do you want to do? You want to have surgery here? You know, go to Arthur Ting or somebody or wherever. And they go, no, I'll bring him back to here. Can he tr travel? I go, yeah, he can travel. He he'll be all right. We'll do, we'll do it. Now, mind you, I started with Prime Network with Larry Myers, and I had to do a broadcast the next weekend at Hangtown, you know, because I was kind of okay. doing a little bit of both. So anyhow, we get up the next morning. I got to brush his teeth. I got to do all that. He got two busted wrists, right? So I go, Koji, you want to go home with my, my, my dad in the box fan because there's a bed in the back, you know, the old box fans. He goes, yeah. no, just I stay with you. All right, man. So we'll take the van. We'll take the blue van and we'll go home. All right. Cut my dad loose. Go ahead. We're, I'm going to get him fed. Got to feed him, you know, and all that. It takes a little while. Yeah. So we get out and we don't get to, um, I don't know, Sloan, Nevada or Gene, Nevada, right? <laughs> Uh, Jim said, itai, itai, pain, he had a lot of pain, I go, oh, he ain't gonna last this all the way home, turn the box van, I mean, turn my van around, go to the airport, McCarran Airport, get two tickets, fly to Burbank, call Melissa, hey, come pick us up, she's a nurse, get Koji situated at home, jump back, fly back, I gotta get my van, because the bike's, I can't leave it at the airport, oh, we're, we're going geez. to Japan Monday morning, yeah. This is Sunday. Get that. Drive my van back all the way. Monday morning, we head to Japan. We're off to Japan. And I, I had to go with him because he couldn't do he anything. Can't do anything. Can't uh. do anything. You know, he had to go to the back. Oh, just I got to go pee-pee. 
I got to go to the airport in the back. I got to unzip. I'm, hey, man, I ain't holding that thing. You can kind of judge it the way you want to yeah. go and get it in there, you know. And we got to Yamaha in Japan. We had meetings and stuff, and he had the operation there. And I'm in meetings with him, and, and they, I said, man, they wasted a lot of money having me fly over here, you know. And last minute, I go, man, if I was coach, I would have just sat there and looked at the best-looking stewardess. Excuse me. I need help. <laughs> But, I mean, that's just, uh, those were good times teaching those guys. And, you know, the other rider that I worked with a lot, and he had a lot of good results, and um, Takeshi Koikeda, he finished fifth in the Outdoor Nationals uh, one year, and he was good. Now, he was a little different than Koji. He was the other way, lazy. Mm. If you told him to do something, but I, I told him one time, I said, hey, Koji, I mean, Takeshi, I said, you got to be up 8 o'clock. I'm not having you up at 6 and running the mob, but I, I want you up ready to go at 8 o'clock. He wasn't up at 8 o'clock. Oh, yeah? No. So what I did in the guest house at the house, I got a five-gallon bucket of water. Oh, filled shit. Filled it up. He's sleeping in there. I opened the door quietly. <laughs> Wake up. That's some Mr. Miyagi stuff right there. Time to go to work, buddy. <laughs> Time to go to work. But, I mean, that's just the difference. Koji would have been up at 6 o'clock, already had his miles done. and, and But that's just the different, uh, you know, attitudes you have to work with different yeah. uh, mindsets and stuff but he was a good hard uh, worker once so, you got him going so he was riding with yamaha support yeah oh yeah yeah factory yeah what year was that what he got fifth i don't um I think back on heath that. voss was there that year we were battling with heath voss heath voss might have gone to uh, this is uh, i want to say 98 maybe would have been 98 for takeshi koikeda 98 99 I want to say that was it. You'd okay. have to look on the vault or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. to find out what. But, yeah, that's when he was there. And, uh, oh, I'll tell you exactly. He did uh, the U.S. Open and stuff. We did the U.S. Open. So what was that, 2000 they did the first year? No, it was before that. Um, 99, 98? 99, so maybe 98. Okay. So, so that's when he was here because I remember yeah. going to the <laughs> – I, I know exactly because uh, when Takeshi was here, we only had a budget for one room. Okay. And he was doing Supercross. So, of course, my dad gets a bed. Of course, Takeshi gets the bed, you know, on Friday night before Saturday night. Baby, you didn't make the main event on Saturday night. <laughs> You're on the floor. <laughs> You're on the floor, and I get the bed because I was on the floor the other nights, you know. Yeah. And I'll never forget one time uh, he was battling with Guy Cooper, towards Guy Cooper in his career, and we were in Vegas. And uh, there again, that's kind of when I was starting the broadcasting because the main events, I was up in the broadcasting booth. I came back down, and I go to the box fan. Him and my dad are both kind of like talking to some fans, and they're giggling, laughing. And I, I walked out. I go, what the F are you guys laughing about, man? You didn't get that bike in the main event. How could you be happy? Takeshi, the week before, it, you, you were 13th in the main, 12th in the main, or whatever. This bike should be in the main. I go, we're getting ready to start the outdoors this year, man. You're losing focus, man. I go, what? You know, I go, you had no fight in you. I go, you let Guy Cooper push you around. He got fifth. You got sixth in the main. I go, guess what? You didn't ride the main? We're running back to Las Vegas, right across from the Hard Rock we were staying at that hotel. Yeah. I can't remember, Hyatt or whatever, the Hyatt place or Hyatt whatever. Hyatt place, yeah. I go, we're running back to, to, to uh, down, down uh, that whatever that major highway, Top of Canada or whatever. We're running all the way back home. We're running tonight. And if I beat you, Oh, you, you got a big problem. And I hadn't been running. But I had to show him that I was willing to make the dedication to yeah. run. 
And we started running out, man. We were running side by side for the first mile, and I'm feeling okay. And I'm going, man, I don't know if I can make it. I go, I, I, I got to do it. I got to like, do what, it. Six, seven miles. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I'm willing to go. It's mind over matter. If you got to do it, I got to back my pace down. But I'm going to do it. I'll yeah. be goddamn if I'm not going to do this to show this little guy. So we're so we're uh, running, and I said. You're fifth right now. I'm sixth. I was a little bit behind, right? Man, I threw an elbow, man. I knocked him down. Boom! And he's on the ground. I spun around backwards, running backwards. Now I go, I'm fifth now. You're sixth. How bad do you want? Boy, he got up, man. He started throwing me elbows. I threw him elbows. Man, we're, next half mile, we're throwing elbows at each other down the street. People probably thought we were crazy running back at 11 o'clock at night on, on that Tropicana heading back. But he beat me, of course, and I finished. I might have been 20 minutes behind him or... 30 minutes behind me, I can't remember, but I finished. And, yeah. you know, my dad came by and but you need a ride? Absolutely not, man. I got to show this guy that I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. And that year we finished fifth. And uh, all kinds of accolades from uh, from uh, Yamaha Japan. Yeah. And another thing with Koji down the street, I forgot to say this one. He, he did not know how to set up a bike. He did not know how to test. And we were there. And, you know, the tracks here, when you they're hard blue grooves when oh. you're during the day, right? Well, the round we were getting ready for was Pasadena, the Rose Bowl. Now, I've raced there plenty of times at Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. It sits in a hole. The moisture comes up. you got great traction, right? Mm -hmm. So we had a bunch of different cylinders. And I go, okay, Koji, which cylinder do you like? Oh, just I like this one more more, uh, more mellow. He, he didn't like I go, yeah, but I think the one with the hit is going to be work better for you, Koji, because you're going to have a lot of traction. You're getting a false sense of what's going on here with the blue groove. You're getting too much wheel spin with that one where you like to load. We go to Pasadena. You're gonna uh, you're gonna like the other one, but no, Jim, I I want the softer softer hit. Okay, no problem. You're the rider. We'll put whatever you want on it. Put it on there. I told my dad. I said, Hey, get ready to do a, bring that other cylinder because I know he's gonna want it. He goes out for the first practice, just kind of coming up short on everything, coming up short. I'm going, Oh man. So he comes back in. I go, Koji, how was it? Oh, it's okay, a little short. I go, Can I put that other cylinder on, please? Just to try it in the second one. And whatever one you want, then we'll go with for the heat race or whatever. Okay, Jim son. So we did a fire drill. Me and my old man. Change out the top end real quick. You know, there's not much time there's to be not changing much time. time. Yeah. So we, we changed it out, we put it in there, and the first time he goes out, man, he almost overjumps us. <laughs> so now he's you know, and he comes back in after that practice, he's got a big grin on his face and everything. I go, Koji, don't put us through that again. Remember back when I taught you how to ride that five laps? I go, we're here to help you, buddy. I go, use my knowledge. I know what this track's going to be like. We had to do a fire drill to get this bike ready. So, you know, it's just a, a lot of li little hard things, you know. Uh, another time with Takeshi, he, uh, my blue van again, he, he wanted to go riding on, on a Monday, which was a holiday for all the kids, right? And he wanted to come down here riding, I, I can't remember which track, Elsinore or whatever it was. And I advised against it. I go, I wouldn't go. There's a lot of yo-yos out there, and you're a professional rider, and that's how you get hurt like Anderson when he got hurt at Glen Helen. You know, you got to, you know, the track's open to everybody. So with an, a, a school day that's off, you got a lot, a lot of people out there that, yeah, they're beginners, so you got to watch out. Anyhow, someone crashed over a double or whatever, and he come over, hit him, broke his collarbone. Mm -hmm. I go, I don't know when you guys are going to listen. I told you, Takeshi, don't do it. So anyhow, his, 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 uh, his wife now, but she was over, and uh, 
they went out and he had his arm in a sling and everything. And he's on the 210 coming back. They went shopping or something, him and his uh, girlfriend at the time. And uh, he had my van up to 100 miles an hour. Cops pulled him over, right? His license his, his, uh, had expired because uh. I got him a California one, but he tried to show his international license and this. And Anyhow, cop wasn't having no, 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 uh, no part of it, right? Impounded my van. Now, I got home, and I see Takeshi, and, his, and I see that look. And I'm thinking, man, what happened? I didn't, it, I, what, what happened? Something happened to your, your girlfriend, man? Some, someone, you know, you know what, what, what's going on, man? What, what happened? Oh, Jim's I'm sorry, Gomene. What, what, what happened? He goes, oh, go to jail. Who, you went to jail? No, jim your van go to jail. What do you mean my van went to jail? Then I got it out of him, you know. He was speeding, and they impounded my van. And I, I think I was going to uh, a race, and I had, to, I had to go pick it up for some reason. I had to go get it because every day it's, the interest yeah. gets compounded. So I had to go pick it up. But j just stuff that you, you deal with with riders. And, and I'm sure you, you deal with it nowadays with the younger riders, the same type of thing, you know. Well, it, this is the a plight of any team manager, I think, and that's basically what you were acting yep. as a team manager. Yeah, kids are stupid. I mean, like <laughs> we all were. I mean, I'm not. That isn't derogatory to anybody. I was an idiot. Sure. I look back and go, God, I wish I would have listened more and not done this or that. You know. You, you know how much of an idiot I was, David. When one time at Colorado Lakewood National, right? Factory rider, right? I go out to dinner. I come back. I'm by myself for some reason. I don't know. I must have met some friends or whatever and went to dinner. And I was going back, going to bed early, you know, yeah. 8, 9 o'clock. I'm at the gas station. And I'm lucky to be alive. I'm at the gas station. I'm pumping gas in my rental car, right? And next to me is a gal and her boyfriend. And they're pumping gas, right? And she's hot. Yeah. Smoking hot. And I said something to her. I go, Man, your girlfriend is smoking hot, man. You're lucky. You're a lucky fella. Well, he didn't like it for some reason. He took the gas pump and just went, started hosing me down with gas. Boy, we got into it. Cops came, everything. You know, the, the manager guy, the gas system guy, said he started it or whatever. But there again, I probably shouldn't have opened up my mouth, but I didn't say nothing bad. I just said, man, your girlfriend's smoking hot. And I think he said something like, well, you need to cool down or something like that or whatever. And when I got back to the hotel, I had to take off all my clothes. I don't know if you've ever had gas on you, but it burns. Yeah. I took a cold shower, cold bath, still couldn't get the burn off. Tried to lay down on the bed, I'm burned. Took the sheets off, the, the, the fitted one and the sheet on the top, took it off. Put that in the bathtub, kind of rang it out, made my bed with wet sheets, and I went to bed Saturday night before the National in between two <laughs> sheets with water on it. So you talk about doing stupid stuff. But this is knowledge that you can pass on to the younger guys, like, let's not do this. Yeah, but they're not going to listen. I mean, unfortunately, at that age, you got to learn some lessons the hard way. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish that they would. I wish I would have listened. But if somebody would have had a match, you know, I look at them 60 years old. If I would have, if if someone had a match, I'd have been dead. Yeah, there'd have been no way. There's no way. Yeah, that's gnarly. Yeah, well, it's not like you said anything. Oh, and then then the next day, oh, my dad was my factory mechanic and other team managers. I think Keith McCarty was. Did everybody. you get? Did you get arrested? Did they have to get? No, I didn't get arrested. Oh, okay. No, no, they didn't get. No, I didn't get arrested because oh, okay. I didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it was just you want to press charges? No, I don't want to press charges. You know, I, I'm all right. You know. And, 
Just but but just stupid stuff, you yeah, know. I remember yeah. my dad saying, "Well, what what the hell did you say anything then?" I don't know. I, mean, I just you know that's how I am. You know, I just said something. I didn't say anything bad. Yeah, but that's what happened. <laughs> uh, a lot of good stories. Great stories. A lot of people <laughs> say I should write a book. <laughs> All right. So how many how many other Japanese writers did you help? Well, I mean, Akira Narita, when he was 16, came okay, over he here. he was working through you, too. He was working for yeah. me when he rode for Yamaha and stuff. Uh, he got a factory Suzuki ride, didn't he? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no, he's uh, he's yeah. uh, 12-time uh, or 13, 12 or 13-time Japanese uh, champion yeah. over there. I went. But in, he rode for Suzuki here, though, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I yeah, 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 yeah. And he rode and he for had, Honda. I want to say he podiumed He did. He got a third at Anaheim. Third yeah. at Anaheim in the mud. That's yep. the best any Japanese right Japanese well, writers ever. Well, Joe Shimoda now. Oh, yeah, he, he's well. he's got that. I think did Joe get a third or a second this year? I, th ooh, yeah. I think he did get second. <laughs> yeah, so he might. But but the ultimate guy is Akira Watanabe. He won a world uh, one twenty five championship oh, in that's Europe. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So he's he's got the. You know, he, he's got the benchmark. But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of different guys, a lot of uh, Masaki Suzuki. I mean, there's been a lot over the years. I mean, at one time, sometimes I have, like, seven or eight guys, you know, getting them yeah. ready for their series. They'll come over here in January just after Christmas because it's cold in Japan. You really can't train there where it's nice here. And then they'll go back in March because their series starts, like, um, end of March, beginning of April. Okay. Yeah, a lot of guys. Hey, Jim, I got a question about Japanese writers. Mm -hmm. I heard somewhere, and I, I don't know if this is true, that one of the reasons we don't see the younger guys come over is because if they get hurt. Absolutely. The company is responsible, responsible. for them? Absolutely, okay. if they're under 18. That's why in some of those meetings when I, uh, with uh, coaching stuff, they ask, how can we get these guys better? I said, well, I need to get them when they're, like, six, seven, eight years old. And they said, well, we can't do that because if they get hurt, then we're financially responsible for the rest of their life. And that's why we send you guys that are 18 and 19 years old. And I said, they already got bad habits. It's very hard to teach them, uh, you know, when somebody's, uh, you know, got a bad habit, it's hard to get them out of that rhythm. Mm. But yeah, that's absolutely true. The, the team they ride for is responsible? Is yeah, if they saying? rode for Yamaha, Yamaha sent them over, Yamaha is going to be responsible. Weird. Yeah. But now if you come over on your own, like Joe Shimoda, that's why he's doing good. He came over on his own. His mom and dad are funding the program up to now. Now he's riding for Mitch. And mm. before that, he rode for Geico and all those guys. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so are you still doing that? Are you still working with Japanese riders? Or no? Still working with a few. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Few. I have one guy. He's been here since he was uh, 14 years old. And he's 22. Yusei Otsuka. Mm. Yeah, but he he's uh, he's going to school now and college and stuff. He's not going to make it. He had some wrist injuries. Um, had a lot of bad uh, crashes. I felt so bad for him. Uh, you know, one year we qualified for Loretta Lens, and he was all ready to go to Loretta's, and then he crashed and broke his shoulder. Mm. That was a goal of ours to get him to Loretta's. But uh, you know, I, I told him that you know he, he rides rides great. I was just out there riding with him, uh, you know, the other day at LACR and um, painted his boot. Uh, uh, orange on the left-hand side to see where he was putting his foot if he was riding on the balls and to see where he was putting his sh foot on the shifter and everything. And, mm. Oh, Jim, you know this technique. He speaks really good English. So I go, yeah, I want to see where the foot is because his shifter is really worn out on the top. And I go, man, I, I think you're using that thing as a foot peg. And then I put on a GoPro onto the side and so I could see, and then I got onto the bike, and I put my foot, and, like, I, I just barely tap it on the top where he's using this whole thing and even getting the where, where it hinges. 
that straight part, he's even getting his foot on that. Oh, really? Yeah, so we're just going to work on little techniques with him and stuff. But, you know, with the injuries and stuff over the time, I just said, you know, he knows he's not going to be a supercross rider. Mm. Um, how did you transition into stunt work? Uh, the Epper family, Richard Epper and Jeannie Epper and those guys, I've uh, been friends with those guys for a long time, and they got me into, uh, you know, the stunt business. And, um, you know, I mean – used to get paid to uh, stay on a motorcycle, and then you got paid to crash them, you yeah. know. But, uh, well, are you the original guy to make that jump over? No, no, no. Eddie Mulder, Dirt Tracker, John okay. Haitley, little John Haitley, they, they all made the transition, and I think uh, we were after them, okay. you know. But they, they made the original uh, Jimmy jump. Roberts, he wasn't Jimmy a pro Ro racer, but his dad was J.N. Roberts. Yeah, J.N., but I've worked with Jimmy a lot, you know, on different shows and stuff. But, yeah, it, it's been great. I mean, I'm working on a lot of great movies. I don't do too much anymore because I'm getting kind of old to be hitting the ground or something. Mm. But, uh, you know, some commercials. A lot of times you'll see, like, a commercial and you'll wonder how they got that shot or whatever. You know, I might be on a camera bike, you know, with yeah. the, the, you know, the uh, cameraman, a full yeah. focus guy and everything. And Does, Do you ride uh, Regis's, his covert camera bikes? No, I haven't okay. I haven't worked with uh, Regis. Okay. Yeah, I haven't worked with him. We but, had he and Castillo on, yeah, as you know. Yeah, I, I saw I, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um Anyway, he's he said he's looking for guys that can ride it and understand how that's supposed yeah, to work. Tell him, so. tell him to yeah. give me a call. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he'd be I a can great do guy it. for it. Yeah. So you've worked on some pretty cool films: um, Wild Hogs, Miss Congeniality, Italian Job, Eight Legged Freaks, Dudley Do Right, Chips, and then my favorite. I didn't know this: Winners Take All. Yeah. Yeah. You were one of the. Who did you double in that? Uh, uh, Don Dela, Peter Deluise. Okay. Yeah, John Haley worked on uh, that also with us, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think Brock was in there. He had a little cameo. Yeah. Yeah. He come out and said, "Hey, what are you doing?" Wasn't he in like a he drove having a Corvette? Corvette or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but th th that was a, a fun, uh, fun one to work on. Was that your the first hur one? Hur hurricane bikes, I think we were on yeah. hurricanes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that was my first one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But a lot of different coordinators, Ernie Arsati. Uh, you know, I've worked with him, Jack Gill. Just, just a lot of good guys. You know. Uh, uh, Warren, uh, I'm trying to remember his last name. Warren. Yeah, one of the I worked on a, a movie downtown LA, and, and you can attest this, but uh, it was called Red Shoes Diary. It was a, a, a movie thing. Okay. And Ernie says, "Yeah, we want you to go down and down the street." And the, the lady was in a, a girl was in a taxi, and she was getting out, and they, we need you to kind of go and harass her and do wheelie by her, and you know, scare right. So I go down and I'm and I'm in downtown LA. It's like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And I'm sliding and I got the bike in the slide and I'm sliding. All of a sudden, within a snap of a finger, I lost it. It's gone. The bike's out from underneath me and gone. I ran over, picked it up, sparks, everything, picked it up, came back, finished the shot. Ernie goes, "Oh, great, man! That was great. We loved it." I go, Ernie, I wasn't supposed to do that. I lost the bike. If the crew had been on that other side, I would have wiped somebody out. I don't know why I went down, you know, and he and. So I go, well, you ready to do it again? I go, no, I'm not ready, Ernie. <laughs> I go, I, I want to know what put me down. What do you think put me down so quick? I'm, and the streets were a little misty anyhow. You know, it was wet. But what do you well, think? Well, they water all that shit, yeah, right? Yeah, well, yeah, nighttime if they want. But it was already misty, and so it was you water. manhole cover? Absolutely. You're yeah. the only one that I've said that you got yeah. it right the first time. Everyone says, what, paint, this, that? That manhole cover. So then I had to go back, and I had to look, and I had to get a, a reference. Oh, okay. That light there is in line with that. Okay, I got to go a little deeper or a little bit before and control that side. But that thing got out from underneath me. 
And um, I, I've had a lot of close calls. I mean, one time I was working on a Pepsi commercial in downtown L.A., and you have to rely on, and, and, and David and, and uh, Regis can attest to this, you have to rely on a lot of PAs, production assistants, you know, that, you know, will lock up the street or whatever, you know, for you. And I was on a camera bike, and I was on the sidewalk, and I was chasing a, 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 a runner, an athlete, you know, Olympian guy, and he was hauling, you know, so I catch up to him. So anyhow, I asked everybody, you got everything locked up? Yeah, no one's going in, no one's going in. This lockdown, this block is locked down, right? I'm going down, and what happens? Somebody steps out of, um, of one building. of the doors. Yep, and I had to just, whew, off the curb I went with this hack, and uh, lucky there was no trees or fire hydrants or street lights or whatever, and I was able to avoid the guy. You killed him. And I went back to the, the guy, and I said, I thought you had it all locked. Well, I did for everyone going in. I go, how about putting a person on every goddamn door going down through here because that could have killed somebody. Another time I was on a, uh, I can't remember what commercial it was, or but I had a bunch of guys on, and I was going down in downtown L.A., and I was going pretty good. I mean, the car was going 50. I was probably going 50, keep in line, and, but I had a space in between. And all of a sudden, some guy, homeless guy, just comes out, and I aborted. You know, because the guy wasn't, and, and they, I saw everybody yelling, hey, hey, but you, you got to physically grab them sometimes, right? Yeah. And uh, after I came back in, the guy was deaf, oh. so he didn't hear anything. So if I wasn't paying attention, you know, and looking back, hey, I was like, okay, we're going to get him, and then boom, that guy's there. You, you got to really have a, a, a focus on, on what's going on, and you really have to, like on uh, the chips was not the whole thing, it was a, a reunion thing, so I worked a few episodes on that. But I'll never forget that when we were in Sunland and they had a fight. And I was on the bike and uh, they had a fight up on top of a bus. Another stunt bus driver was driving the, the bus, stunt guy. And I forget his name, but he was a great guy. Anyhow, the fight scene was going so good up there. And I'm riding alongside looking up, watching my guy, you know, making sure. You know. Well, they liked it so much. And lucky they had everyone tethered off. And I mean, I'm talking the camera, the, the, the focus. Everybody was tethered off, okay? down at their leg, the guy's fighting everything. They liked it so much, they kept them going. Now, if, if, you're, if you're a guy and, and you're a stunt guy and you're driving something and you've already rehearsed this section right here, right? That's where you end. If they want you to go a little bit more, you, you cut it down right there and you scout out. Well, he made the mistake. Kevin was his name. He made the mistake. They said, keep it going, keep it going. He went past that, right? All kinds of low trees. Cleaned off everybody off the top of the bus. Lucky they had harnesses on, man. And, and, and everybody was shooting backwards like this, like cut ears and stuff were stitches and stuff. And I mean, lucky they were small branches on an oak tree. Lucky it wasn't a big old oak tree yeah. or that would have probably killed somebody. But he felt so bad. I had to go over, hey, don't worry about it, man. It, it, things happen. Don't worry about it, you know. And, and, but you, you, never, you never let them push you into anything. If you're Did not happy with it, like on the Italian job, when, when I came out and, and landed and, and swiped the car, you know, I don't know if you saw the movie, but anyhow, first time I did that, and I told transportation, I said, look, don't fill this thing up with gas because those BMW RS1200s, they hold like whatever, eight gallons of gas. I don't need eight gallons of gas. Every gallon of gas is seven eight, pounds yeah, or whatever. Pounds, yeah. yeah. I go, just put a gallon in. But anyhow, I, I, I did the jump, swiped the car, everything's great. They go, man, that was so bitching. I go, well, you said, uh, I go, you better be rolling on this rehearsal because I don't know when I land in that water, you know, you land a bike like that in the water, two foot, three foot of water, I, I could 
hit that front of that thing and I could go over and you might want that, write that into the script or whatever. But they just wanted me to swipe past the thing because the, the scene was they open up the door and you fly over, right? So I did the first jump. I get back in, in a duvetine, you know, and I was on a flatbed trailer to do the jump out like I came out of a tunnel, right? And I get back in there and they go, you ready to go? I hear them in my ear. I go, no, no, no. I smell gas. I smell gas bad, bad. Give me a second. So I, I ran out the back of the wash and because uh, they had a ramp to get me up to the top of the flatbed trailer. I ran out and I ran up and it had a little windshield. And I stopped real hard. All of a sudden the gas just whoosh, in my eyes. Couldn't see. I go, hey, I got a problem back here, guys. Got a problem, problem. Shut it down. The seam of the gas tank when I landed had split. That's oh. where I was smelling the fumes. So when I went like this and I hit with that full tank, it, it just went right, oh. right back to my. Now, it was probably a mistake on my part because I had a shield and I had it up. But I just wanted to kind of smell and I should have had it down. I would have been all right. But, I, you know, it, it, you have to really, when you're doing stunts, I mean, you have to really be careful. Like those have anti-lock brakes on them. And one of the transportation guys, he, 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 you know, we couldn't get the rear wheel to slide, right? And he, because uh, it, it would flutter, yeah. you know? So, you know, he just reaches up and he takes a pair of dikes and goes, snips the line. Okay, it's ready. It'll lock up now. I go, yeah, but you, you should probably call BMW or something and ask. Maybe something's going to happen later on or something. I could be going, you know, 60 miles an hour. All of a sudden, the thing locks up or something. Failure. I, I don't know, you know? And, uh, like on uh, going down the streets of Hollywood, you know, and you guys have seen it. <clears throat> You'd be going down and, and they got ADs on each of the corners, right? Locking them off. But I, I put stunt guys. I tell them, hey, I want my guys on those corners. Because what happens is if you're there and they go, what the hell? I ain't waiting for this light. And I'm coming by like it's 60. Boom. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm dead. Yeah. You know, so you always got to really think in, in, in the stunt business. It, it, does, does every stunt kind of work that way? I mean, the one that I did for Supercross the movie. Right. When you had to go over the berm? I, no, I had to jump off. Yeah, off that's the right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jimmy comes over to me and goes, yeah. look, we stack three box, three levels of boxes up. Right. We're going to take the middle jump out of this triple. You just let go. He goes, three, three level, levels of boxes. He goes, it's like a pillow. Right. You never feel a thing, man. I promise we do it all the time. I'm like, okay. I trust you. I don't. It's the first time I've ever did, done it. Did you anything. have uh, something on top of it covering like a tarp? No. You just went into boxes? It was box. Stiffener? And then, and then a layer of flat boxes. Stiffeners, box. they call it. Stiffeners. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you probably needed another. As well, as we're getting close, he comes over to me. He's all nervous. He goes, hey, uh, you know, we can only fit two levels of boxes because they can see the third one on top of the jump. All so right. it's just going to be two. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you said three was good. And anyway, he's all nervous. He hands me like this full body armor. Maybe, maybe just wear this, you know, and I'm like, shit. So sure enough, I went through, hit the ground pretty hard. Yeah. They made me do it twice. Yeah. But I'm That's like. That's right. You got a big adjustment each time. So I just wonder, is every stunt, is there always something that's a little squirrely or. Well, see, in that case, if I was there, I would have told Jimmy, but I got experience. I would have said, Jimmy, stack another box up and let's put a banner back there. You know, like a whatever troy lee design banner o'neill scott whatever that'll hide the boxes in it and, it and it goes with the racing yeah it goes with the racing mm. you know that's what i would have said you know because i don't want to go through that thing one time i did uh, uh on that reunion thing at chips i had uh, th there was down a hill and there's pch and there's the ocean right mm -hmm. and the scene is that the gal loses her brakes and at the bottom there's a construction thing with uh with um 
vans and everything, and they're just a little out for me to go, right? So I had to ride alongside the car. They shoot it in different sequences, but I had to ride along the car, and, and she transitions and gets on the back of my motorcycle, and I'm saving her the damsel in distress, and we're riding out. Okay. Just as we ride out, the car hits all that stuff and blows up, right? Well, all the windows, they, 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 they lit it up hard. I mean, they just went big with the explosives. She was on the back. I was okay. But she got little oh, pellets of shrapnel. Shrap, get, well, the glass in, yeah. in the back a little bit of it. And when I, when I was on the bike, I mean, I came through with her, and I heard the and I felt the heat, man. Just, and I felt the pressure just kind of push the bike. going, wow. Man, that was a little too close, guys. But then she had some, you know, little cuts in her back and stuff. That was a stunt person. Stunt well. gal, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's yeah. It's I not mean, an exact science. I guess no, the and, thing, and right? the thing about it that you know, like, that gets people hurt or whatever is they put on their resumes that, yeah, I can do a, a high fall on fire. And maybe they don't, you know, they've never had experience, but they want to work. And so they, they say that and yeah. then they get on the day and they go, okay, light them up. There ain't no way you're going to light me up. I, I, I'm strictly motorcycles, cars or whatever, this, that. I mean, you know, that's about it. I mean, one time on uh, Showtime with uh, Robert De Niro, Rene Russo, Eddie Murphy, right? <laughs> Funny story. We're shooting it in Gower Studios in Hollywood, right? And I'm a homeless guy. I mean, I look. I'm, I'm hot. I'm a homeless guy. And I got the cart and I'm pushing it and I got a little fire in there and stuff. And I go up to uh, Eddie and I, I don't call him Eddie. I said, Mr. Murphy. I said, Mr. Murphy, uh, my name's Jim. I'm the stunt guy that you're going to ride by. The stunt guy driving the car. He's going to hit me with the cart. We got a little bit of a fire. We got this guy with a fire extinguisher. This guy, but you'll be all fine. Everything should be good. He didn't even give me the time of day, man. He just really? looked straight. Yeah. That's why I'm saying some some guys are, and I liked Eddie in some of his movies. I thought he was going to be, hey, no problem, man. We got it. We got it. But he didn't give me anything. So I just went, okay. <laughs> Later on that day, we went out to lunch. We went off the thing. We went to, there's a Denny's right around there. So after lunch, um, they went on and I go, well, I, I got to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll meet you back there, right? I couldn't get back in the studios. They thought I was a homeless guy for real. Oh, jeez. Because I had all my get. I go, no, I'm working on Showtime. Oh, yeah, sure. We get that all the time from you people out here in Hollywood. <laughs> Beat it. I go, no, I'm telling you, man. I'm I'm on the set, man. I don't have, where's your ID? I have no ID. I'm, I, it's in the trailer. You know, and so they had to call up to uh, Jack Gill, and he come out and got me. And so he was laughing. He was just, I go, God, God dang it, Jack. I go, you know, you, you guys, you should have told me to bring my wallet or something, you know. But, uh no, but anyhow, and, and another thing, like one time, uh, you know, they really don't like you associating, fraternizing with the uh, the help, you know, like the, the big name guys, you know. Okay. Rene Russo was on there, Robert De Niro, like I said, we're sitting there, and, and I'm just, you know, from me to you, from Robert De Niro, I'm just kind of minding my own business, you know, and he looks over, he goes, do you know what we're waiting on? I go, no, Mr. De Niro, no, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. And he goes, you don't have to call me... Uh, Mr. De Niro, call me Bob. Okay, Mr. De Niro. <laughs> so then Rene Russo comes over and talking to him, and he goes, hey, you know what, stunt boy or Jim? I go, yes, sir. He goes, yeah, we're waiting on goddamn Eddie. Oh, yeah. I go, oh, okay. Eddie was in his motorhome, right? And he uh, he had his girlfriend or whatever, and 
He, I mean, he made every the production. Robert De Niro, Renee, everybody waited forty five minutes for him. I don't know what he was doing in the motorhome, but he come out, boy. He pranced her up, and we had to all wait for him. You know, and wow. I'm think I'm thinking, why does production do this? But if you have a lot of the stuff already in the can, and you piss him off, and he says, "Well, screw it, I'm done." You, you know what I'm saying? You, you gotta you gotta tread lightly. Or, yeah. You gotta tread lightly. Jeez. Yeah. Was there anybody that you worked with that you were like, man, that guy's cool. He's cooler than I thought he would be. Or, or well, I, I mean, the, the guy that I thought would have been cool would have been Eddie Murphy, but he, he really, uh, yeah. he, I don't know. I don't know if he didn't like me or something. I don't know. Did but anybody surprise nice. you the other way, though? No, everybody else I thought, you know, Ben Stiller was nice and Jack Black, you know. A lot of times uh, Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta was cool. He, he was a good yeah. guy. He signed some autographs uh, to my mom because my mom liked him and stuff. And, man, I thought I was going to be in trouble on that one because uh, uh, I had to teach him how to ride at those Harleys. And I first met him at Jack Gill's house, and I said, uh, hey, uh, have you ever ridden a bicycle or whatever? And he, he had no experience on that. And I'm going, oh, no. I on got a my, bicycle? Yeah. He, he really wasn't a, a – yeah, maybe he grew up in New York or something. that didn't. He, he had no experience like that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, i got to get him riding a, a chopper? So what I started him out on first was a uh, TTR uh, 110. Okay. No clutch, no no. And Ray's kind of a big guy, you know, not overweight, just tall, you know. So a little bit of it. But I didn't want him to have the clutch and get all jacked up with that, right? So he's, he's riding that. And from there, I think I, I put him on a TTR 125 with a clutch. Then a, a 125 two-stroke. From there, a Honda XR 2, 200 or 250. Just moving him up. Mm -hmm. uh, XL 600, you know, finally, you know, getting them up to speed. But I, I could never work with him more than an hour a day. I was getting paid an eight-hour day, but he had to go do other things. And, you know, production called me and says, is he ready? I go, I'm not, I'm not signing off on this. He's not ready. I can't, I can't, I've only worked with him three hours, you know. Well, you've had him for three days. I go, yeah, but he don't stay out here the whole three days. You know, he has other stuff he says and see you tomorrow or whatever. So anyhow, he's on the 110 and He's going along, and I'm, I don't know, I'm like a half of a football field away. And he's going on this bike, and, and you know how when you, it's got a centrifugal clutch, so when you push down on the shifter, it's like a clutch, right? Yeah. He's pushing down, he's revving it up. Oh, he had it wide open, he let the foot off, he loops the thing out straight on his back. I go running down there, oh, please, please, God, please make sure he's okay, because it's going to be me, it's going to be me, I'm going to be in trouble. And he was okay. You know, and I said, Ray, I'm going to let you know a little secret. If something's happening and you go like this, it's something else. It's not the throttle. I go, are you okay? And he said, yeah. And I, I told him, I go, yeah, you, your foot. And that's when I said, let's move up to the bigger bike because you, you got your balance down now on this. And this is a little bit of a hindrance for you with your foot. And you had it on the, the shifter and all that. Jeez. But, yeah. It, what a, it was funny when we were riding, though, um, you know, actors are, uh, you know, when they don't have motorcycle experience, um, they're a little bit stiff on the motorcycle, you know, they just yeah. look stiff. So I told Ray, I go, when I finally got him up, we were in uh, Canaan, <clears throat> riding in the canyons. I go, Ray, when you're riding, um, just, you know, uh, I'll give you a little honk on the horn, you know, just kind of loosen up, look around or whatever, right? So we're riding and I give him the horn, right? Beep, beep. So he turns around and looks at me, and he's looking at me. And as he turns, he's going like this. Oh, no. Now those Swerving are double. Left. Those are double yellow lines. He crossed over the double yellow lines. There's a car coming. I'm going, get over Ray, get over Ray, get over Ray. You know, he finally got over, and the car had to slow down a little bit. I'm thinking, and then I, I pulled him more. Hey Ray, when you go like that, you just 
you know, go slowly. Don't, don't turn your head and turn the whole bike and everything like this. And then, you know, when you're on a street bike and everything, you know, like the wave, you know, you see a guy, he wave. Hey, how come everyone's waving at me? I go, well, it's just the courteous thing, you know, when you're on a motor, give him a wave back, you know, Ray or whatever. So that was it. But he's a super nice guy because I tell you what, when we were down in New Mexico filming this thing, right? I got a little bit of a razzing from some of the guys because we were out on the, uh, when they, he Travolta threw out the cigarette and it blew up all the bikes or whatever. Yeah. We had all this gel on us and stuff, fire gel, you know. So he says, uh, hey, Jim, you want to come in my trailer and clean up, you know, instead of using the hose on the side of the honey yeah. wagon or whatever and stuff. And so I go, no, nah, I'm pretty good. And then when we go back, we go back in a 10-passenger van, you know cargo van and he goes hey jump in my car you know he's got a big talent car with yeah you know what i think i will <laughs> but no he was a nice guy i, I liked ray so you're you're you doubled um philip seymour hoffman which i thought was really neat yeah and you looked a lot like him which was crazy um yeah it was a wide shot i mean he had a little bit more weight on me but you know, you leave the jacket undone when the air goes in, it bowls up yeah. and you're shooting from a long lens and stuff. Uh, what was, he was, there was a motorcycle scene? <clears throat> yeah, it was called The Master. Him and uh, Joaquin Phoenix was in it. And it was a thing where you take the, you know, pick a point and go as fast as you can uh, across the dry lake bed. And it was an old bike or whatever. And uh, so I had to double him on that one. Okay. Yeah. That was a long time taking all that stuff off my head and the mustache and all that. You know, it's a, all the, they put glue on you. Yeah. They put glue like that, like that girl on the news. Remember, she, gorilla glue. She, yeah, gorilla glue. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I went through that. You know, I went through that. <laughs> I've done that years ago. Yeah. And then the chips thing. Um, that was a, that was a, that was a scary one because I tell you what, well, that you're, was, you're doubling punch and they yeah. got you all painted. I'm thinking that yeah. would never fly today. No, you, you'd get into no, trouble. no. I, I don't know. How, you know, I don't. I, I would have been a better match for Larry Baker. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. but. Uh, um, but anyway, I, I did a dirt bike cover uh, for Rick Simon where I jumped over. Remember when he had the Wilcox gear? He, he had his own uh, um, uh, John Baker. I'm, I'm drawing, that's his stage name. What's it? Uh, Larry Wilcox. Yeah. He had his own motocross gear. Oh, I'll, really? send, I'll send you a photo of the uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, send me a picture. I didn't yeah, know that. he he had his own uh, line of gear, and I had to, he was writing uh, uh, Rick's uh, super hunky's uh, daughter a ticket, and it was a road jump, and I come road jumping over wearing his gear on Maybe an XL six hundred. Did you send it to me? I think I did see it. Oh, no, I might have. Yeah. I can't remember. But anyhow, he he was. Uh, I thought it would have been, but. The funny thing about it is I don't like to fly. You know, I, I mean, I'm not a big flyer. You know, I mean, I fly a lot, but on helicopters, and especially those helicopters that don't have any doors on them. Oh, They're yeah. just open, right? So one of the scenes where I was paunch, and, and there was a car accident, and there was a living organ, kidney or whatever, in the icebox. So I had to get in. I had to race in. I had to park the bike, and I had to jump in, right? And we had to fly off to the hospital, right? So I jump in. And I put my seatbelt on, and I hear, cut! This is, a, this is a matter of life and death. You do not have time to buckle that seatbelt. And I'm thinking, oh, God. And I don't want to do this. I had to get in, and I swear I got arm pump and the death grip because once I got in, I held onto that seat like this because the helicopter pilot, he was ex, uh, yeah, he was ex uh, Vietnam guy, great pilot. I forget the guy's name, but he's going, I'm thinking, all I can imagine is I'm going to fly out this seat if I don't hang on like this, man. I just, I ain't that looking casual, man. I am scared shitless right now. <laughs> 
I can't believe they wouldn't even not a clip or something. Nothing, because no, no it, it was it was in the heat of the moment, man. That kidney had to get to the hospital, man. That was it. I didn't have time to buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Those are profitable, though, huh? I mean, you, you were oh, movies yeah. like The Italian Job. You've still got to be getting checks on those, yeah? I just got another residual on The Italian Job and a bunch of other ones. I think it was a couple grand. It's nice when you get those in. Yeah, see, my show is a flopper, so my checks were like eight bucks. Let, let, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you something. That that the the Italian job. At the same time, they were doing Charlie's Angels when David and and all those guys were over there, right? Yeah, I didn't go over there on that one because I go, I got Wahlberg here, I got the Italian job, I got uh, Green over here, I got uh, uh, she does the commercials hot from South Africa. What's the blonde oh, um, actress's name? God, I'm drawing Theron. a Jill, Charlize Theron. Yeah, yeah Charlize Theron was in it and stuff. I go, I'm staying put. Yeah, you I, made the right I, choice. I, I think I'm going to make, yeah. That thing probably paid out. Oh, I've probably made close to, I don't know. I'll send you a residual check sometime. I couldn't find it. I was going to bring it down. Well, make it out to me, you know, I transfer probably, to me. Then no, I've already me. cast it. Already. <laughs> but probably, probably over and above what I got paid for. I was on that shoot um, probably... Uh, I want to say a good 60 days. And then I probably made over 60 grand in just residuals. Yeah, maybe even more. Jeez, man. That's nuts. Um, did you ever get hurt? Wait, did you ever get wait, hurt one, on one? one thing? No, I just cast a residual check yesterday again. 27 cents. <laughs> oh, yeah. For what was that for? I can't remember what it was. It's but funny I'm thinking, they keep calling I'm, it that I'm thinking point, right? 27 cents, you can't even pay for the postage. Like, yeah. why, why did you just throw it away? I cast it, though. <laughs> that shit adds up. Did you ever get hurt on a stunt? Uh, one time on uh, Tony Shalhoub show, uh, Monk. I, I was uh, I was a uh, Navy SEAL guy, and we were in a uh, submarine, but we weren't really in a submarine. We were yeah. a makeshift submarine. And the guy was going to open up, the stunt guy, he was doubling somebody. He was going to open up the hatch, and we were under the water, supposedly, and I had to go in there, and it was a fight scene. I'm fighting... Anyhow, and um, uh, Tony actually said, oh, are you okay? I go, yeah, no, I'm fine, man. He goes, oh, you're, you're bleeding. I go, I am? Oh, oh, man, I am. So I had to get a, uh, I had a gash on my fig for the metal and stuff uh, around. When I was fighting around, it, it cut me a little. But that's about the only one. Bad. Yeah. I saw a video of somebody. I, I can't remember who the heck it was. It was a guy just getting into the stunt stuff, and he was going to slide under a semi. Right. And he was about halfway under, and it caught in high side of him, and he smacked his head under the frame of it. Was he okay? Did he have a helmet? He had a helmet on. Good, good. But I was like, dude. Yeah. I don't even want to know if he, what happened because it was under. Yeah. Well, it's just calculated. I mean, on, on stuff like that, you know, th there's little keys that you have to do. On the rear tire, you have to air that thing up to 90 pounds. Mm. You want that thing hard as a rock. Then you want to put armor all on it. Oh, really? Well, yeah. You go that far, huh? Well, sure. Yeah. You, you want that thing to snap back and hit your head on the thing? But yeah. that's what we talk about with working with younger riders. An older stunt guy, Charlie Paterni or, or guys like that have been around the business a long time. They, 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 got all they those tricks. They'll tell you. And, and then also when you do laydowns, like uh, Richard Epper told me that, you know, you, you take a piece of uh, leather and you put it in here inside your pants. Uh -huh. So when you lay, lay the bike down. And a lot of times you want to go brake side up when you do a laydown, if you have that. Because if you do this, brake side down, and your foot gets off, well, now you're not locking up the rear wheel. So then you have a chance yeah. of that bike high side. If you do it the other way, you got your foot on the top, and you can hold that thing on the brake side. So mm. there's, there's a lot yeah. of tricks in the trade. That's interesting, man. Yeah. Um, 
you did like we, we mentioned this earlier. You did really well with the money you made over the years. Mm-hmm. How many properties you bought real estate? Yeah, right? that was kind of your main investment. Yeah, that was my main investment. And getting back to my father and the sand pile and everything working construction, and he said, "You don't invest your money right, you, you know, you, you could lose it." And I, I saw a lot of guys lose a lot of money. You know, I'm thinking, you know, uh, Rich Irestad, guys like that, you know, that I idolized growing up, you know, and they, they didn't have nothing anymore. You know, they pissed their money away on cars or whatever. You well, know? it goes fast. And I, I think there's really a fast. lot of younger kids who are making a ton of money or made great money throughout their careers. They're retired or are retiring. And I've just, I just hope they've got somebody advising them on, on what they should have done, should be doing, because you can have a pretty good nut in the bank. That shit goes quick yeah. when it's not well, coming in. I, I read a thing on a, on a plane one time about the NFL players, you know, and and probably, I don't know what it, the numbers were, but it, it was it's something like 80%. Like 80% are broke. You know, yeah. I'm thinking, how could that be? You know, yeah. how could that be? But you really know who your true friends are when you retire. And, and a lot of times when you retire from that, you have to get out of that fast lane. You have to slow down and yeah. you got to transition over to that. You can't keep living that fast lane if you don't have that money coming in. It's going to run out. It's going to run out quick. And I, I really think the AMA and, and some other people should have a class or something or Feld or something on, on how to manage their money and how not to let some of these uh, agents or whatever, they're, they, they, they'll spend it fast too. Like yeah. the, I don't know how many times I've had people come up to me and say, hey, man, I got this thing going and I'm going to get 10 guys and I want you guys, I need a million dollars and 100 grand each guy and it, it's going to pay this, this, this. And I look at them like this. I said, how much you putting in? Well, I'm putting the deal together. I go, well, then I'm out. I go, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. I go, you, 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 I might as well go to Vegas and give you the money and let you go pull the handle or deal the cards or whatever. That's exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to lose it, I want to lose it Probably myself. Probably worse odds than that, actually. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you have to realize that, yeah, you have to, uh, you have to set yourself up, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's – I was fortunate so enough who, to – So who have. gave you that advice? Like, how did you – was it? Uh, probably my dad. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a lot of stuff, a lot of property. And he said, look, you, you have an opportunity. You're making good money. And at one point, um, they had to shut me down from working on buying houses and flipping them before flip your house or flip this or flip that on HGTV now. I was doing that back in the 80s. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And <laughs> But it was a good break for me from racing and, and training and stuff. To You know, it was therapeutic for me to go work on a house and to do stuff like that. And then my racing started to suffer. I was getting tired, you know, I wasn't focused. And they said, hey, you got to back off on the home improvement stuff and, and get back to your racing, what's making you the money. After your racing career, then you can get back after the home improvement side of things. Mm. So, but I was fortunate enough to have that. And, um, you, you know, and I watched my dad, you know, he lost his business and everything. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, he started drinking a little bit. Him and my uncle, they they, they had a business, elite plastering, and, and uh, you know, he he. Uh, I, I'd go by at twelve o'clock midnight, and they'd be at the bar, and the truck would be in the back with all the scaffolding, the mixers, and everything back there, and a flat tire on the mixer. And I'd go in there, and my dad, yeah, that's my son. I'm so proud of racing and this and that. I said, Dad, what are you doing there? And I go. You got to work tomorrow morning. You and Uncle Bob, man. Uncle Bob runs the crew. You do this. You, you know, what, what are you guys doing? Ah, come on. I never drank, so he would ne- have a soda with me. And, ah, I'm good, Dad. I go, but do you let know that you got a flat back there, man? 
oh, it's all right, you know. And so it's just, you know, and at one point I was funding his uh, his payroll, you know. And he'd pay me back, you know. He'd have payroll of whatever, five, ten grand or whatever, and I'd pay him. He'd pay me back, but it was just, you know, he ran the – and it was a combination of him not – you know, he would go out and bid the jobs, and my uncle was running the the the, uh, the crew, right? So, my uncle really wasn't running the crew like he should be, and I would be out on the jobs. Like I had knee surgery one year, and I, I didn't I missed uh, the Supercrosses at Houston. That was the last one uh, that I rode, and, and I came back and rode the 500s that year. But anyhow, I said, well, I'd like to get out on the sand pile like I used to do and at least keep my upper body strong, you know, yeah. and why my knee. So I, I would see those guys, and, you know, typically you got to have mud running through the hose, you know, 7 in the morning. Well, mud ain't running through the hose till 8.30, right? So you, so you bid a job to get so many yards on to make it profitable. But when you're not keeping up with that, it's just like any other business. Yeah. So... And then at like 10 o'clock, they'd take a break. I'm thinking, geez, 8.30, 9.30, 10, an hour and a half, you guys are already drink, you know, taking a break. And they're going over and they're getting the Michelobes and this and they're drinking. Now they're lethargic, they're slow, smoke a little dope. I'm thinking, So I'm just watching all this. And then, yeah, 12 o'clock come around, same thing, more Michelob. And then they'd you know, knock off at 2.30 when they should be knocking off at 4. And mm-hmm. So I'd go back and tell my dad, I'd say, hey, man, stuff's not running out here that's why you're that's why you need me to make your payroll and stuff you're losing your your butt like you know one time i remember he had to uh he had to paint five five new cars because they forgot to put up tarps and it was windy and the oh, overspray geez. got on concrete got overspray got on the car so he had to do that well that's not budgeted in the job come on guys if it's too busy too windy then we shut the job down and we'll come back the next day or we get the tarps up or whatever or we find the owners of the property and we or the cars and we have them move the cars or hey how about this idea the night before you leave the job why don't you put some cones out so the cars won't park there it just it just wasn't being run the right way and you have to run anything Correct like a business. I always say to my Japanese guys and anybody, I don't care if you're a banker or if you're, you know, a salesman, a nurse, whatever. You need three things to be successful in life. And I always say it's OPC. And everybody always says, well, what's OPC? I said, it's opportunity, preparation, and communication. You need all three of those things to be successful in life. If you don't have any, you're missing one, you're not going to be successful. Mm. So I I told the old man that, yeah. Did he listen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he shut the business down. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm out of O and C and uh, yeah. fuck it. He had the communication. I was talking with him, communicating. But uh, So how many homes do you own? I own a few. Oh, you don't want to tell that. Right? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I but good, good for you, way, man. Over like, five in different commercial buildings and stuff. So, I've you know, and, and you know, Jim O'Neill's been good with me. We have a lot of uh, stuff together, you know, so uh, that's been helpful. And, you know, it, it's really interesting with Jim. Has Jim I, been a good... Uh, yeah, he's been like a, a mentor, like yeah. a big brother to me. I don't have any brothers, so he's been a, a big brother. But it's interesting, like when you, you, you race for him, he's real frugal with his money, you know, going in and doing contracts and stuff. And I remember okay. one time, like Eric Kehoe and, and George Holland, and, and uh, you know, they were still O'Neill guys, right? And I was an O'Neill guy, but I wasn't getting paid as that. And he goes, oh, yeah, but those guys, you know, they're, they're having better... Re-. I go, yeah, but those guys are in the 125 class. I'm in the 250 class. There's a lot more guys. Let me ask you this. How many dirt bike covers do those guys have? How much is it in advertisement for, for you to have that page on the front cover of dirt how much would that cost you that's like super bowl commercials or whatever you know and uh yeah you're right i said you know 
I'm at the plate. Are you going to throw the ball or not? Or am I moving on to a different team? <laughs> you know? So he finally <laughs> paid me what I wanted and stuff. But in the house stuff, he's so different. I'm the other way around. I'm more frugal because I'm hands-on. He's not. You know, he'll come at the end of the job and he'll look, oh, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, let me help you pick up a little trash. Yeah, it looks, <laughs> looks really good here. I go, you just got here. Yeah. And, like, on sinks, like, it was a rental house that we had. And he goes, oh, yeah, go with the big sink. I go, yeah, the two sides and the garbage disposal in the middle. I go, Jim, it, it's in Reseda. It doesn't really warrant this sink to be in here like this. They're just going to ruin it, and, and then we're going to have to replace it, and we're tiling it in. So, no, go with the sink, you know, go with the big sink. All right, whatever. Yeah. And, and I, like I said, I, I can't harp on it enough that, you know, I was lucky enough to have my father that, you know, lost a business, you know, was my mechanic and everything and helped me out. And, uh, you know, anytime I could help him out, you know, I bought him a new truck or whatever when he was working for me or when he retired, you know, and lost the business. And, but, you know, I, I tell my kids, you know, and, and my one son, James, he's a professional golfer and he's making good money, lives in Michigan and whatever. And, and, uh, you know, those guys are set. And, you know, a lot of people, when you come into this world, you know, your wives or whatever, they all have baby showers and they get this and they buy this, the crib, this. And, but nobody really prepares for death. You know what I mean? Nobody prepares. And, and everything, if I was to die tomorrow, everything is set. Everything's in a trust. Everything's divvied out. One of my houses they cannot sell. If they sell a house, they both got to uh, agree on it. All my bank accounts, everything has uh, uh, P, uh, P, death. PODs. Okay. Pay upon death. All they got to do is show the get a death certificate, and they can go in, and it's 50% Jared, 50% James. That that's how it's all set up. Mm. Now the safe is a different thing. They got to find the combination. I got it hidden in the house somewhere. I said you got to find the combination. <laughs> Those so, gold bars sitting so, in there somewhere. Oh yeah, they're in there. But I go, it, it's somewhere. It's somewhere. Well, I got my my sister and brother-in-law both do super well in real estate. She owns a mortgage company, and his his advice to me was never sell a home. Of course, I, I didn't take this. I yeah. sold, bought a nicer house, sold, bought it, you know, and, and now I'm in a, a house I love, but I'm thinking, man. If you would have had that other house, if I kept sell, my first house right. that I bought for $92,000, right, what right. is that worth today? Right, right. It would be paid off and just money sure. coming in, you know, yeah. so I. And what would that house rent out for on the average? Probably twenty-five to three grand. A exactly. Month. Yeah. That, that's income that you got coming in. I know. It's crazy. I, I, if anyone's out there listening in that position, Man, listen, don't ever sell a house. Yeah, you hang know? on to it if you can. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the other thing, too, that I tell people that if you have a house, and this is years ago, and, and this happened to my sister. I had to loan her 30 grand, and uh, she was losing her house. My dad came over, and I go, man, dad, you don't look so good. What's up, man? Oh, yeah, I'm not feeling so good. What, why? What's wrong? Ah, oh, your sister's going to lose the house. And she's got a couple kids. They were little or whatever. Can she borrow 30 grand? I go, No. Because I, I don't loan, because my sister, she's burned me on some other money. I'll loan it to you if you want. And, but I got to know what the deal is. And, and they got to give me the right to talk to the mortgage lender and everything and see what happened and everything. And, but what I say is, before you get yourself in that position, you got an extra two bedrooms there. Rent those out for $500 a, a, a month. Mm -hmm. That generates you $1,000 a month coming in. There you go. Now you're not going to lose your house. Don't get behind on making payments. I mean, she was so far behind on, on, she wasn't even making her property tax. She wouldn't even have insurance on the house. Mm -hmm. 
I go, if that thing burned down, you're, you're screwed. You're done. You not only lost your house, but now you still owe that bank that money. That's just not going to go away because of the fire. Yeah. So you just you have to educate yourself. But I, I'm a firm believer in, uh, and I'm dealing with it with my with my mother. My grandparents never had a, a trust, a will, or anything. They both passed away, right? And my uncle and my mom are living in the house. I had to go through probate. Thirty grand I had to spend. To lawyers and probate and attorney's fees and all the court fees and all this to get it put into my mother and uncle's name and to um God, what a racket you don't get any of that back huh no well i get it back when we sell the house i've already told my siblings i go hey I, 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 this money here that i got out if we sell the house for uh, you know whatever six hundred and thirty thousand thirty thousand right off the top goes to me and the 600, then we can split. But what I'm saying is, is you, have to, you have to prepare for that stuff because yeah. it, it, you lose. Your family loses that money, yeah. you know. It, it's, not, it, it, it's just so easy to get that done. But now my mother and my uh, uncle, uh, they have a living trust, and it's all spelled out what goes where, when, and I'm the executor of the estate and all that stuff. So, mm. yeah. You've been with Race Day Live for how many years? <sighs> Well, it wasn't Race Day Live, but well, they've changed the name. But at least 20. Yeah. At least 20. Been doing that forever. Yeah. Still enjoying it? Yeah. I mean, uh, this year I didn't do it because COVID, you yeah. know, and, and they had to make budget cuts, and which I understand that, you know. Dave Is Prater, it? I talked to Dave and yeah. Doug Cabrera and everybody over there and Mike Mewey, and they said, you know, we and, and I mean, I even offered to do it for half price just because I love going to the races, but they said it was still too much money. Mm. So I go, well, I understand. They said, we'll get back after it in 2022 but we'll see i i, I kind of know how big companies work if they can make a show for what they're doing it for this year and it wasn't just wasn't me a producer got cut two cameramen dave arnold Saul. there was four people off of that race day live crew that got cut so if they can do it i'm just pulling numbers if they can do it for a hundred thousand as opposed to three hundred thousand why bring these guys back yeah. So they might not offer it to me. I, I don't know. And if they offer it to me, do I want to go back? I don't know. I've had a really good time this year in uh, 2021. Got to spend a lot of time with my mom. I built her a handicap ramp, you know, welded it all up, fabricated it all. Went and saw my grandson in yeah. Michigan. I'm helping a buddy of mine, Ray, build a house in uh, Santa Barbara right on the beach. I mean, I'm just, I'm able to do this show with yeah. you, Whiskey Throttle Show. I mean, we've tried, but my schedule is busy, yeah. but I have a lot of time to do other things. I'm surprised you, after all these years, you still just, that travel, man, that travel's brutal. Tra travel, and that, that's what I'm saying. It, the travel is the hardest thing because you remember I did it as a racer. Then I did it as a, a team manager for Yamaha Japan. And then I did it as a broadcasting for 20 years. So I've been on the road. 40. Since 19, uh, well, let's see, uh, when did I, 1970, no, 1980. 1980 was the first year I did the Nationals. That's 40 years. And, but prior to that, I did Golden States and stuff like that. But that was kind of West Coast stuff. That yeah. wasn't it. But yeah, 20 to, uh, 1980 to 2020, 40 years. Long time That's to be on miles. airplane. A lot of miles. I got a lot of frequent flyer <laughs> miles still. Um, matter of fact, American called me the other day. They sent me an email saying, because I haven't been flying and you lose them. 
if you don't do something. So I had to take the credit card. I had to, I had to go buy something, and, and uh, you know, now my miles are going. But I, I looked, and I went, oh, man, I forgot I had a half a million miles on this airline. Half a million? Half a million. Whew. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of yeah. plane tickets. W- one of my credit cards, I have like 400000 is that right? Buy building material stuff, buy a lot of stuff, and you get a, a point, you know, for every one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, about 10 years ago, I stumbled on this on YouTube. You did a, a, a program called The Moto Show. Yeah. With uh, Todd Huffman. Todd Huffman. Oh, was that his deal? Yeah, Todd. Yeah. Okay. Motocross Files, he did that, but he started The Moto Show. And that was great. Uh, Paul Carruthers uh, was, it was maybe doing a little it. bit ahead of its time almost, huh? Like before YouTube was really. Well, it, it was. And Lorette uh, Nicole, she did it with us. She was on there. And we had a lot of great guests and everything. It, it was an awesome show. But the thing about it is we shot that on, uh, I want to say, a Wednesday or a Thursday. And we were talking about what happened on Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. But with social media and everything, everybody was getting their content on Saturday and Sunday. We needed to do that show the next day right yeah. right after so but it was, it was a great uh, show i had a good time with it learned a lot is there anything else in the industry you want to do that you haven't done like is there anything anything on your bucket list for this sport or are you kind of like no I, I think i'm good i mean i've done a lot of different stuff supercross you know motocross that was good baja won baja a couple times in the class 30 class 40 team with uh you know, Jim O'Neill's team, they invited me to come down there, did some dirt track, you know, vintage dirt track racing and stuff. That, that's always awesome because that's where I came from was dirt track. Yeah. Did you ever do super bikers? Yes, I did. How yeah. was that? A- ABC, Wild World of Sports, maybe at Carlsbad. That seems like that was right up your alley. It, it was. I made the main event, which was awesome. Eddie Lawson won uh, that year. Uh, I think I might have got 10th or whatever that year. But uh Something that was interesting about that is uh, it is up your alley, but that track was geared more to the road racers mm-hmm. because of the, and, you know, dirt track guys were there, Springsteen, uh, Ted Booty, you know, guys like that. But I'll never forget, and, and Bubba Schober was there and Wayne Rainey and everybody, and I'd watch those guys and, and there was a chicane down the drag strip, right? They didn't want you to go wide open and then turn and come back. So they put a little chicane there. Yeah. I'd watch Eddie and those guys, and they'd come through, and they'd go, Meow, right by, right? Never lift. Never lift. And I'd come in, I'd go, meow, 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 like that. And I'm going, hey, man, how do you set that? How, how, how's that working? How, I knew you rode it. Oh, yeah, you, you got to come in, and you got to set up out here, and then drift in here, and then do that. So I, I got that down. I go, all right, thanks, guys. Yeah, that's cool. So then next thing I had to learn was drafting. And I'm on 490s, right? It's got a drum brake, I think, in the back. And may, might have had a disc in the front. But anyhow, it, it, I'd come up to a guy, and I'd come up, and I'd go out, and I wouldn't pass a guy. What, what the hell is that all about, man? I'd watch Eddie and Wayne, man. They'd come in, right by the guy. I'd go, hey, man, what, what's going on there, man? Work with me. Help me out. And they'd, they'd tell, oh, yeah, you, you, you're, uh, you're, you're pulling out the slipstream too too early you got to hang in there a little bit longer okay watch me the next one so i get in i forget who i was following man i had to tell the guy oh man i'm so sorry i came in i came in i came in all right they said i gotta hang a little longer hang a little longer, hang a little bam i rear into the guy like that oh my god i almost <laughs> died the guy i ran i can't remember it was a dirt track guy or something i ran i go hey man i'm really sorry but i hung in there a little too long 
I come back in, they're all busting up, man. They're all laughing. Everybody's laughing at Yamaha, man. They go, and I just went, man, that is nuts. But I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. 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 That was, that wasn't even a great track, huh? It was just no, a drag strip it was, with a couple little Yeah, a couple yeah. sweeping turns yeah. or whatever. But I mean it was awesome to watch Magoo and, and Ken Howerton. They they really got it down and Eddie got it down and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet yeah. that was neat. That um, was another time Eddie and me we, we got a chance we would test and then on Friday I think the race was on Sunday, but Saturday we'd have to go to Anaheim and Yamaha rented us a, a private helicopter to fly and do the dealer show. Oh, yeah? And then we would fly back. Yeah, that was neat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. VIP. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, how much do you ride these days? Yeah, I ride a little bit. I'm thinking about maybe doing Mammoth this year, yeah. 60 class. Um, uh, last time I was up there, I won the 50 class. So I said, well, I'll be back in 10 years, <laughs> you know, when I'm, <laughs> if, if I decide to do it. But uh, Mike Ulrich at Yamaha and the guys over there, they helped me out. They gave me a bike. They got me the new uh, FX uh bike you know the, the wide ratio gearbox oh, 18 cool. inch rear wheels electric start yeah. yeah but i mean yeah i don't i like going out to the desert more like when it rains if we get rain here in california you know but uh i, I was out at lacr a buddy of mine uh rented the track a couple weeks ago so i'll go out there and yeah. do some laps and stuff but healy it, or who uh healy was out there that day riding yeah. he didn't rent it uh sal another buddy oh, of mine okay. sns uh fence he he rents it he do, he puts all the fencing out there for jack barber oh, right. and stuff all that fence so we Did you jump the big stow up? Oh, yeah. 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 The, the huck the three up there? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. kind of tough to time. It's like pretty. Oh, I just leave it wide open. <laughs> Hang on, baby. I just leave it wide open. I don't I don't huck it when it's windy out there, though. No. No way. I made that mistake oh, four years ago. It was windy, and the wind was coming this way. I got up there, and it's just like all of a sudden I stalled out. I oh, cased uh. it. I went, never again. Um. But maybe Mammoth this year? Yeah, I'm thinking about how, it. How old are you then? Did you just turn 60? I will be 60, what's today? First. First, April 1st. 17 days, 18th. All right. Yeah. Jet Lawrence's number, 18. 18. <laughs> or Davey um, Millsaps. What about your grandkids? Are they old enough to learn to ride? Uh, Wyatt's just a, a little bit, uh, he, he'll be two in, in June, oh. but he loves to ride. And then they're expecting- Give him a Yeah, they're expecting another one uh, in- uh, September. Okay. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, but he loves going around on the bike. I, I got uh, James. I sent him out a quad uh, from Yamaha, the Kodiak or whatever. So he gets on that with Papa. He said, oh, Papa, Momo. So I got him when I'm there, man. We go riding all the time. And yeah. But when he wants to get off, he just starts climbing off. I go, why? Wait, 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 <laughs> man. You can't climb off. But he works a little uh, throttle and stuff. You know, he has a good time with that. But uh, That's cool. These Stasic bikes are Amazing ways. Yeah, of going. I I want to uh, I want to do um, I want to if they do it next year with Supercross, I'd like to get them know, in there. Yeah. Well, either that or the, the commercial. Mm. You know, they have uh, yeah. all the riders. Hey, I'm an old rider, but my grandma, my grandson, they, yeah. they, they don't do a grandson with it. Yeah. So that might be kind of cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah. I mean, I felt bad, you know, when I was both of my kids rode the KTM Junior Supercross Challenge, you know, and, and I really didn't want them riding to be honest. <laughs> It's, you know, let's face it, it's a hard sport, you yeah. know, and it, it hurts a lot. And, you know, I mean, I got fingers that are missing, you know, from the counter shaft. you had a shorter yeah. finger there. Like. Yeah, counter shaft sprocket. <laughs> I fell, my hand went and kind of got shoulders that are bones sticking up, surgeries on my back. So I, but, but then I, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I talked to Melissa and I said, you know, what an asshole. So I let my kids have that experience at Anaheim yeah. Stadium. And, and James was... 
he was good. I mean, he was really good at LACR. He was racing at night, and, you know, he would crash, and some of my friends would come up and go, oh, aren't you going to go go Tonga? No, not really. I'm not one of those dads. This is his deal. Mm. You know, I would walk over after. Hey, man, that was a good race. And I'd ask him if he knew what happened. He goes, yeah, Dad, I just I wasn't up on the front, and I lost it. But he he had learned a lot with the Japanese. He, he would go out a lot with us, just not riding, but just listening to everything. Mm. So he picked up on a lot of stuff. And, I, and I'm a firm believer in the next generations are better than the generation like my generation. Like if you look at Harry Everts, he was great. He was good. But look at what Stefan did. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what Liam's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, e- each generation. Y- y- you look yeah. at that. You look at, uh, you know, um, so if James would have kept in it. But one time at LACR, there was a big step up. And uh, it was a private track run all day. And all of a sudden, I hear him, 85. And I'm barely hucking it on a 450, getting up and over. And he tried it. And he watered himself. I, I ran over. Man, you all right, James? Well, yeah. Oh, I'm a little sore. I feel, oh, yeah, man. I think you... Yeah, I think you broke your collarbone, man. So we were in Cooperstown, New York for baseball with Jared. You know, he goes, oh, what do I do, Dad? I'm kind of bored. I go, well, I don't know, James. I don't golf, but there's a lot of golf courses around here. And he picked it up. He got a scholarship at San Diego State, and uh, he's a professional golfer, and he makes some okay money. He's, I like to say he's a – I don't know all the levels. You know, you got the – Tiger Woods and, and all those guys, yeah. Dustin Johnson, all those guys. That's the 450 Supercross class. Then you got another 250 class. Then you got the Arena Cross, you know, class. And then you got local pro. I, I'd like to say he's like a local pro Arena Cross guy. He hasn't got, but he's got kids and he, he can't get out. And, and you have, he took a little bit of time off when you have a new kid. You can't just, oh, I'm, yeah, going, right. I'm going golfing. Yeah. That ain't going to work, right? So, but his, uh, his buddy that he went to was his teammate and roommate at San Diego State. Anybody listening that's a golfer, and I know like Chase Sexton, all those guys golf, and I've talked to him before about it. But uh, Xander Shoffley, and he's like a top 10 guy in the 450 class. That was his roommate? Yeah, and teammate. Uh Yeah, so uh, Xander's doing good. And I I remember going down there when they were in school and buying dinners and stuff. I ain't buying Xander any more dinners. That guy's making like 8 mil, 10 mil a year. He needs to buy you a car or something. Well, not a car, just a dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just happy to see somebody that I know and I got to watch in college and stuff. College is hard ball. I mean, they play, uh, it's 18, uh, you know, normally 18 holes in golf. But in college, uh, you play 36 in one day. Oh, really? No carts. You got to walk, walk thirty six holes. Walk thirty six holes. Yeah, That's yeah. Uh, and I don't think they have a caddy either in golf. They don't in, in college. You carry your own bag and everything. You have no caddy. Wow. So pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. But I was happy that they both got scholarships. And like I said, uh, um, they're the first Hollies that ever graduated high school. I'm talking my sisters, my mom, right? my dad, I- any of our family, and they're the only kids that went on and got a college education and jared uh he went on and got his master's also wow so yeah i'm pretty pretty pumped on that you, you gotta know? be proud man oh, I, i'm really I proud i feel like kids are sort of your um the top of your legacy you know yeah and we always ask that question we'll get to it here in a second but um how do you want to be remembered but i think in terms of a man's overall life or woman sure your kids are your when you look back at what you've done how they are mm-hmm. is a big reflection on how you how you raised them and the opportunities you gave them and right and and I, I think that you, you know it's it's interesting that you talk about that I, I think as long as they're good human beings productive in society 
you've achieved your goals. Yeah. And, and, you know, if anything that, you know, maybe I, I'd missed with my kids, because I see James with Wyatt and stuff, and he's really hands-on, you know, where I, I kind of wasn't. You know, Melissa was more hands-on. I was too busy with Yamaha Japan, flying to Japan with guys' broken wrists and stuff. So I didn't spend the time. But like I told James, I said, you know what? It's beneficial now. I, I sacrificed that. And you guys suffered a little bit because maybe I wasn't around then. But I'm around now for my grandkid. And, like, I put in a, a college trust form. If you need to borrow 30000 to borrow a, a, a car, I gave you that. So yeah. I, I, I made the sacrifice to have money so your life would be a little bit more easier. You know, um, if you needed to borrow some money to put in, a, you know, that golf uh, monitor that he has, you know, those are about ten grand. Yeah, here, James, here's ten grand. you know, go mm -hmm. knock yourself out. You know, and uh, I, I always believe whatever you give one, you got to give to the other one. You know, so if you give money or do this yeah. or do that, you have to keep them equal. Yeah. That's for sure. That's tough, too. Tough to do sometimes. Um, just a couple more questions here. What, what, you're still, you mean very, we're winding down? You're still very connected in this sport. <laughs> you're very keyed in. You're watching every weekend. Give me, give me three things you'd like to see improved in our sport. Ah, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I would think that I and Feld did it a, a while ago. They let the privateers have a little bit more track time on Friday. Mm. I don't know if you remember that, but they would go out and practice, and just the privateer guys because those guys need you know we need those guys. Yeah, you can't just have ten of the factory guys and that's it. You you need the privateer guys also. I'd like to see those guys get a little bit more sh fair shake. I'd like to also see. Um, you know, um, I, I think that uh, the, the way that it's going, I think that we're going to be okay. But I'd like to see some of the, I don't know, like you, you hear of guys detuning the 450s because they're just so beast to ride in, in the outdoors and Supercross, you know. Uh, maybe detuning the motorcycles a little bit, you know, just a little bit from the factory or whatever. And, and the tracks too. I mean, some of the more consistency on the tracks you know like one weekend you'll see the whoops and everyone's getting through them fine next weekend you see oh my gosh those are tough you're seeing you know jet lawrence you're seeing cooper webb you're seeing guys get off you know and, and you, you you can't get the guys hurt that's for sure because those are your show you, you need those guys and uh you know the other thing is um I'd like to, like, maybe some profit sharing for the guys, you know, like they do in Major League Baseball, yeah. you know, and football, you know. I'd like to see them, you know, when they're done with the sport. And I'm not talking the, the Cooper Webbs, the Marvin Muskins, the Aaron Plessingers, guys that have already won championships and stuff. They've made their money. I'm talking about for the other guys, you know. Um, and maybe no entry fees for the privateer guys, yeah. you know. Pro guys or the factory guys, they can afford a $200, $250 entry fee, whatever it is now. I mean, when I, Robert Hansen and I, we promoted arena crosses in, in uh, Yeah, but Reno still, in general, isn't that bullshit? Like, oh, absolutely. We've got our professional athletes absolutely. paying an entry they, fee to they come should, race? They should not do that. They should not do that. And uh, we didn't do it when we promoted races. I said, you know, Bobby, there's one thing that I don't want to do. I don't want to charge these guys because these guys are putting on the show for us. I mean, you, you think a, a guy like uh, Kershaw, when he gets up to the plate, or, or, uh, or um, Mike Trout or any of those guys, they're not, they're not paying to play. No, they're not. You know, so, but, um, 
The way we're doing it is archaic. We need it needs some upgrades. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree with you yeah. completely. And, and also injuries. You know, a lot of these guys are getting injured and stuff. And Road to Recovery does a great job. You know, and uh, I sent somebody off to Todd to hoop. You know, and uh, I, I'm so bad on computers. I had to call Jimmy Button's mom. You know, and <laughs> she had to do it for me. I said, Hey, I, I I can't do this. I can't figure it out. You know, and uh, yeah. I'm just an illiterate when it comes to the computers and phones. I just oh. Drives me nuts, yeah. but uh, I, I think that uh, y- you know, and, and insurance is expensive. I, I remember when I was racing to get insurance, and uh, the first time I was off insurance, my mom and dad's, you know, I was eighteen or whatever. Oh, I don't need insurance. Sure enough, in that hundred cc class at Shadow Glen, I crashed. I had to go down and get stitches and stuff. It was like five hundred bucks. I went, oh. So when I was with my insurance, I, I didn't say that I was uh, racing. But I said I was a development rider, R&D. And then sometimes I would have to race on certain circumstances for the R&D. <laughs> like on weekends. Yeah, there's always, a, there's always a loophole around that. Somehow you can figure that out. That's, that's verbal gymnastics, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> all right, last question, Jim. How do you want to be remembered in the sport? I just want to be remembered as a, a good guy. You know, treat everybody fair, equal, same way I'd like to be treated fair. Um, something that uh, uh, my dad always brought up to me and instilled is treat others as you would like to be treated. Um, if I borrow something, and Jason Abbott, he can attest to this. You know, I, I get motorcycles from him sometimes when he was at Honda. Those bikes would go back in the same, if not better, condition. And that, that's the way that I think that everybody should be uh, treat things. You know, I, I can't stand people that, you know, get motorcycles or whatever and they bring it back you know it's just not right you know just uh do everything right but that's all just hey man a good guy and what you know i always say on my gravestone you could put you know whatever needed to be done jim was there to do it yeah you know i'll help anybody do whatever you know whatever it doesn't matter to me well like you saw in that post i gave ron lachina ride back in 87 yeah red buddy broke his uh collarbone or shoulder and i had to ride him back to the ambulance you know yeah. that's before the alpine stars mobile medical unit mule or whatever picks yeah. you up you know but uh yeah just an all-around guy but don't cross me no i shit for sure <laughs> you get punched in the mouth don't take his bike um you i mean you've always put, first of put all put it this way i've had to fight for everything i've earned today yeah well, yeah. it sounds like it. Your story. I mean, nothing's been handed to me. Yeah. Everything's been earned. And and I love that. One first thing, from my own opinion, looking in, you are, um, you're the friendliest guy. I don't think anybody doesn't like you. You you give your shirt off your back for anybody, and I, I that's, and, you are kind of a throwback to the old Smash Mouth days of motocross, just old school, and I love it. And so those two things together, I think, sort of encompass who you are. And uh, Appreciate I, that. I think it's badass, man. Appreciate I, I'm, that. I'm stoked to call you a friend. So. Yeah, you're a good buddy. I, now, I wanted to ask you one quick, I didn't get a chance to ask you, but I remember I almost ran down to help you in, um, in uh, what was that? It was uh, Arizona when you busted the oh, forks. Yeah. I felt so bad, man. I, I was broadcasting, and I, I see, and Atlanta, oh, my God, you know, but you were okay. I mean, well, you probably got jacked up a little bit, but Slight I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that, man. That was so gnarly, the front end breaking off like that. And, and that, that wasn't, you, you, you had the jump perfect. It's just man. on landing, it, it exploded no, the, away. the skirt of the piston broke off right Oh, the is that what it did? Triple. Oh, yeah. okay. And then did you hit the face of the 
Well, Triple? I, I mean, the landing? I, I heard or the tone change as I went off. I'm right. like, uh, what was that? Right. This is last lap of the heat. I'm leading. Right. No, I remember. And all of a sudden, it just starts going quiet. And so I'm, I can feel the momentum kind of throwing me forward. And I start panic grabbing. Well, it's locking up. Right, so it's right. doing this. Right. And it just happened so fast. Yeah. Before I could do anything, I came in just a little bit short. Just like Koji. <laughs> and it, thank God the triple clamps broke. Right. And I, I literally, there's a picture of me. I think Dirt Rider, maybe Dirt Bike, one of them had yeah. this picture of me from the back, and I'm holding onto the bars still, and they're like three inches from the ground. Right. And it's it's already broken in yeah. half, you know. No, I remember so I, I, wrote it I, to I was the broadcasting, like, and then I was up in the booth, and I just, oh, man, it was horrendous, you know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just it's part of our sport. Yeah, well, that's why we don't get our kids into it, right? <laughs> you see stuff like that. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking oh, the time thank to you. come in. Appreciate uh, it. Have it's a great, great time. to see you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. Welcome back to our sponsor spotlight segment. We've got Curtis Keene with Specialized. Curtis. Welcome to the show. Stoked to have you on. It's been a while. Uh, we, we wanted to have you on much earlier, and it's just you live kind of further north, and so logistically it's been tough, but we're, we're here. I think it's only uh, like 70 miles, but Southern California, that, that could be uh, three hours. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, uh, been friends for a bit and watch the show, listen to it. Definitely a driving uh, companion. So, yeah, good. Awesome. Stoked to be on and uh, support the show and all that. Yeah. Well, we we love having you guys. Uh, we make it very clear we don't we don't align with brands that we don't a hundred percent believe in. And mm-hmm. specialized is, um, I think, to anyone that knows the bicycle industry and market, they're the leader in that in the segment in the space, whether that's street or dirt. Um, and you guys have a brand new new generation Levo out. Um, we went out and rode it a few weeks back, and mm-hmm. um, it's incredible. So I wanted to just give you a chance to sort of talk about some of the specifics because I, I am just giving people a general idea of, you know, the feeling of it and what, what it, what's different from the Kinevo that I had. And it's much more nimble and quick feeling. It feels lighter. Um, but you can tell us the why. And I had to Google what mullet wheels were. Yeah, yeah. It's a mullet setup. So if anyone doesn't know what that means, explain that for us. The whole kind of what makes that bike so cool. So, yeah, it's an all-new 2022 uh Gen 3 Levo. Um, you had Gen 1, or you have a Gen 1 Kinevo, which is different from the Levo. It's a, uh, the Kinevo has a bit more travel. Sometimes we'd have a dual crown uh, and then kind of more downhill geometry. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the Levo itself is the first e-bike that we came out with. Um, I think it was like 2014, 15. So this is a third generation, all new, improved. And first thing you mentioned and talked about was like the mullet. So we'll start with that. Um, all new from the ground up. It's um, mullet is 650 rear and a 2.9 front or 2.9, 275. People say what they want. So, and one of the reasons why we did that was uh, traditionally, if you have a 2.9 uh, rear wheel and then like, the motor battery, just it, it takes up a lot of space. Mm. And going 650 allowed us to shorten up the chainstays, which in, in the real world uh, makes it more lively, turn in manually it just it rides like it's lighter but in all reality we didn't really lighten up the bike a whole much because uh same battery motor but we actually we went with like beefier components a you know bigger fork and all that mm-hmm. so uh, the trail experience leads to a bike that 
rides more like a normal bike. You know, it's just easier to, to get around corners and all that and, and just have fun. Yeah, the word that kept coming to mind for me was just playful. It's just like, it's just act, you know, like light feeling and, and you can, you want to turn and dart this way or, you know, move it around in the air. It's just very nimble, very fun feeling. And that 29 front allows it to roll over things. So whether it's right. a rock garden or big roots or whatever, it just plows right through it. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Right. We we did that with the uh, the wheel and also the kinematics of the rear suspension and the adjustable geometry of the bike itself. So, you know, we, we have an adjustable headset cups in the front end. So That's right. depending on where you live, style of riding, um, any of that. It goes from like 65-ish down to 63. So pretty adjustable, nice to have that option. And then also in the chain stays in the back, there's like a, I don't know if I technically call it a flip chip, but you flip that piece and that allows you to raise or lower your BB by another four or five mil. So again, I personally like BBs that are a bit higher, just the nature of where we live and uh, where I ride a lot of rocks and all that. And mm -hmm. it's just kind of one of my things. I'm terrified of clipping a pedal and then going OTB. Yes. Um, so a lot of adjustability, uh, wider range of bikes. We went with the S sizing, we call it. So okay. S1 to S6. And what that means is small, smaller the number, the smaller the bike, as in reach and all that, and all the way up to six, which is someone like six foot seven can ride you know gotcha. what's um, mine like a three you're an s3 so okay. yeah well, at least i'm not s1 <laughs> <laughs> you're not that short <laughs> you're pretty normal uh or common so and the s sizing what what that is is in the past people would go medium large and you know we would have these big jumps between head tube sizes mm. um and then like the seat tube length and then say someone you like shorter bikes, let's just say, and you know you really like the uh, head tube height of the, uh, I don't want to say, of the large, and you got on the medium because you want a shorter, more playful bike, and there's just a big drop. Or actually, it's more, it's more of a thing if you wanted a bigger bike, you want a longer reach. That's where the trends are going. So, yeah. you well, different people have longer torsos or longer mm -hmm. arms, or they're just built different. So, you and, and style riding too, yeah. right? Yeah. So they get on the large, and the head tube jumped up. 20 mil or 15 mil and that just it was a lot bigger and then it was just too high the front end yeah. so we those differences between the seat tube links and the head tubes are minimal mm. from one two three all the way up to six yeah so if you're on the cuffs of playful or just plowing going fast your style riding or if you live in europe where it's just alps and janky hiking trails not a lot of flow you want a shorter more, more playful bike and we let the rider decide kind of what fits their, their style and whatnot. So yeah. that's kind of that's awesome. You, you've basically filled all the gaps in between small, yep. medium, large. Yep. Yeah, that's I like I like bigger bikes, and the S5 just kind of fits me perfect. So, But yeah. I could I could ride a 4 too. Okay. Yeah. And another thing that's really neat about this bike is the, the digital display and how all that works. Explain that a little bit because there's a lot more adjustability in there and, and more things you can do while you're riding. Yeah, the all-new digital uh, TCU2 um, is pretty next level. So it's digital, first and foremost. Before, it was just a uh, LED screen or just LED lights, and it was just showing your battery, right, mm -hmm. on. And then, uh, what was it, like eight bars for the battery. And now it's all digital. You'll have battery percentage, time of day. Uh, within that, you have your, uh, your ride, your distance. Uh, you can just... Uh, 
the metrics, you can attach your heart rate monitor and attach that to also our app mission control. And within that, it just, it goes on and on. <laughs> yes. The smart control, um, actually to be completely honest, um, I should know this, but I literally just found out like a, like a week ago on the heart rate, um, you attach your heart rate sensor. Let's just say your uh, zone two is like 100, 140 and you want to go up for like a recovery ride. You don't want to go above 140. You program that in the app. You go out from ride and it will assist the power to where it won't allow your heart rate to Come go above. On. Yeah, not oh. kidding. So, yeah, I was I just learned about that. Um, I'm not a big heart rate guy, heart rate guy so that's kind of my own default. But like, a lot uh, of people are, yeah. And absolutely, a lot, yeah. And these e-bikes are great for recovery rides. Alden Baker preaches about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's fascinating. There, there's yep. just so much to it. And I, and I will say this, you know, because we had some comments about, wow, this thing is so expensive. You know, who can afford oh, yeah. this? But here's the difference. You know, in, a, in the motocross setting, if you want to ride a motocross, if you're like, I want to ride motocross, maybe I'll race, maybe I won't, but I want to go to a track. You don't have that many options for bikes. They're anywhere between seven and twelve thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. There's nothing entry level. You can't go buy a TTR one twenty five and get started on a motocross track as an adult. Sorry, that's not happening. In the mountain bike segment, for what five or six hundred bucks, you can get a nice little starter bike. Mm -hmm. And then, hey, I do like this. Let me try the two thousand dollar bike. Oh, let me sell that now. I'll get this. You, there's so many bikes in that range between the cost of this, which is obviously the Cadillac of. Mm -hmm bicycles e-bikes to you know very cheap affordable starter bike so you don't have to buy it if it's not in your budget but if you want the coolest bike made then it's available now so and to be completely transparent it's the best of the best so it's our top of the line and also we have other models coming sure it's just yeah the nature of the times and covid complications and inventory everyone's screwed up across the board so yeah. Our other models that are cheaper, they're coming. Yeah. They're just not here yet. We were only able to launch with the Pro and the S-Works. So yeah. it is expensive, but it's the best of the best. Um, if I wanted to buy, I'd say Adam Cincerello's race bike, it's gonna. It's not. It's not gonna be the same as on yeah. a floor model, just and, FYI. And you can't buy it. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so go. it's a... Uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, well, it's amazing bike. I'm, I'm so excited to get some more time on it. I'm hoping tomorrow to get out. Uh, you guys have models for everything so your your street bikes what you know you guys have the tarmac and what are some of the other top level bikes that you guys are selling now yeah so tarmac is a traditional road bike one of the um popular race bikes and just a road bike in general for across the board that works for everything uh the e-bike version of that is called the creo sl mm. it goes 28 miles an hour it has the uh actually the sl motor motor which is about half the power um the battery is a lot smaller but it's pretty light, and we have that in our mountain bikes as well, which is the Levo SL. So it's, it rides more like a traditional mountain bike in terms of when you're descending, um, braking points, just a little. It's on average eight pounds lighter, so okay. it's easier to move around. Uh, but you just get the one mode of power. You can't go between no, Eco Turbo and Sport. No, you have uh, Eco Trail Turbo. Oh, you do? But the motor is essentially half the power. Gotcha. So it's different, right? You have to work a lot more. You have to ride it like a normal bike the way you shift and everything you just can't the levo's got lots of power right you mm -hmm. can kind of like oh, i'll just leave it in this gear and kind of like grind it out <laughs> take her on up the hill the yeah. that's all you need to be more conscious of being in the right gear okay. like a normal bike mm -hmm. so the creo sl is our road version e-bike version of uh e-bikes 
So okay. we have the road family, the Creo SLs. And then within that, we have the active, say, like commuter. Um, we have the Como and Vado. And we just launched yesterday the, the uh, Como SL and Vado SL. Yeah. Again, SL is a bit lighter, less power. So you have either one. So we have a full lineup of options for basically everyone. And it just kind of keeps on evolving with time and all that. And so, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, there's something for everybody. And and that segment, you know, if you live in a city, in an urban area where maybe you, you typically walk or you ride a bike, man, these things are game changing. Because now you can really expand your reach of where you can go. You can get there quicker. You can get there without being sweaty. <laughs> As a yep. guy who sweats a lot, that would be my one downside to doing that. It's like, well, I'm going to show up and just have a big sweat trail down my back, like, but with these, you know, it makes it a little easier. You can move a little quicker. Yep. And you can still, obviously, it, you can still get a good workout in, whether it's, oh, yeah. you know, recovery or just go as hard as you want, you know? Well, and, I, you know, the people that are, are uh, not believers on the e-bike movement yet, I'll say, all right, let, let's go for a ride. We'll put it in turbo. So it's, it's the, you know, the easiest yep. mode for you. And we'll, you're just hauling ass. Mm -hmm. And you're going so much further. And we'll get to the top of a climb, and you're breathing hard. Yep. And I'm like, oh, it's easy, right? Just sit and pedal. And, you know, kind of shutting them up. And they go, man, this is this is pretty cool. We're going so fast, you know, and I'm still getting the workout. So. And aside from that, there's too many, like, pros with them in terms of how people use them. And mm. my wife and I go ride or, like, for me personally, it's been huge for us for around uh, where we live in terms of exploring and then fixing and working on trails as a group. You know, we get to the spot quicker, easier. We do our work. And then we get out of there because yeah. – if you had to ride in there or hike, it would take you an hour, hour and a half. And then, you know, you just waste so much. There's so much downtime. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't know, people who are new to the sport. And I always tell people cycling kind of sucks when you're out of shape. Like when I feel I'm out of shape, it really sucks. And it's just a, it's a good gateway of kind of getting into it and yeah. creating new habits. Yeah. Getting those endorphins that we all strive for, whether it's adrenaline or just feeling good about, you know, so just... Yeah. There's a lot of good stories behind them, yeah. And, and you know, that, that enduro segment has gotten so big. And yeah. so if you want to make a bunch of runs, those bikes are, without a motor, are a little heavy. So mm -hmm. climbing back up, is you, you can't do that many. But with one of these, you throw the motor on, you can do as many runs as you want to do that day. Yep. Um, or if you're, if you're just a guy that likes to run downhill stuff, this is a way to get up easy and, and still do that. I like it because I don't have the time to ride like I used to. And with a bicycle, it's all about seat time, your fitness. Yep. So I don't have time to put the seat time in to get the fitness to where I can go enjoy mountain biking the way I used to. Yep. So with this, you know, I can toggle between however much assistance I want. If I got buddies who don't have e-bikes, I just turn the motor off. I can pedal right with them. Um, yeah, I mean, anyway, life gets in the way and yeah, jobs or kids. And I got a, a friend at like Rebel and he's just, I, you know, I joke because he'll have like 42 minutes. It was, that was like a joke <laughs> back in the day. I'm not kidding between, he was like, you know, the, one of the big dogs at Red Bull and he loves riding bikes more than ever. And, uh, he would just be, you know, balls to the wall for 42 minutes. Cause all he had, he had to get back. He had twins in you know crazy oh, right. job. So now he actually has both bikes and he rides his SL quite a bit. Same thing, you know, uh, yeah. he'll go out and he just gets more, more ground to cover, covers more ground. So, yeah. um, yeah, what's not when, to like? When you when you have forty two minutes, <laughs> you're booking yourself too tight. He's, you know, yeah. He's, if he'd have said, "I got forty two minutes and thirty six seconds, thirty four, yeah. thirty two, we gotta go." Yeah, Scotty Bradfield, <laughs> not to throw him under the bus or anything, but like I would see him out riding. Like I like we were friends, and I I'd, I'd be out riding, and then here comes like I see Scotty, 
he literally wouldn't even say hi or anything. But I knew Scotty. I was like, ah, it's one of those days. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's going up. He's doing a quick whatever, a quick <laughs> run, and he's he's out. Yeah, you know. So hey, Scotty, book a vacation to <laughs> Wyoming or Alaska. Right? You're, you're you're booking it too tight. Yeah, he's the man. Um, yeah. Tell me why. What makes specialized? What it is, you know, sort of the the leader in the industry. Why are they the way they are? I mean, the attention to detail. On this bike, you know, like the little toolkit that pops out of the head state. I mean, there's just all these little things they think about. What is that? Is that just leadership there that is really passionate about bicycling? I mean, how Obviously, do you... I think it starts with the owner, Mike Sinnard. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to give him a lot of credit to his passion. He's done well for himself. You know, he doesn't necessarily have to come to the office, you know, but that guy is when it's, you know, normal life and the office is open and all that. He's there every single day. Mm. First, like a lot of times before everyone else, and he's there in meetings, and he's always thinking outside the box and pushing. And to do that, you got to have the team, the people behind it, you know, and across across the world. So we have our our one of our turbo teams in, is in Switzerland. Mm. We've developed a whole team in Switzerland around turbo, a whole office. And I don't know how many people are in that office now, just for turbo bikes. Wow. And then we also have our headquarters in Morgan Hill. Um, you know, the turbo team there and then road bikes, active, our equipment. Um, yeah, it comes from the people behind the product, honestly, and always pushing for always. And, you know, in the past, I think specialized may have gotten the reputation of a uh, big corporate company and all that. But in all reality, especially when I first met some of the guys, um, like with the mountain bike product team, you know, some people are like, there's gotta be 40 guys, but go and hang out with those guys. It's like four. Is that right? Yeah, and like, you go ride these guys, and these guys are shredders. Okay. Like, keep you honest. And, you know, some of the guys that, you know, they were like six, eight years older than me, and these guys are just, they're flying. Yeah. Like, this guy has to go back to the computer and (laughs) communicate with whoever. Like, he's got 100 emails, and but they love it, though. That's the thing. So we try to, I think, uh, in a way, align ourselves with the people who are passionate and always thinking forward and, um, never really settling, you know, uh, and always learning from whether it's mistakes or whatever. And like even the competition too. competition is always good to have that because it kind of pushes everyone forward and yeah, keep going. I think that who you obviously it comes from the top down, but who you hire, if you get some kid out of engineering, he's got an engineering, engineering, engineering <laughs> degree from college. Right. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't know anything about bikes, but his resume looks good. That's not the guy you want. You know, you yep. want a guy who rides. I love mountain biking. Mm-hmm. I love riding on the road. Yep. You know, I can take that and and transition that into new products, new yep. ideas, new thoughts. You know, we see at Moto where if the owner of the company isn't into racing, that trickles down to the race teams really quickly. You know, Honda in the 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s, they were dominant because the owner at the time was super passionate about racing. Yep. And so I see a lot of that in Specialized, and that's why I asked, is you can see that there's somebody up top who says, we're not, we're not settling, we're not resting, we're not this big global yep. corporation, we're just going to start cashing in now and sell out and sell bikes at Walmart. It's yep. like they're pushing development, they're pushing technology, they're pushing performance every day. Always. Yeah, and never, I, I love that. Never settling. And with that being said, Trying to always, you know, work hard, play harder. Um, those guys are they'll, they'll go crazy for you know four days straight, crazy just you know fifteen hour days or something, and then 
we go on a trip and it's just the same thing. We're riding bikes, just yeah. same thing. Like you feel like taking your, they're taking unnecessary risk, but man, they're just having fun and enjoying it. And they're, they're trying to go out there and just, you know, I don't know, be in the moment, enjoy it. And then go back to, you know, plugging away and yeah. getting hmm. it done. Well, uh, like I said, I'm completely sold out on the brand. I, the bikes that I've ridden are head and shoulders above stuff I've ridden in the past, whether it's uh, with just the performance, the comfort, you can see those little details that I talked about where you're like, man, that is so trick looking. It's a race bike. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the difference between a race bike and a production bike to me. Yep. Uh, so beautiful stuff, man. We're so stoked to be partnered with you guys. And there is a new bike coming out. We can't say anything about it, but we're going to have another surprise here in a few yeah. weeks. So uh, hang tight. There, the new stuff's trickling in. Slowly, yeah. It's uh, it was on that boat in the Suez Canal, <laughs> and it's uh, finally making its way. Yeah, we'll blame it on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming in. We appreciate it. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Let, let's get you back soon. Likewise, and we'll All see right. you. Stay tuned. We'll wrap yep. up the show. All right, that's our show, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Big thank you to Jim Hawley. It was great having him in. Uh, such a good guy. He is as down-to-earth, just salt-of-the-earth guy as, as you can imagine, and uh, great to hear his story. So we really appreciate his time. Um, I want to give you guys a reminder, we do have a live show coming up May 8th. We're returning back to live shows. Uh, probably only going to do a couple a year. They're going to be at the Blackmore Ranch in Marietta, California, May 8th. It's a Saturday, weekend after the last Supercross. And we've got Ryan Villapoto as our special guest for that weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, our our old buddy Grant Langston is back in to co-host. So between the two of those guys, we should drink all of the alcohol in California. Uh, we're going to try our best anyway. We also have a Stasic uh, mini bike race. We're going to have a flat track demo. We're going to have free food, free beer, free wine, drinks. It's going to be an awesome time. It's a $30 charge, uh, basically a donation to Road to Recovery to get you a ticket. Uh, 100% of those proceeds go to Road to Recovery, and we're only selling 150 of these tickets. So if you want to go, jump on it quickly. Um, there's going to probably be a handful of other legends there as well. I know um, we've we've got a list already of former guests on this show, uh, some surfing stars, some different uh, car racing stars that are planning on being there. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, so check it out. Go over to RoadToRecovery.com, click the Shop tab, and you'll see it on there, okay? Uh, so hope to see you there. I do want to thank our sponsors. They make this show possible. We honestly could not be here without these folks, and we're so proud to be partnered with them, uh, starting with Yamaha, just an incredible organization, and their their products go above and beyond when it comes to endurance, reliability, uh, and just quality and performance. So thank you to Yamaha. Get down to your local Yamaha dealer and look first at Blue to see what uh, what they've got to offer you because they have everything. Uh, big thank you to PowerDot. This is one of our original sponsors, and... Uh, they've been solid. It's an incredible product. If you're injured, trying to prevent injury, uh, it also has a massage feature. So whether you have an injury or not, you can use this thing. And I promise you, I promise you, if you use it, you're not going to be disappointed. 20% off using our code Whiskey Throttle. No spaces, no capitals, and uh, it's it's worth every single penny. Go check them out. Powerdot.com. Method Racewheel is another big partner of ours that uh, we're just super excited to be uh, partnered with. The fastest, lightest wheels in off-road racing, period. If you go through the record books and look at champions in Baja, uh, Vegas to Reno, I mean, you name it, all of the big off-road events, they dominate. And um, they not only have that pedigree of performance, 
They also look rad. They make a bunch of colors, a bunch of designs and styles. And uh, we get you a 20% off discount code there, Whiskey Throttle. Again, 20% off a set of wheels. It's a pretty significant savings. TroyLeeDesigns.com. Get over there and check those guys out. Uh, I've been sold out to this brand for a long time and uh, for good reason. You know, I know personally that Troy not only designs some really cool stuff, I think he leads the industry in design, but I know that he takes safety, uh, particularly with their helmet, to at just uh, the highest level. Um, when he had his son, his son Max started racing, he committed himself to designing the safest helmet he could, and, and he succeeded. Uh, it's in the, the SE4, and there's uh, new versions coming. Incredible, incredible helmet. So check those guys out, TroyLeeDesigns.com. SKDA, if you're in the, in the market for graphics, check these guys out. Uh, super cool, next-level design, just very outside the box. Uh, super sharp stuff. You can design something custom that they can help you with, or you can look at things they've already got uh, designed and put together. So whatever you're after, check those guys out, SKDA. Dunlop Tires, uh, there's a reason these guys have won every championship for the last decade. They are the best tire, and they're also a brand that has never wavered in their support of motocross racing, supercross racing. Uh, they don't back out when times get hard. They have stuck with this sport through thick and thin, and um, I appreciate that. I hope that you do too, and when you're looking for a tire, I hope you go out and buy not only the best performing brand, but also support a brand that actually supports this sport full-time. We appreciate their support here. Pro Circuit Racing, if you're looking for anything from suspension to exhaust systems to motor work, hard parts, look at Pro Circuit first. These guys prove their work on the racetrack. They've got more championships than any other 250 team by a long ways. And uh, that is through just hard work and design and, and their passion for making better products. Nihilo Concepts, uh, again, if you're looking for something to improve the performance and look of your motorcycle, Nihilo Concepts has something for you. From the secondary on switch, which is a must for any off-road riders, to carbon fiber skid plates, titanium foot pegs that are all billet. Uh, they've got carbon fiber guards for your, your brake and clutch. Uh, all kinds of frame tape, lever grip, all kinds of things these guys make. Really cool stuff. Go check them out. Uh, Santa Systems, listen. We, we can't tell you enough how big of a performance advantage this is. If you're coaching somebody, if you're working with someone, trying to help them improve, from a safety perspective, this is a no-brainer. Uh, if you have kids out riding, you ought to have one of these on their helmets and be able to speak to them in real time so that if something goes on on that track, you can call their attention to it and potentially prevent them from getting injured. Um, it's, it's, it's twofold. It's safety and it's fun. And I promise you both are just as important. So check out senasystems.com uh, or senna.com and look at all their product line, rad stuff. We are stoked to have them on board. Uh, also want to thank Seat Concepts. If you are not sure about whether or not a seat can make a difference, just try one of these seats. Uh, if you're, especially if you're off-road adventure rider, I can't even explain to you how much more comfortable their seats are than what comes standard on a motorcycle. It's, it's completely game-changing. They make snowmobile seats. They have waterproof, weatherproof seats. So if you ride in a lot of wet weather, it's a no-brainer to have one of these. They don't break down. It's not going to grow mold inside of your seat. Uh, they do fully customizable seat cut, uh, foams that are based on your size, your weight, your riding ability, what you're after. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Seatconcepts.com. Check them out. Pro-X. These guys make products to replace anything that wears out on your bike. So top end, bottom end, cables, 
sprockets, chains, pads, rotors. They make things at OEM standard or better for much better prices. And uh, used by teams like Pro Circuit, they uh, are super reliable. That's why those teams that win championships rely on them. Stasic. Uh, I'm so stoked on what these guys are doing for uh, our sport. Uh, it's, it's such a huge service to get kids at a very young age comfortable on a motorcycle. It's going to teach them technique that will keep them from getting hurt down the road. It's going to keep these kids interested in riding motorcycles long-term, whether that's recreationally or at a competitive level. Uh, these are amazing tools, and your kid will have so much fun. He's not going to want to get off this thing. Go check their products out. Motul USA, uh, we, we lean hard on these lubricants to keep us uh, on the track and on the trail. And Motul has proven their quality over and over, uh, most recently with their Dakar win with Ricky Brabeck. Uh, they're sponsoring Supercross teams. They're diving into our sport again full full throttle, and uh, we're stoked to have them on board. Amazing products, top to bottom. Motul USA, go check them out. OGO Power Sports. Look, you got to put your crap in a bag. It might as well be the best bag. There is, is not a better gear bag, boot bag, helmet bag, hydration pack, you name it. These guys make something to hold everything, and uh, the standards that they're built to are just unrivaled. Uh, and they've also got some pretty cool designs. If you're into the Taco Tuesday bag, the donut bag, uh, which is a little nod to Jet Lawrence, they've got it. Check them out. And finally, last but not least, Specialized Bicycles. If you are in the market to start pedaling, this is where you want to start. Uh, they've got great entry-level bikes all the way up to the Cadillac, the new Levo um, e-bike. Uh, any, anything in between, man. It doesn't matter what kind of riding you're doing. Go check out and start with Specialized. Don't waste your time on something that's going to break. The derailleur's not going to shift after a couple months. Get something quality. Uh, these guys make it. Specialized leads that industry. And that's our show, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the support. Uh, get us at us on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we do answer your Twitter messages and questions that you have. And um, we're going to be showing you a bunch of photos and different things, videos on TikTok and Instagram that you can't see anywhere else. So please support us and uh, follow and uh, subscribe on the YouTube if that's where you watch. We appreciate it. See you next week. Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell to get alerts for all the latest content. Follow us on Twitter at W underscore throttle underscore show and on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Whiskey Throttle Show. We won't stop for you. The job is done.